previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy long walks on the beach. Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. <laughs> My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very <sighs> distressed. Lady Chi here. She's the queen of the fairies. I'm the- not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. And I is in the house. I'm a hat rack. There's Voldemort and Bad Wizard, but there's also boobies. I'm Keza. Hello. We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I saw the food came from, but I never thought that there were still arms. It's him. It's him. Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest, invest in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? I was born without wisdom teeth because I'm a higher state of human development. Hold on. You are the future of mankind. I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. Oh, Vicodin. I love the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment, and you're mocking my accent. I'm very, very allergic to cats. And my mother-in-law is evil, and she knows this. And she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You'll think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. Why is it always me? Why is it never Chi? You never talk about Chi's breasts. He has his breasts are a fixture of Perfect Weekly. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Snipe and Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me in the second half of my life began. She really does love them. I got into a fight with a pit bull. I was hitting it over the head with a lawnmower once and it ripped my pants off. See, you're in your underwear whacking dogs with a lawnmower. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here. I'm so sorry. Come here. I just, I just kicked my dog in the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. This is like the Manhattan Project. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. Oh, a memory charm and everyone in the room. Shalom. You have reached Puffwa's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. Hold on. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little cranky? For the God, fine. If you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean what is to kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought Jen got pregnant on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, 
Powerfic Weekly. And welcome back to Powerfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm P.S. I'm Sue. I started the podcast. I'm like, crap, guys. Do it. Come on, guys. Pull together. You're bros. We get Sue over there. Sue does not have Grandpa, who is on Viking at the moment. We get Julia over there. Julia lives in Connecticut. And we've got Scott there. Scott has the weather. Not bad, actually. It's a lot colder south of here, which is weird. But Can I just tell you, it's negative five where I am tomorrow. It's going to be negative five, and I can't bitch because that's like a heat wave compared to the Midwest. So that pisses me off that it's negative five and I can't complain about it. Right now mm-hmm. it's about ten here, so yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, six yeah. I just push Danielle out the door to go to work. I'm like, have fun Danielle. and I like shut the door into the blanket around myself and she's like trying to shovel the car out. Yeah, it was bad. I had to shovel the snow this afternoon and I went out with leather gloves and by the time I came in my fingers were like fro- frozen and falling off. It, it was Moses show this afternoon, but it didn't yeah, I know. Everyone was yelling that at work. It, well, it's funny, especially in New England, because it snows here all the time and it's cold here all the time. But for whatever reason, we, like, forget it snows here. So it's usually at the beginning of the season. Everyone's like, oh, my God, snow! What do we do? Shoot. Oh, hell, let's just do what we always do. Hijack some nuclear weapons and hold the world hostage. Tonight we have, like, 17 of the longest chapters ever. Like, seriously, if you look back at a year like none other, that was nothing compared to some of these chapters. So we're going to jump right back into it. We're going to start off with Chapter 40, and we are going to head for the epilogue. We are driving in the direction of the epilogue. We can see the epilogue. We've read it. It was a lovely epilogue. If we don't make it, if we kind of crash and burn on the way... We'll see you back next week for the balance of the chapters, because this is probably one of my favorite fics ever. We're going to cover F. For Monday, March 30, 2009. Oh, wait. It's not Monday there yet, because I'm from the future. For Saturday, March 28, 2009. This is episode 72 of Potterfic Week. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. We hold on to the wonder of... That world through many pens And we'll never let go of all The ones we've made our friends And they'll say it's only a podcast But we know it's much more than that a community all of its own Where we even have our own sorting hat Where the hosts are all our friends And their stories told by Jen We'll always laugh before the end Part of it we please where the story never ends. So last week we had a little bit of a glitch. P.S. and I and she and Rena tried to podcast and Rena, I forget what happened. Her dogs were on the dishwasher. I can't even remember what happened. It was crap. Rena had a concussion. Well, she did have a concussion. Julia hadn't read because every time I'm so, I mentioned Dumbledore, she's like, "No, he did anything awful. I'll, I'll, I'll hate him. Tell me what he did." I'm like, "Well, Julia, we read it. Maybe you can catch up." Yeah, it didn't yeah, work out yeah. too well, so we we did it over, and and the, the peons did a great job. So we're gonna jump back in um, this week with chapter forty, and we're gonna jump back at the moment the Hagrid. Well, it's not the moment. It's it's immediately following the return of Hagrid. Now, if memory serves at the end of chapter nine. It was like one of those weird breaks that Lavender Brown had. 
had because she wasn't sure exactly where to end the chapters and she wanted it to be an optimistic ending. So it was kind of like, Hagrid's back! And he's like waving in the distance. Hello there, friends. See, you've met our young Mr. Potter. Oh, right there, Harry. Then the chapter ends. So we start chapter four, the, the return of Hagrid. I can't even remember if it's canon anymore, but I seem to remember a lot of fix where he tells of, of, of the journey he took, you know, from, well, I know it was in Order of the Phoenix, but it seems like in a lot of fix, he just, he takes a journey with Madame Maxine for like eight months. And oh yeah, I'm, I'm really, her. I am really like normally sick of reading those Hagrid tells what he did stories because they're really boring and people can't write Hagrid's accent properly. Right. It drives me up the wall. Like I am so sick of Harry and Ginny. If I never see another story about Harry, it will be too soon. But I thought this one was actually interesting. It's somewhat predictable because usually when you have the Hagrid scenes, you have Hagrid returns, he feeds them rock cakes, Ron chips a tooth and has to go to the orthodontist, and he hugs them and they can't breathe, and he walked from Spain to Portugal to Germany to... I I don't have a map in front of me. I have no idea where half these places are. And, like, looped around again, and there was a dead giant, and he had to beat someone over the head with a stick. And, like, I, (laughs) I, I get it, but I really get the point of the whole thing was so the author didn't have to write Hagrid's accent for, you know, 39 chapters. So on some level, I'm like, oh, you're back. Okay. Like, I don't, hey, I love Hagrid, but I love Hagrid with his quiet little moments. I don't love Hagrid as the host of Masterfic Theater. Masterpiece Theater, not Masterfic Theater. We do Masterfic Theater. I always, I like Hagrid's finding out that Dumbledore had died. That was really, really touching. Yeah. Hagrid's liking of Dumbledore has always been really touching to me, even from the first book. There's always been a connection there. Great man, Dumbledore. Yeah, everyone likes that line. They have him say it at least once. Now, the great man, Dumbledore, I can't even remember. Was that repetitive in the canon? Because I know his Shadow Told You That was a movie thing. I think that is canon. I think it is in canon. Yeah, he says it at least two or three times. Because I know he says it in Sorcerer's Stone where he... Let's get the canon and let's go to... Go grab it. He says, you will learn under the greatest headmaster Hogwarts has ever had, Albus Dumbledore. I'm looking... I'm just looking in half-blood prints just because that's probably where it is if he says it again. Just flip through, yeah. Yeah, he says it in um, Chamber of Secrets as well when they reveal that, yes, he was expelled, but Dumbledore kept him on. He was a great man for doing that. Various other times like that, he does say it. But. I was nervous about how Lavender Brown was going to bring it up because one of the things I really like about her writing is because the story's so well-layered, because everyone feels like a real person and has real lives and it, it, it just has that sense that they're not a one-dimensional character, you don't see everything that happens. A lot of stuff happens off-screen, which is good. So I actually prefer not seeing Hagrid learn the news of Dumbledore's death because I was afraid we would. Like, I was afraid they'd get back and be like, oh, what do you mean Dumbledore's dead? And like break down crying and Fang would be wailing and Ron would feel like an idiot. Like, I'm glad that it, it happened off-screen. It was quiet. He knew and it hurt them and we didn't need to see him deal with it because we, we just know Hagrid and we know he would be torn up. After the word sort of got around, he had even more trouble talking to any giants because Dumbledore was sort of the only guarantee he could give them. I mean, overwhelmingly, he, you know, sometimes he'll come back with, you know, 73 giants who will jump out of the woods during the final battle and save the school. He overwhelmingly failed. I mean, it's not going well. And he was gone for five months, six months at the time. And I just thought that was good for a storytelling perspective that even though he left and spent all that time away, it wasn't a victory. I was kind of surprised, actually, that Mog, who he brings back, didn't actually show up more than she did. I'm even trying to remember off the top of my head all the different moments. We had the moment at the very, 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 very end where he joked that Mog was breaking out. 
He kind of looks like a baby. Come here. I'm going to eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. What? And you know, just get him up here. Get him up. I'm like, I'm sorry, Hagrid. I, too, have difficulty with your sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, you know, oh, great. So we need another one. Seriously, look at it. They all need to see therapists. All this stuff. Now you have the image of Mog. Because there isn't enough sex in the final reckoning by Lavender Brown. So we had to throw that in there as well. Ew, Ryan. I'm just I'm just commenting on what we saw tonight, Jeff. Oh, and he gets another assignment. That's a different thing. Usually it's only the giants and that's it. And they move on to him moving unicorns around. Well, usually they have no way of contacting him. Usually it's like they send him out with a Swiss Army knife and a flashlight, and they tell him to go round up all the giants in the world. So it was nice that McGonagall actually sent him a letter and said, okay, new mission. Well, apparently he can apparate. I don't buy that for a... No. ...a second. I mean, Hagrid can't do... He got expelled when he was 13 years old. He doesn't have the basis to build up to apparition. Yeah. And I don't think you can learn that on your own. Like, I can buy him, like, doing different spells, like, randomly having learned them, but you have to build up. It's cumulative. It's like learning a language. Well, he's the guy who lights his bed on fire. Ever watch the Star Trek episodes and the guy has the phaser set to kill and he sticks it in the waistband of his pants? Don't put your (laughs) wand in your back pocket. Yes! That is Hagrid. Hagrid was voted most likely to blow up his own ass, and he's trying to apparate himself. (laughs) While upset, was I the only one even in canon 2 where at the very beginning apparition was so difficult that Harry had no earthly idea what he was doing, and then by the end of it, he's like, grab on, Dumbledore, I'll apparate you. I'm like, you're what? They they splinched themselves. I mean, Hermione splinched Ron, remember, when when they realized that What's-His-Face had grabbed onto them? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then she had to real quick go someplace else. Well, now that actually brings me to another thing. If he, if she didn't even know he was with them, why didn't she splinch him? You know, I mean, who controls it? If it's like, you know, if it's like side along apparition, is Hermione in control, or do like the people that are going with her have to think about where they're going to? I'd just like to say my hand. Well, for this particular universe, we have a moment later on where after the final battle, Draco and Harry need to apparate out of St. Mungo's, which I thought was interesting that you do that. But they had to apparate out of St. Mungo's to Malfoy Manor, and Harry doesn't know anything about Malfoy Manor, doesn't have a street address, so Draco even says, grab on to me and just thank Malfoy Manor over and over and over. Oh, yeah. So maybe it's kind of like a car, two cars tied together, you know, just if you're relatively in the right direction, I can do most of it. And this was only written after the fifth book. We didn't know anything about how apparition worked, except that Fred and George loved doing it a lot. That was all we really heard, so making it easier than it was in canon isn't that big of a stretch. Right, I mean, it, well, the laws have to work in the same universe. Terry, who's the one who hooked up with Susan Bones? Was it Terry Boot? Or was in, it, this. Um, in this. In this, Terry, no, in this. It was Malfoy. Yes. It was Draco Malfoy, yeah. No, no, not the end, not the end, like the immediate, net, like, the, like... Oh, yeah, no, yeah, it was Terry. Who's the guy that... Then he splinches his penis. penis. Yeah, he's okay. Terry Boot splinches his penis. Hermione. Didn't Hermione splinch herself a little bit? Was there something? Yeah. Hermione. Yeah, at her first time. So they splinch themselves, but Hagrid is, let's go to Germany. Yeah, and then he'd splinch her because she wasn't thinking about it. You know, like, what if you have to apparate somebody that's unconscious? Well, that's a good question for the writers. Well, can you actually imagine if you splinch a giant, like, in the middle of Times Square? <laughs> be like Max head. It's just floating around. <laughs> like, hmm. So much for the statute of secrecy. I splinched my brain in half. All right, we got a pill for that. Hang on, be there in 20 I'm like, what? Really? Yep. <laughs> the aviators could literally just walk around shooting people. 
people significant glances and boom, memory charms. They're like the Star Trek Voyager staff. Half the ship is gone. Oh, we'll get some spello tape and we'll get some spackle. The damage to Voyager has been extreme. But there's no damage anywhere on this ship. If anyone is counting, that is two. Now, everyone listening to the sound of my voice at the time this episode comes out not only knows who the Cylon is, but they've seen the final episode and they've shown it to their grandchildren, who weren't born when I record this. That's how far behind we are in releasing episodes. It'd be very, very, very bad if Madame Maxine splinched herself. Although, it did bring up a point. The fact that Madame Maxine left her school to her deputy headmaster and went off on a mission with Hagrid, I think that we actually need to see a spin-off series called The Hagrid Files. Lavender Brown writes it that we'll get the sex scene, and that's my only concern. Why don't you think this fic should have been bedchamber? Because it wasn't, it wasn't smutty enough bedchamber. for the bedchamber. Really? It wasn't bedchamber. Yeah. It was plain old normal because I didn't right, have it was to normal. log in. Just out of curiosity, do you think it should have been bedchamber? Um, no. I think it was okay no. with it with an R rating. You know, it is, it is different. I mean, this is not in the bedchamber on Checkmated, but the copy on, like, F.A. is different, isn't it? Because I know Scott read it on F.A., and one night he IMs me, and he's like, where's the rest of it? Yeah, the Snoogle copy ends at Chapter 34, because she hasn't finished converting the rest of it to PG-13, I guess. I don't think she's ever going to do it. She's writing the third one yet. I don't think it needs a third one. See, I mean, that's something that I, before I read it, Ryan was trying to explain to me. There's an unfinished... WIP sequel, but it doesn't matter because you find out everything in these first two. And I was trying to figure out how that works. The sequel takes place three years later. Wait, like three years after the epilogue or three years after the end of... Three years after the end. So it takes place two years prior to the epilogue. Okay. And I imagine it deals with the capture of Lucius Malfoy and everything that happens there and Harry and Ginny coming back together. So I'm, I'm sure it fills in that gap. But as long as I know it happens, I feel okay with it. But I have some other issues yeah. with the epilogue, but we'll get to that. I have to mention this because I am a nitpicker and I have a nit to pick. Fred and Forge, they only do it once. Stop using it, fandom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the fandom likes to jump on these little things and make them into big things. And that's I yeah. know. There's a wizard rock band called Gred and Forge, and they're quite fantastic. That's that's beside the point. I bought her Vermont teddy bears, two of them, when we first started dating and we had money and we didn't know what to get each other. I bought her two, and they're named Fred and George. And she is obsessed with Curious George. So she has a Curious George stuffed animal. Obviously, she calls George. And the other day, I'm cleaning the attic, and I found Fred and George, the Vermont teddy bears, in the attic collecting dust and I asked her why she doesn't bring them down and she said it would get too confusing with too many Georges in the house. So I suggested maybe we could go with Fred and George. Fred and Forge. Fred, no, what is it? Get and Fred. Fred I, I can't Fred and Forge. Fred and Forge? Yes. Fred and Forge. Fred and Forge. Okay, I'll write it out for you. I, I don't mind that that is one of the fandom's things. That there's a wizard rock band called Fred and, called Fred and Forge. You, you know, can't I mean, like, even do it. Why is everyone laughing at me? She can't. Even. <laughs> ha ha. P.S. Kid. I mean, it's not. Well, in, it's out of character because they only did it once there. So you can't do it in a fan fiction. You can do it. You can say you can name teddy bears Fred and Forge. You can name wizard rock bands Fred and Forge. Spider monkeys in Gryffindor Tower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spider monkeys are called Gretchen Forge. <laughs> <laughs> the fandom takes one line on a can and it makes it into a huge thing. One of those things that everybody disagrees with P.S. on because like, it's, it's like the fact that there's a Yule Ball every single year and when it was yeah. actually yeah. Tri-Wizard Tournament. All those sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> 
Harry could take Ginny. Ginny. I cannot remember the character's name. <laughs> I think Harry could take Ginny out for a lovely meal, and there's not the need to have an entire ball. Because when you have the ball, they have to get their dress robes. And Ron has grown seven feet, and Harry realizes he can't fit into her. To hers, okay. I can. He realizes he can't fit into hers. <laughs> Harry does wear. Let's see, if the, yeah, Harry wears sneakers. sneakers, so of course he's going to want to try on Ginny's dress robes. Clearly, <laughs> that would be the most awkward scene in a fanfiction where Ginny goes up to the guy's room and he's wearing her clothes and they kind of stare at each other as she barges in and, they, and he has like this Peter Griffin look on, on his face. And, Why isn't this an awkward moment? And they kind of well, he's, and they he's also been cheating on her with Ginny. <laughs> you know, I don't hear you people jumping in there to throw out these. I'm stepping. I'm going out on a limb here just because I'm getting all the characters. Ryan, you, you really, you, if I if I mess up, you can throw it back at me. You were a legend in P.S. in episode 67. Just wait for the release, dear. She forgets I record everything you say. <laughs> hey, Stu and Scott, remember that awesome story I told last week? That was recorded. Yeah, is that about me? No. no. I told an awesome story about edible underwear. <laughs> Guys, I have to tell you all this. A couple of years ago, we were curious as to whether or not edible underwear would be permitted for use on Shabbos. You're not allowed. There's certain rules where, like, you're not allowed to rip or tear things, but there's right. also, like, an exception to a lot of these things when it comes to food. So we were wondering like if edible... Bread. <laughs> right, like ripping bread or smearing cream cheese, that sort of thing. We were wondering, like, if edible underwear f- fell under the food exemption or not. <laughs> <laughs> It's related. Fred and George sent Ron some. I have something too far ahead. A good prediction. Like, I always kind of do a little cheer when they predict something that was in one of the books that wasn't out yet when they wrote it. Death Mm -hmm. Eaters using Fred and George's stuff as a weapon. Yeah. I have some questions about the logistics of that, because I was having trouble remembering the plot as I was reading it. So, the gas that Fred and George are using, why was it at Grimmauld Place? Because the order had commissioned it. Like, it was being made, I thought it was being made, like, for the shop or something, or I don't know, but the order was using it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know what it was? For whatever reason, I had the part stuck in my head where Molly was doing the field testing on it, so I didn't know if it was there because Molly was going to test it because she was working for Fred and George. I had, for whatever reason, I didn't even think about the whole order. I no, no. Sometimes I think, I think they, of it they, like they, Molly's vacation home. I think they made it for the order. Like, it was yeah. one of those the deals where it's like... The order had a shipment they, coming of it, and... Using, I think they had some they were going to do for the shop, too, or whatever, but they made a bunch of it to right. send to the order, and they happened to be sending the shipment out the day that everything was attacked, so they just well, sort that of... that was a really well-written scene, because there's sometimes when I read a story like this where I can actually visualize the actors, you know, making it into a movie, and you can actually just see it in your mind. It's the moment where Ron touches the canister, in the ch- and, and you can just almost see, like, the white flash across the screen, and you can see him have his vision, and he has the vision about um, what's happening at his brother's shop at Diagon Alley and about Lee Jordan, and then he has the vision about what's going to happen at Grimmel Place, and the great thing about that is we as the readers see everything, but then Ron himself, like with all dreams, has difficulty remembering it, so he's forgetting the most important parts until someone reminds him. But let's talk about that. What do you guys think of that? I just thought it was really, really well done. Um, the, the level of tension, the level of uncertainty, is this the future, is this the present, is this the past? And and my probably favorite moment from the entire scene, Snape barged into his bedroom and he screamed, Grimmel Place, you got to get everybody out, evacuate now. Yeah, that was really interesting because he saw all three of them basically at once. But then he's saying, oh, I, oh my god, I had a vision, the shop's about to be attacked. And it turns out the shop and the borough have already been attacked, but then Grimmel Place hasn't yet, even though he saw them at basically the same time. And he realizes that not also 
kind of hinted that mm-hmm. watch out for your family. In such a catastrophic attack on the family, it levels the Weasley family. And no one's killed so many people almost were. And a lot of people would have been if not for Ron's ability to say. And mm-hmm. like, even, like, Lavender Brown doesn't pull any punches. I mean, she brings rape into the story a lot. And that's, it's obviously a really troubling um, plot point for a lot of people. But the fact that she brings it in makes it so much more of a realistic fic. Because when you have these awful, awful characters, like the Death Eaters and like Voldemort, and they don't go there, they seem kind of like the villains who wear twirly mustaches. Like, not real villains, like the made-for-TV villains. You're quasi-evil. You're semi-evil. You're the margarine of evil. So the fact they attack a pregnant woman is really mm-hmm. good. That was my first thought. And one of the things I think about this is I think Knot is so much more of a better villain than Malfoy, because with Malfoy, he also has that level of patheticness, that level of we've seen him be defeated time and time and time again, whereas Knot in the story really has almost that Dolores umbrage slime of evil, that undefeated so far arrogance and self-confidence that just makes them like that built you just want to you know rub that smile off their face you stupid bastard and you know that because these are the good guys they're not going to spell them because they want them close and even the point where he goes up against molly weasley you just love to hate this guy he's very well done for a villain and that was the first thing that jumped in my mind i had forgotten about these parts so when i did the reread he he essentially threatened ron and the minute all the attacks are happening like this is the, the fact that Ron didn't take the threat seriously, and I like the fact that the first thing Ron does is, of course, blame himself, because everyone in this fic is guilty. He blames himself. He saved everybody, but he's still pissed because he should have prevented the attack to begin with, so Ron just doesn't trust himself at all. Which, I kind of like that. I mean, I think it's rather consistent with Ron's character in that, you know, Ron really doesn't want to be the guy. You know, Ron wants to be the guy the guy counts on. He doesn't want to be, like, the important guy with all the responsibility and all the stuff, and as soon as he thing from not, he just dismisses it immediately, and just has absolutely no confidence in, in himself. Shows that he's just not quite as mature as he likes to think he is and as we like to think he is. And that no matter how much he's grown, there's still a lot more that he has to learn. So what you're yeah. telling me is that Ron is the Josh Lyman of the Harry Potter universe. I want to be the guy. You want to be the guy the guy counts on. You yes, I, I have. These quotes. I know these quotes. I know you know these quotes. And he's also badly injured in the abdomen. Just Yes, he <laughs> is. Oh, my God. He is Josh Lyman. He Lavender Brown is secretly him. putting the West Wing into... Ron was unfortunately shot in an assassination attempt on Harry's... Just a flesh wound. Harry's... What? I was trying to think of who the Harry's scheduler. I have no idea where the... <laughs> but anyway, I thought that that was a really good point. I like the fact that they compromised criminal place in the plot line. I still don't quite understand how that happened. They had Jordan under the Imperious Curse? Jordan was under the yes. Imperious Curse, so they compromised... And they were. They Dumbledore were memory charming, too. They didn't have a Fidelius right. anymore. But here's... Oh, well, see, right. Then Don't we get to see Lavender Brown's interpretation of the Fidelius charm because, okay, before Deathly Hallows, it was canon that if the, the secret keeper died, the Fidelius charm went with them. So that meant that... The moment that Dumbledore dies, Grimmel Place would lose its protection. No. It would keep its protection because only one person can tell where it is and he's dead. She said the secret dies with the secret keeper. Before right. Deathly Hallows, the first 
canon was that the secret guys are the secret keeper. Well, Joe Lane contradicted herself on the secret keeper, too. I know, I know, but but neither of what is true is what Lavender Brown did. She just, Julia just said that Grimald Place hadn't had no secret. I mean, Grimald Place was public. But Mm -hmm. wasn't there a point in there where they could reissue the Fidelius charm that that Professor McGonagall wouldn't leave it defenseless? Oh, yeah. Sorry, never mind. I would expect they did do that. Minerva was the secret keeper. Did Lee and Katie and them join after Dumbledore no, was dead. No, but Lee came for Christmas. Well, no. That was he let sense. in by hey. Dumbledore or was he let in by McGonagall? Dumbledore was dead at Christmas, wasn't he? So he was yeah. let in by McGonagall. They must was- have recast the Fidelius charm with her as the secret keeper. If they recast the Fidelius charm with her as the secret keeper, how was Lee able to tell the secret? He so didn't tell Lee? the secret. They no, were in the shop when they, he was attacked, and it doesn't say that they the Death Eaters were grabbing him in Grimmauld Place. I mean, no, the Death Eaters were buying Fred and George. Fred and George's. I cannot think of anyone's name. Okay. Their names are Fred and George. <laughs> please, please, Ed and Larry. Uh, Ed and Larry. Okay, so Larry and Ed are working with Lee, and, they're, and, they, and they have a whole lot of crap. They're, they're making the noxious gas, and the order is purchasing the noxious gas. So the noxious j- gas had been compromised, and it was set to explode. It was transferred to Grimmel Place under the assumption it would blow up order headquarters. But no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm re-contradicting myself, because the Death Eaters attacked Grimmel Place. Is that right? Because didn't they attack Fleur there? Right. Ron remembers the dream from Christmas. That's where he saw the explosion at number 12 Grimmel Place. It was in the vision that he saw just before Fred and George were attacked. And he tells McGonagall to get him out because he saw the explosion there. But it doesn't say, in this chapter at least, what exactly happened. Why? 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 Why Why would they do this? Yeah, I got, no, I actually got it here. He and Fleur, he meaning Bill, he and Fleur were on their way to headquarters and got ambushed. So it was a comprehensive strike on the Weasley family. Grimmel Place was attacked essentially with explosives. The burrow was destroyed. The burrow, everyone knows where it is. And, and Bill and Fleur were targeted because of who Bill is. So it doesn't, so okay, that makes a lot more sense. So yeah. They didn't get to headquarters. They didn't get to headquarters. They sent a bomb into headquarters and Ron told everyone to evacuate in time. Right. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, what does the Phileas no, Farm protect? No. Does it for protect somebody going into the Phileas building? Can you not figure out somehow that the headquarters of the Order is in this neighborhood? You know, I, I mean, like, thought that. I always thought it was very interesting. It's like Snape knows where Grimmel Place is, but he just can't tell someone. So I'm picturing him at the table going, mm-hmm. <laughs> like constipated, like trying. Yeah, to- I'm sure. No, really, that's it's like an unbelievable vow. I mean, you, you don't die from it, but you can't say. They attacked headquarters, Mr. Weasley said bravely, patting his daughter's hair. We got out just in time. Severus reached us right before the Death Eaters. I can't believe they found the place. We were so careful with keeping the location hidden. I think it means that they were were careful to not say that it's in this neighborhood. You know, I don't think... It actually mean that, I mean, the Death Eaters found us. That could mean the Death Eaters sent the bomb in. Yeah, but it says that Severus reached us right before the Death Eaters, so that implies that the Death Eaters were there. Does Grimmel Place actually come into play at all later in the story, or is that the last we see of Grimmel Place? I think that's. I think so that's what I'm it. saying. What I think it means. What I think there means is, you know, like Grimmel Place, like the street. Like they may have known that it was on this area because they had been observing Order members coming and going, but they couldn't get the house to appear because they didn't know the address. Oh, I didn't get that impression at all. Depending on whatever fic you read, Godric's Hollow has been everything from a town to a condominium complex. 
Yes, but if Voldemort knows that every Potter male has lived at Grimmauld Place since the 11th century, and he knows where it is, but they're under the Fidelius charm, does that mean he just can't see them there? That he forgets? In Order of the Phoenix, when they take Harry to Grimmauld Place for the first time, and Mad-Eye gives him the paper that Albus had written on, the house appears for Harry. He didn't see it before. I'm willing to bet you that the other members of the advance guard could see it when Harry couldn't before he read Albus's note. Okay, so what you're saying then, and this might make a lot of sense, is that the Fidelius charm creates an impenetrable shield around a person or a place. I'm invincible! Yeah. Well, not necessarily, because just don't forget, I'm sure there were other charms on 12 Grimald Place as well. What I think is, but I would expect the the other charms on it to look something like the charm on the Leaky Cauldron. Wizards can see, oh, there is a wizard house there. I'm sure that is common practice in the wizarding Mm. world, to have a hidden wizard house. Right. It's like that at Godric's Hollow, too. I think the exact thing that we saw in order was a result of the Fidelius charm. Well, anyway, you can make it work in this story at all, because you could argue that McGonagall is the new keeper of the Fidelius charm for Grimmel Place. She told Lee Jordan, as he was told about the secret keeper, he could share it with the others. He gave it to the Death Eaters. They set the bombs in first and tried to blow up Grimmel Place. No. So, if, you're share, if you have it shared with you by the secret keeper, you can't share it with the others. <laughs> Dumbledore's yeah. note. Moody couldn't just then. tell him. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It might work just as well to say that the charm is down, but nobody knows anyway because they haven't been advertising where they are. I'm going to assume that they blew up Grimmel Place and they blew up the borough and, and, and yep. they torched the borough and, and that's the storyline there. And it worked for a number of reasons. It showed just the complete and other attack on the Weasleys themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it set up a lot of really powerful moments going on, especially with Molly at the hospital later, just taking a beat to say, oh my god, everything that's happened to my boys and my family, and for Arthur to say, we all made it, and for one of the best lines in pretty much near the end of the story for some comic relief where you have Ron and friends outside of uh, Hogwarts near the end of the edge of the forest, and he's thinking about it, he's like, hmm, come to think of it, I'm homeless. <laughs> like, you just realize every place I've ever lived blew up. The Weasleys are such a huge part of the good side, and there's such a huge part of the story that they're going to be the targets, and one thing that was interesting was she didn't kill exponentially more interesting is she hurt them all, which is you want to read about a character who's been hurt and what it takes out of them versus the X well, 41 is the chapter where the rest of the Weasleys find out Ron's a seer. Because none yeah, of them knew such that. a good job of keeping the secret. Right. It never occurred to me before reading this scene that they didn't know. I had never thought about the fact that they didn't know before this scene. Well, it's handled much better than Ginny's empath abilities, because it was actually a throwaway line later on when they comment on the fact that she's an empath, and then in like parentheses, they're like, oh, we just found out, you know, I can't believe it, isn't it wonderful? And then they move on. <laughs> it's like, we didn't have time to put that scene in, but they focused on Ron and mm-hmm. in McGonagall's office. I was amused a little bit later, too, that, oh, when they're planning the big attack on the Ministry, Draco is being in Ron's face, and... How did you figure out all this stuff? What, are you a seer now? And everyone sort of goes, uh, well. Uh, about that. <laughs> there's some awkward moments with that, because there's a point later on, the scene with Pansy and Lucius and, and, and Harry and Draco. When they're in the scene at the servants' quarters at Malfoy Manor, Harry makes a comment about Ron having seen something. And Lucius is like, what about that? What, what'd you say? And he's like, I'm talking to Pansy. And he just moves on. And then he makes, he almost like catches himself like, oh crap, don't mention that. But then he makes like six more comments about predictions that Ron had. So it was 
kind of weird. It's like we're keeping it a secret, but we're going to talk very loudly about it in public places. So I thought that was... It's funny. Whenever these things come up, you have to stop and recall that this is a fantasy series, and these people live in the wizarding world, and they can open doors with the sticks in their hand, and they can kill people by saying bad words. And it's not like our world, because when Ron started talking about being a seer, the first thing I thought was they were all going to think he's nuts. You're a loony. Or they're all stubborn, so either Bill or Charlie will just instantly not believe them, and they'll do the thing that they do in most stories, where they just are asses until one of the kids says, I'm a grown-up now and you will listen to me. And they accepted it pretty fast, which, I mean, was fine for the plot. I was just, for whatever reason, I was expecting it to go there, and it didn't. I'm actually really happy that it didn't go there. I mean, there are only so many times you can read that in a fic without being like, alright, we get it. He's the youngest son. Okay, enough. By and this like point, the they have ample proof that there is a seer. They just didn't know it was Ron. But I like that it was Hermione that defended him, kind of told the family about it, because he was so upset with himself that he really couldn't. He, he said, I'm the seer, but then she kind of took over and told them all about it. Which I think was good, because I wrote down in my notes, Hermione totally pones Ron. Good. Let's see if it works. I'm getting a little tired of Ron pulling the non-confidence act. Your depression is boring me, for one thing, and it's actually making me a little depressed, which is then in turn making me more depressed, that you're actually affecting my mood. I prefer non-confidence to him being a stubborn jackass. You're going to either be guilty, you're either going to have low self-esteem, or you're going to be, get away from my baby sister, Jenny, go back to your room and play with your dolls. Non-confidence is probably one of the least annoying ones you can have. Ron has matured a lot. He's worked very, very hard, but he still has a long way to go. It's just a reminder that, you know, no matter how adult these people seem, they are still 17. Oh, I think he comes tremendously far in the story, though. I actually was I was thinking about... Oh, he does. Like, oh, yeah. Begin, and that's and like several times in my notes. Yeah, and it's and good. Usually when you read these things, he either comes very far and it's like a magical transformation. Like you saw Hermione's hair through the sunlight and the radiant breeze swept across her supple breast or whatever. I mean, it's like this moment where it's like, oh, and he's all of a sudden a man. The thing with this story is it starts off with him having butterflies in his stomach that she's coming to spend the summer, and their biggest worry is, will she fall off her broom? And it ends at this moment where he literally is coming back from the dead because he's not leaving her behind. They did this on Babylon 5. See? I haven't gone there yet tonight, have I? They had, at the end of the last episode, when they ran the credits, they showed each character in a split screen. And on the left side, they showed the first time you saw the character, and on the right side, they showed the last time in the series you saw the character. And you could really just like see the story on their face and see how far they came and how different they were from beginning to end. Ron really, really comes very far. And it, the scene that really hit me was from the last group of chapters where Mr. Granger is giving him the talk about, you know, 17-year-olds falling in love. And it's very passionate and it's very powerful and it's very new, but it's going to end. And that's not the person you're going to the rest of your life with. And you have bright futures ahead of you and don't get too caught up in it. Ron, for all intents and purposes, is, is an adult and he has the responsibility of an adult, and he does things that grown men can't do. So I just wanted to make sure I got that in there tonight, just how different this Ron is from Canon Ron. Not saying I don't like Canon Ron, but they took very, very, very different journeys. This is the Ron I thought I was going to get in Deathly Hallows. I really did, and I didn't. This is the Ron I wish I got in Deathly Hallows. This is a, a very small thing, but I like small things. They send in their applications, and Harry sends in his application, a backup thing, to be a teacher. And I really wish that he would become a teacher. I'd like Teacher Harry, because he would make a good teacher. Yeah, it depends. I think, in some ways, 
ways, it's good that he doesn't right away. That's something he needs to get confidence about. He doesn't have the idea that he could be a teacher. Having a little bit more life experience before he gets to that is sort of helpful for him, I think. The journey for Harry is whether or not he's, and, and I think Lavender Brown does it very well in these chapters, has he done enough for King and Country? Has he done his saving the world thing and now it's time to relax? Or is saving the world thing his mission in life and he could never just relax? I mean, those are the really two strong branches that you can have, Quidditch player or, or professor of defense against the dark arts. That's kind of in the middle. It's it's half fun and it's half serious. And sometimes it's not bold enough to be a solution for him. So often what you see, and I think you see other in the canon too, they'll throw a line about he'll be a temporary professor or he'll be like an adjunct professor or he'll come in and give a couple speeches or a couple of demonstrations once a year or so. He'll kind of dabble in it. But you don't really, or at least I don't really see a lot of stories where that's his thing. A line that I noticed in this chapter and then a couple chapters on is there's at least twice where suddenly everything clunked in Harry's mind. And he figures out the big theory. And I wish I, my mind worked like that. Like, the, like yeah. I can't pull that stuff together. Hey, wait, well, you guys I, are going to have to remind me. What's the big theory? At this point, the Chapter 41 big theory is that Lucius Malfoy planned all the oh, right, right, right. attacks. Well, I call that the previously on Final Reckoning moments because there's so much block going on sometimes. I'm like, okay, who's the mole again? So I need to be reminded. They had previously uncovered the Vecos, which I desperately needed. So I was literally like Lupin literally looked dead in the camera and went previously on Covenant of Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very. There was so much going on in that plot. You know, it was the entire thing with Goyle and who's Goyle, and there could only be one Goyle. And we get into the Cling Foil, the great Cling Foil debate, and it takes them seven chapters to figure out what Cling Foil is. And you have Lucius Malfoy slipping onto school grounds, the who the imposter is, and how they get the sword and things, which is in a few chapters later here. Right. I was really shocked when I read that the first time, who the mole was. Oh my god, I know. There were so many clues for it. Because it's interesting, I did the same thing when I read Melinda's fic. When yeah. you know who the bad guy is and you read it, it's painfully obvious, but you would have no earthly idea if you were just... His new theory is about the giant attack in Hogsmeade. There's a whole bunch of confusion, and to make them think that... Malfoy's actually the imposter getting in and out, but really there's another imposter and they just picked up the sword earlier and then handed it off to Malfoy and not. These kids are brilliant. I'm sorry. I, I've had it explained to me three times. I still am not following all the salient details. So I'm I know. Really impressed with these yeah. And the problem is they're so brilliant, they could devote half their time to just solving the world's problems. They would be fine, but they also have to study for news. Later on, Harry makes a really interesting point that Lucius is actually more evil than Vol. Voldemort, which I thought was an interesting way for the story to go. The one part about it I didn't like was when he says that Lucius is so much more detached than Voldemort, and Voldemort, he gets pissed off at people, and he overreacts. It's no hassle. But, um, all I'm saying, they're gonna get a... I, I'm just... Which, which... Knock, knock. Who's that? Lush. Let me tell you a little story about a man named... Even before you start... That was a preemptive shh. Just know I have a whole bag of shh with your name on it. And goes after things with personal vendettas, whereas Lucius doesn't do that. I'm like, well, he technically torched the Weasley property. Um, 41 is basically Ron working himself into a stupor trying to find the twins. Now, can I just say, that's what I call a stupor. Now, I, and, and I was pissed later because Ron, he, he's obsessive-compulsive about the twins. 
He doesn't seem to really care that Ginny was abducted, and, I, and obviously he cares, but his level of caring was was vastly uneven when it was the twins. I think he got a rash. He was so upset. Like, there was sweat pouring off him. It was disgusting, and it smelled bad. With the twins, he, he doesn't sleep, and he just uses his tactile. It's like, there's touching involved. So he <laughs> locates the twins, and luckily, it happens off-screen, because we can see Harry and Ginny in bed together, because, quite frankly, there is not enough sex in the story. Their knickers, you got to put that in there. They were in their knickers, and Harry did not want her to take her bra off. Well, actually, that's a big fat lie. He wanted yeah. to take her bra off. He did not want her to put it back on. And I love that Harry is literally a six-year-old in this. He's like, I want to touch them. <laughs> but the one part I did like was when Hermione bursts in. They don't seem to be like, holy crap, we have no clothes on. And she doesn't seem to be, holy crap, they don't have clothes on. And I like that. I like the fact that they're such good friends. Everybody's I love the ladies that are naked by this point anyway. This, yeah. like the more of them, the friendship. That's something I had in my notes. It's because okay. it's, it's yeah. so. I sometimes have a hard time buying Ginny as a fourth wheel of the trio, mm-hmm. but in this, I love it. I love that the trio becomes this little foursome. There was mm-hmm. a scene in uh, Paradigm of Uncertainty, like Harry and Hermione are in bed naked together, and Ron comes running in, and they jump out of bed naked because he saw in, he saw a burglar in a bush, and he's all frightened. Like Harry jumps out the window in a burglar. I think it was a mailman who got lost. But it, it's the point where I should feel something here, but I'm just so scared. I'm glad they're here. So I did like the fact that they're essentially at the stage where Hermione could, like, throw up and they'd hold her hair. Now look what happened. So I, I thought that was really good. The one thing which I thought was hysterical, your brothers have been abducted by Voldemort and they're being whipped. And your home is destroyed and the Malfoys froze their assets and, like, Arthur got a flat tire on his way to work. They're found. So let's talk about Fred and George. And all we were getting from the story was that Ron is very tired. I'm like, so I'm like, okay, Ron is sleepy. But all anyone wants to do is talk to Ron. I'm like, let him sleep. You just found your brothers. They were on America's Most Wanted. They were on Solved Mysteries. We found them. Go, they go to McGonagall's office and tell us about Ron. And she's like, well, he's going to be asleep for a very long time. Oh god, poor Ron! I'll even go for my notes. I don't like the dialogue and the conversation with McGonagall. Hermione comes across crying that Ron found the twins and collapsed. They go to the hospital wing. He's resting. They go to McGonagall's office, and they say that he found them, reported their location, and collapsed, and everyone is shocked that he collapsed and pushed himself too far, and McGonagall just got back from a meeting with friends, and who the hell cares? Where the hell are the twins? <laughs> and then later, Ron may one day eat solid foods again. What about the twins? <laughs> two minutes and 52 seconds into my reading, McGonagall mentions, we found the twins. Ginny gasps. It's like the scene from Star Trek The Next Generation. Three. Season four. Remember me, the one where Beverly Crusher is caught in the static warp bubble. She's in an alternate universe, and the only one who can save her is her kid. So it's her kid and the special guest star. So her kid is, like, risking his life, and he's dying, and he's dying doing this thing to get his mom back, and the special guest star gets, like, a headache. And mom flashes into the room, she's been saved, and kid drops to the ground in exhaustion. And mom is, like, hugging 
the chambermaid and hugging the janitor, and she's walking the rope line, and her kid is, like, laying on the ground, panting, begging for a cup of water. And then the special guest star steps over her kid, hugs her, and, like, no one goes over to get him. Like, I felt like that. Ron knows where they are, but they don't know whether he's told anyone or whether they can get to them. So the gasping bit is that, yes, the Aurors actually went there and found them, and they're still there. It's one of the few moments in the story where I just didn't feel it was very natural. Like, I feel like I could have used a second edit. The twins, they're alive. They're in the emergency room at St. Mungo's. We don't know anything yet. We have no information. Okay, what information do you have about Ron? Then transition over to Ron, because he's here. We can talk about him. Literally, the only way I can describe it is it's if you send in a, like a commando team to rescue a hostage, there's gunfire involved, and all you ask about is who on the commando team was shot, did they make it? And you never think to ask, by the way, did you get the guy out? You know what I mean? It just seems like that would be one of the first questions you'd ask. And there was another line in there, too, that I actually referenced here, that it just it seemed very weird. Now, where it did really make sense was when we go to St. Mungo's, Fred was badly tortured, and he may lose an arm. And George is essentially in the exact same state that Alice and Frank Longbottom are in. He was tortured just so badly that they broke him. And it's this awful, awful news, coupled with the fact that Ron's in a coma, coupled with the fact that they just lost everything they own, coupled with the fact that Fleur may lose the baby. It's probably the most down moment we have with the Weasley family in the entire series of books. You know, I just want to say something about this. Like, a lot of times when it's like one bat, one after another, after another, after another, after another, it gets a little bit overkill, but Lavender Brown, I think, handled it really well, and it didn't seem like too much for me. You know, it didn't seem like satire or anything. Like, I legit felt horrendous for the Weasleys. You know what I mean? Like, it was really well done. It wasn't... Well, it was the psychological attack. There's yeah, and it worked. To, yeah, yeah, there's attacks that inflict just random damage, and there's psychological attacks where the person is trying to make you suffer, and it was that. Which is why I disagreed with, as I said, the story later on when you try and make it out that Lucius is a cold automaton who doesn't let personal feelings cloud his judgment. He obviously does because he orchestrated such a horrific attack on the Weasleys here. And it's it's very hopeless. It's no one really believes that George will bounce out of it. No one, you know, Fred can live without an arm, but, jo- but George is gone. And then Harry has the inspiration he needs to get back to see Neville because Neville's working on the potion. And that brings Neville more into the storyline. But it's, it's just a very hopeless moment where you know everyone's blaming everyone else and this is this is what they do and we get into the scenes like Scott was saying earlier where Ron is realizing that he's being manipulated as a seer and he is focusing so much on Fred and George that other pieces are being moved he can't see you know the attack being planned because he's focusing on something else and now he's out of commission for a week because he exhausted himself trying to find Fred and George so everything is just building 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 the thing with this one is it kind of makes sense that it's meant to be an attack on all all of them, that's what was planned. It's not the same as one chapter, the twins are attacked. The next chapter, Percy's attacked. The next chapter, Bill's attacked. They're sort of going down the list or something. Right, which again is one of the reasons why it works so well. It really annoyed me. It was really dumb of Harry to go get Neville. Why? He's the one inventing why the potion. He's got all the I notes. know, I know, yeah, I know. But he just jumps out of there and like runs like the Dickens to go get Neville. Yeah, and that's a bad idea. You would rather George end up just- like Frank and Alice? I know he. What's the the way Harry did? It. I mean, he got them all in trouble. I mean, he just jumps and runs out of nowhere to do this. Like it, it just happened so fast. Yeah, because but he's I think the only that... one who knew about the potion. Like um, Neville told him he was working on this, and he or he figured it out, and he sort of kept that secret from everyone else for half the fic, and then right. 
it comes in useful at this point. Right, and even if he even if he had gone more slowly, Neville still broke like fifteen thousand laws. I mean, he yeah. he was going to get in trouble anyway. So I don't think the Harry it, running it, off it at the speed of it light. Seems really, really rash. I mean, but then again, I guess Harry is rash. It just it bugged me, but again, I guess it's keeping yeah. with Harry's rashness. Yeah. I was amused by Harry bursting in on Neville and Luna because they keep doing that in these stories. Yes. And then yeah. in two or three chapters, Neville gets to burst in on Harry and Ginny, sort of turn about, you know. He didn't quite, you know, he said he had to go to Neville, and, and Rima said no. And so when he ran away, he didn't run for Neville, he ran for Augustus Pye. And he no, ran I, to... I, like, I really like this guy, this Augustus guy. He's really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like him a lot. He he has a good head on his shoulders and is a you know awesome healer. Just sort of hearing about him, I don't remember where he shows up in actual canon, but hearing about him he's, earlier he's, in the fic. He's the one that tries to do stitches on Arthur, and it doesn't work. Okay. Right. He, he, was, the, he was the trainee. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. I expected he actually was a healer, and so, so then... Neville wouldn't have got in trouble that way because he was actually working for and with a registered healer person. But then Augustus turns out to be like Wendy himself. And well, by this point, I'm sure. Like, one thing about Augustus Pye, which I thought was interesting, was when Harry realizes it's Neville. He's like, I need to get to Hogwarts. I need to get to Neville. He's like, no. <laughs> Harry runs for it. And there's like Sorry. a scene from Love Actually where Harry's <laughs> running down the hallway looking over his shoulder and everyone's chasing him. He takes 20 times longer to to not tell them what's up. Like, couldn't he just say, I think I know a way to save George's life? Yeah, yeah, but I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, he just goes running off for no reason, and they're like, they all think, oh, well, Harry's just splitting out on us, even though George is crazy, dead, or whatever. Jenny's got, like, a stitch in her side, and she's like, <laughs> and she's, like, chasing them down the hallway. Well, the other thing that cracked me up is, you read about Augustus Pine, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like a fascinating little research project he had going on with Neville here. I forget the name of the, of the head healer. Healer Smethwick. Smethwick. When when the healer is talking to everybody, he's got he's like, Gus's pie there and Neville there and everyone there. He's like, well, you know, I'm very disappointed in you. You broke federal law, broke into St. Marcos, <laughs> and you embezzled 18 million dollars. <laughs> you robbed the orphans. Jesus Christ, Neville, what the hell are you doing? I thought you were doing like a school project. He's like, I should tell Headmistress McGonagall what you've been up to. I'm like, she doesn't know. I thought this was like a class project. Neville, I had no idea you're a criminal. <laughs> yeah, see, I thought it was silly that like he like goes through this whole like refugees like Neville, you could never become a healer and Augustus, you're gonna be fired. And then it's like Neville, you can be a healer. It's all nice and rosy. Yeah, well he's on probation for a little while, right? It's because it worked. Basically, well, good news and bad news. Good news, George will be able to speak and eat solid foods. Bad news, Neville's doing 42 months of minimum security prison. <laughs> it's like, what? Really? And he's like, oh, it's all right. Don't worry. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Neville's the guy from Monty Python in the Chevy Chase European Vacation movie. Keeps getting hit by Chevy Chase's car and keeps saying, oh, don't worry about it. Happens all the time. And he's just so nice. And Neville's prize is getting to fly on the fireball and fall off three times. And um, yeah. and I just, that's enough flying for him for the next seven years. And yeah. <laughs> Then when Healer Dobbs comes back in finally and, and says that they've managed to stop the gangrene in Fred's arm and they've saved Fred's arm. So Can I just say, 
that it, it seems to me that she, like, she sets up all this, like, suspense and drama, and there's no negative payoff. She's like, oh, this person might die, but they're alive! Fred might lose his arm, but he won't. And it seems like well, if you're so, writing a story like else. this, you should be able to make some sort of, like, sacrifice and have something actually happen. It's more of a case of misdirection. Fred's gonna lose an arm, they save the arm. Percy's gonna die, he gets a limp. Um, Fleur's gonna lose the baby, she gets bedrock. You know, Neville's gonna go to the minimum security prison, gets a slap on the wrist. But while you're worrying about all these characters, oh, by the way, half of Hogwarts dies. <laughs> that you weren't expecting because there's mass casualties in the attack. And I think you kind of get the payoff. And plus, you just have characters who are totally so screwed up by the end of the story, they wish they were dead. And one of the things I actually like the most is that there is usually a price tag. Harry wins, but does he? Because he mm-hmm. wins. It's the only story I've read where Harry wins and he still wants to jump. Oh, I love that. That was just so wonderful. Like those last two chapters. I really, really, really loved that Harry was just completely broken by the end of the war, even though everybody lived, even though Voldemort's gone, he was just a mess, and he still wanted to jump. And I just, I, I loved that. But it's I, like after the end. Everybody lives, yeah. but he still wants to jump. Nightmare Futures Past, you could see why he wanted to jump. It's not that. One thing I okay. wanted to just add, when we found out that Fred had some gangrene in his arm, and I just worked out in my notes, gangrene? What are we, a nom? I just thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, like the, the medicine is interesting. Yeah. We're expecting all Alan Alda to come running in. Odd things, and they have giant sinister needles. And oh, I like the part later on in the story where Ron gets the shot from the giant syringe. He's like, what's that? Like, he's so sedative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? Because I'm missing a sedative now. Well, that's like where Draco has a hissy fit just because they killed his former girlfriend. And he, he's flipping out and like, they like take the giant needle. He's like, ah! And he's like crying like it's my child. <laughs> <laughs> and P.S. apparently laughs. <laughs> Sorry. It's just the way you the way you said it was just so funny. I go, ah! <laughs> yeah. I made that noise at work. I have a boss and she's standing right behind me and I don't know if she's there. So I'm talking to someone in their office, not realizing she's standing behind me. And I didn't say anything bad, but I wouldn't have said what I said if I knew she was there. And I turned around and my exact response was ah! and she didn't get that you don't stand that close to someone if they have a meeting. So then and everyone walks around eggshells and I'm just so flabbergasted. I'm like, Can't you wear a bell? So I like the fact that uh, Nod threatens Ginny when they finally get back to Hogwarts and they're in the Great Hall and he says, well, all of your male family members have scars or something to remember us by, except you, Ginny. Hmm, I guess you're next, kind of a thing. I can't thing. remember whose perspective that is, but they, they directly think that you don't know Ginny well enough to think that she has no scars from any of this. Voldemort is left all of your siblings with scars except Ginny, and whoever was thinks that's just a ridiculous thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Blaze and Daphne come in yeah. and stop. I like that they're the ones that make him back off. That yeah. We have Blaze and Daphne, the not evil Slytherins, you know, in this yeah. one. It was nice to see some Slytherins actually taking a stand for the right side, because like, I'm sure like they do it in canon, but we don't see it. So I really enjoyed that Slytherins have finally stopped saying, uh, it's not very political, 
maybe your families, yada, yada. They were finally just like, no, this is wrong, and we're going to stand up to it. And I really liked that a lot. The fact, too, that Not took on Molly Weasley. Well, pretty much the Weasleys are the only real adults that have regular contact with teachers, so it's interesting to see a junior Death Eater, quote-unquote, take on Molly. And the only other time I can think of it is in a fic called Points of No Return by Night Zephyr, where you have... Draco make a snide remark to Molly about Ron and Ginny, who are both missing at that point, and she literally belts something so I, oh, I wish Molly had done that to not in this thing. Well, oh, you know, it's, you're going after Molly Weasley at a time when her entire family was nearly just wiped out today. So on some level, she's mama bear enraged, and on some level, she's incredibly vulnerable. So I actually thought it was interesting when McGonagall walked up, and picturing McGonagall's this like, old woman in her late 70s, and he actually was much more intimidated of her. And there's an interesting dynamic with not here, where he knows that he's going to be called on by Voldemort to do greater things soon, so he's biding his time. But it's like when Ron gives him detention, he's like, sure, I'll do it. What the hell? Like, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care about points. He doesn't care about detention. They're all past that now. And then they go out to the greenhouses to talk, and Blaze and Daphne let them know that he's been sneaking out, and that they've followed him, but they can't get through the wards or whatever it is that are blocking him. And Blaze reveals the unknown language from earlier is actually German, which Mm -hmm. comes in later. I thought it was kind of dumb that Ron didn't recognize that it was German, that he was just like, oh, it's a foreign language. Well, it's Ron. You wouldn't necessarily... The, yeah, why is that the most the, cultured tool in the shed? Like, their reactions to the Bulgarian minister at the Quidditch World Cup, for example, they all just think it's gobbledygook. They don't know what... He doesn't know anything about when they meet the French girls in the forest. He doesn't know it's French, necessarily. It's Hermione that figures that out. But yeah, I remember that I really liked that whole conversation where they told them about it, where they were sitting there going, well, we figured it was Goyle. The man is dumber than a sack of hammers. And they're like, oh, this time you need to tell us. And they're like, it's Goyle. We figured he was off shagging someone. And I remember I wrote this down in my notes that I think it was Blaze who said that he was sneaking off for, quote, a bit of how's your father, close quote. <laughs> well, was I the only one who didn't think that Goyle was smart enough to know how to do it? <laughs> that was my response. Like, really? Goyle? Really? I didn't I didn't realize there was an intelligence level for that. I thought that was kind of instinct. Look, allow me to rephrase. I didn't think he could find his way into town. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when he gets there, maybe, you know, there's some type of nature versus nurture instinct. <laughs> Give him a flashlight and a map. Three in the morning, he's banging on Hagrid's door. Do you know which way I'm supposed to go? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Ryan? I must confess that I did not think about that because I was too busy laughing at the phrase, a bit of how's your father. <laughs> Well, then I have to think about the origin of the phrase. No, I, don't I don't want to. Ron gets so upset, and everyone's like, it's Goyle. Seriously, when the choices are Goyle's a criminal mastermind, the Goyle's sneaking out for a bit of fun. Yeah. We just completed Death Roll's fic, and I like a picture is, there was a man of action, and his name was Gregory Goyle. Brian, don't do that when I have tea in my mouth. <laughs> Goyle, as it turns out, he's this really smart character, but he just lacks self-confidence or whatever, so he never talks. So there's a scene, they're doing a retelling from Sorcerer's Stone, where Quirrell's jinxing Harry's room, and the Slytherins see him do it. And they're like, oh my god, someone needs to get over there and stop them, and all you hear is, there was a man of action, and his name was Gregory Goyle, and Goyle's like, he's like diving over, and he like lights them all on fire and saves them. So he does that. Now in this one, he's apparently a ladies' man with a smoking jacket, according to them. All I can picture is, in a year like none other, he's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Great. Did you guys hear about our, um, this is a little bit off topic, but did you guys hear about the our New Year's 
pact because that Ray, Shoshana, and Cody would read after the end, and I have to read a year like none other. Yeah, so that's next on my fan um, list. A year like none other is it's very well written. The plot just drags a bit. Yeah, I tried, and it was just way too slow for me. I'm not the queen of fast plot movement stories, mm-hmm. but it was way too slow. Harry is like ten years old throughout. Well, it's like in this one, Harry's shagging everything that can move, and in that one, he doesn't know how it works. So, no tear. No, I actually enjoy it because Aston obviously is, is a good writer. You know, scathed. To some <laughs> no, actually, uh, I'm sorry. I just I got the scathed right in person when I went out to Kansas last year. Like the drive from the airport to Cheese House is about two and a half hours, and a good portion of that was the scathed rant. <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> awesome. Oh boy. Oh god. She can't wait to see you again next March. This March. Well, maybe by the time this come out, I'll already be in your apartment. But still. Probably be there listening to it live. For some reason, in that thread, I was like, and I'll read after the end. You should. It's like this one. Or without as much sex. Which one? Well, there is sex. It, it's, like, oh, it's like, it's like, it's like, I like imagine you pointing, and I can't see you pointing, but you mean this. Of course. Oh, I was pointing. It's it's like Morgan Le Fay Final Reckoning. Some of the plot, this, she... This? Thick is definitely one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. In fact, there are a couple of plot elements that Lavender sort of lifted from Arabella and Anya, so I think you'll like it a lot. And now that you're an HG shipper, you can appreciate it. I mean, I've started it, but, like, it always kind of petered out. Do you you ever get that where it's like, there's some... Some... Book or fic, you like keep taking running leaps at, and you just never crack anywhere through. Like I always start at the beginning, and I always peter out like around like chapter five. <sighs> you have to just sit down and decide. I am reading this fic. And no matter how slow it gets, you just have to keep reading. Because I promise, it, I mean, the first couple chapters are a little bit slow, but it does pick up. Left them in a bar, and Ron is a bartender. And, uh... I will say, after the end starts in year eight, the story, while it's two years, it, I think it does a better job. After the end is a flashback show. Ron wakes up, and he's very groggy. In my notes say, oh, Ron's on Wizarding Vicodin. Oh, Vicodin. <laughs> I wonder like, if there's anything in the wizarding world that makes you be crazy like that. Well, um, Ron is always complaining that the dreamless sleep potion makes him feel groggy. I was just supposed to say, read anything by Melinda Leo. I mean, Harry's like that once a fic. Can I just say, I thought it was interesting about that scene that Hermione and Harry, if I'm recalling this one correctly, they spend the whole night with him there. Hermione yeah, all three of them do. Yeah. If that was a rule, Hermione and Ron never would have moved out during the year, because Harry's always in there for two weeks at a time. Easy. And it always seems like they get booted every night at 7.30. I thought that was interesting. That they- It does say in the story, it's like, Madame Pomfrey's like, I'm going to kick you guys out, but then she doesn't, because... They all fall asleep in the chairs or whatever, and they're so... Aww. Oh, and Ron's drunk, sad that he forgot to uh, get Fred and George a birthday present while he was saving them from wherever they were trapped in. If I can channel Jen right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad that someone actually asked how Fred and George sucks. Mm-hmm. First thing, he wakes up, oh, Fred and George, and everyone else is like, oh. <laughs> Well, he passed out thinking about them, so they're still fresh in his mind when he woke up. And he's got troubles because he has to do nothing, and he's not allowed to meditate for a week, and it's terribly itchy for him. By the way, I have to give Malfoy credit. I mean, if the plan was to distract Ron and put him out of commission, they did a good job. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I like to give Malfoy credit for anything ever. The point, have, have they figured out that it's Ron? Like, did they target the Weasleys because they knew they were his brothers? Or were they just going to no. hit anybody in the order because they knew there was a seer? Ron thinks that they knew it was him, and that's why they were attacking all the Weasleys. But then they have this theory that maybe Malfoy just attacked all the Weasleys because he hates Weasleys. This is a Ron-centric story. I expected Ron and Deathly Hallows to be kind of the bookend Ron from Sorcerer's Stone, whereas he on the chessboard sacrifices himself for Harry in the first book, that he would make an ultimate sacrifice for Harry last book, or he that tactician that Harry needs to get close to the end, which is what he is in Final Reckoning. Whereas in the canon, I thought the bookend was more Goblet of Fire, and it was the bookends to the fight over put Harry's name in the goblet. Whereas that was just, you know, a very microcosm fight. He has a macrocosm fight, and he literally walks out in the Deathly Hallows. So I thought Canon Ron was defined by his weakness, whereas Final Reckoning Ron was more defined by his strength. And towards that, I really liked the scene with Professor Hopkirk, where she comments that while Harry is a more exceptional student than Ron is, in terms of defense against the Dark Arts, she really takes a point and a moment to really commend Ron on what he's capable of and how good he really is and what a great horror he would be. You know, we have to remember that the canon is told through Harry's perspective. We don't get to see as much of Ron's inner thoughts. We don't get to see him brooding on his strengths. We don't get to see how other people think of him except for Harry. So, I mean, it's partially because of that. But I also think that you're right, that it is nice to see Ron finally recognized for being the awesome dude that he is. He's so much more adult in the story, and it's obviously because of Hermione's influence, but he really does grow so much. I like reading about him, and for me to say that, you know, we're going places here. It's bad when Ron's the villain in my stories which are usually Harry Jim stories. It was nice to see Ron finally apply himself and realize that full potential, because I think one of the things that I really love about Ken and Ron is that, you know, like, he just has so much potential, but you don't really see him tap into it much, but in this one we really do. We really see him, like, apply himself and put his mind towards becoming an Auror and really become more goal-oriented, which has got Hermione's fingerprints all over it. I enjoyed that a lot. We have Harry playing around with the potion, which I defined as it's half potion and half oculomancy, and usually every fic has a thing. Either defeat the Horcrux, or in some fics I read it's the love potion. I, I, I picture it comes with a disco ball where Harry love Voldemort. Love and Voldemort potion number nine. Yeah, this one is essentially it's part oculomancy and it's part strengthening of Harry's powers, and it's modeled after the blood protection. It's, it's the quote-unquote ultimate potion. It's the Gary Stu potion. This potion kind of reminded me of what it felt like to be a Patronus. Oh, that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. sort of like all these only happy memories and happy things and all this power of of love and yada yada. And I was like, oh, that must be what it's like to be a Patronus. Cool. Where Harry sees the visual of the orphans destroying the only picture of Tom Riddle's mother. You feel so bad for him. And then his black eyes gleam in anger. And all of a sudden you're like, ooh, someone needs a 504 plan. <laughs> this kid's getting off track. Ooh, foreshadowing. And they keep doing the uh, thing from the sixth movie trailer where you've got young Tom's face and then flash of Voldemort and then back to wherever Harry's standing at. Scott, I like that you are the only person in the world besides Joe Rowling who calls him Voldemort. I have to notice yeah. that. I'm gonna I got it from the Scholastic website back when there was only one book. Voldemort. Voldemort. Well, there were three, actually, I guess. But, Voldemort. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say that because now. Because it's French. I'm going to train myself. Flight of Death. More. Is, there isn't a T in when you right, say it right, in French. Right, right, right. Oh, that's right. It's like Colbert. Well, that's what that's for, like Colbert. Except it's Colbert. <laughs> yeah. Only if you're that con- the congresswoman from D.C. Oh, Eleanor Holmes, something or other. Yeah, something like that. Stephen Colbert was going, well, it's the United States. 
and DC is not a state, it's a district. And she's like, Mr. Colbert, are you suggesting that our nation's capital is not a part of our nation? And he's like, but it says the United States. <laughs> the whole thing was so funny. The United States in one district. Uh, there's more than one district. I think Guam's on our side. Guam's not a district. Guam is a territory. Yes, it is. Careful, Scott. You could be next. I would like to bring up here, I brought this up in our failed attempt to podcast last week, so I forget here who has heard it. I had the prediction, going through these chapters, that the spy, that the mole, was one Dean Thomas. And I will tell you why. Hmm. Dean has a relationship with Ginny. does not go well. They break up. When Dean tries out for the Quidditch team, he becomes the backup seeker. He seems bummed out. He seems not happy. He seems not passionate. He seems like the guy at the office you kind of keep an eye on because he's the one who will come in and shoot the place up. So I've had my eye on Dean. Now, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, all right, let's look at Dean's daily schedule and see if we can spot any moments where the dark side would try and recruit him, okay? So Dean wakes up. He gets a bite to eat. He showers. He goes to class. He comes home. The normal life. Dean is having a very normal life. He gets ready for bed, he brushes up, he washes his face, combs his hair, gets ready for bed. Now he goes into the bedroom, and in, in the bed immediately next to him are Lavender and Seamus, and they're spooning, and they're both wearing female undergarments. Now we go to the next bed over, and Neville and Luna are there, and they are also spooning. They are wearing pink pajamas, because of a previous fic I read where, where Luna was into pink. Then in the next bed, you have the rotting corpse of Albus Dumbledore, because that's where Ron used to sleep, because they didn't give him a funeral. They just shoved his body in there. <laughs> so then you go to the next bed over. You missed an episode there, Julia. So then you go to Harry's four-poster. The shades are drawn shut, so you can't see in, and there's a silencio charm. And aside from the fact that you can see the silhouette of Harry and Ginny having sex on the inside. You would never know anything's going on in there. Dean is the only single guy in the room. He's Mike. He's Mike his freshman year in college, where the roommates were having sex in the next bed every night, and he's just laying there trying to read a National Geographic and put it out of his mind. Dean is ready to jump ship. It was either him or Terry Boot. The one splinched off his nuts. You know what? I figured he got laughed at a lot, and he found out who his friends were. But that was just the joke I was reading here. Harry and Jimmy were half naked and doing all these things. I'm like, what the Neville sleeps three feet from you. There's no way this this little charm keeps out all that noise. I'm sorry. It does not happen. Just say it would be a lot easier if they could go into the girls' dormitory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where there's no one. No one yeah, is where it's empty. Doesn't provide end up with Dean? Thank you, Julie. I got that impression last Eventually. When I read it, I seemed like it seemed to me like Parvati and Dean were had a thing going. This over here shoots me down. Hmm. Yeah, I think Dean is getting some from Parvati. This early though? I uh, definitely worried about the wedding. I do not I honestly have to say I never spent much time trying to figure that out. It says that they went to the library together or something. Oh well clearly oh, they're well, they must be sleeping together because <laughs> If they went to the library together, they must be having. Yes, read between the. They went to the library together. There is a lot of that in this fic, though. I was I was amused. There's um, Ron sort of. They have a whole paragraph in here where Ron's thinking about all the things that are horrible and how Snape is a git to Harry and he shouldn't be there with the potion and and Hermione hates him being an Auror and it's all terrible and then he says. Well, at least my sex life is still good. <laughs> There's a moment in the chapters where Hermione is trying to work through her anger with herself, and it bothered her that it didn't bother her that she killed someone. I think she was upset about world peace. So her way of dealing with it was to have more and more sex, and Ron's response is, I feel used, but who am I to complain? 
I have a comment in my notes here. Harry and Ginny are stripped to their knickers. HG fem slash rules. <laughs> I did like the part where Ron is told that Neville is the one who may possibly save George's life. And he's like, Neville? The one who melts the cauldron in every class? Neville? He's like, but don't worry, the guy who couldn't stitch up your dad's working with him. There was a great line, though, there where he says, Neville doesn't even know George all that well. Which is true, because we know them both. But Neville doesn't have a real lot of interaction with the kids. So it also goes to make the universe a more realistic place if everybody doesn't know everybody else because they're characters in the same story. I actually like that a lot because the fact that Neville and George don't really know each other just does not matter. It just, yeah. it just doesn't matter, you know what I mean? If I can just go ahead and make the analogy, in Judaism we have a thing called Ahava Sisral, which means like to love your fellow Jews, and it doesn't matter if you know them, if you're best friends, or if you've never met them before. It is an actual, it's a mitzvah, like an actual commandment. You have to do it. You must love every Jew. And I think it's kind of cool that it's like, if you're on the good side, you must love every member of the order. You must be nice to them. You have to do all of these nice things. And I think it's really cool that it just, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. You gotta be close to everyone. Just as, you know, Seamus and Dean Lavender are probably very close. Harry, Ron, what? Really? You guys hang out outside of school? Really? Right. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. If Seamus is BB brother or something were, you know, in a pinch, I'm sure Harry would run to his defense. You know? well, one thing that got to me too in these chapters, um, Zachariah Smith, who's always been the ass of Hufflepuff, gives Harry quasi hard time right after he told him off by saying, wow, you really did it. Shocked Harry to do it. Harry gets very upset with that statement. And the first thing I thought is, but he goes. Even Zachariah Smith will be there for the good guys. In canon, he runs away from the battle with the Slytherins and the little kids, and he doesn't come back. So I was surprised that he came to the battle. I'm trying to think of what else he would want there. He doesn't want to have sex with Ginny. That we know of. That we know of. Well, everyone wants to have sex with Ginny a little can I just say, I love the part where we're in Chapter 45, and we have the attack on Hogwarts, and we have the kids, of course, the first line of defense. They're like the Enterprise, the only ship in the quadrant. So they launch the defense of the school, and Lucius is there moving on his way out. And I did like the moment where, as they're on their way there, Ron wants, to, I, I believe I have this at the right point, Ron wants to go ahead first, and Harry tries to stop him. And even Hermione says, no, Harry, you're too important. Ron's like, well, you just shut the hell out of God. So... <laughs> I just thought that was foreshadowing mm-hmm. to come later, that, that that Ron's role in the whole thing may just simply be Harry's bodyguard. Walk through all the drawers first. Taste the food. Hey, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. McGonagall cracked me up in the scenes because she's the absolute cabbage head of the show, because you have to have a really stupid person in the room saying, please explain to me how this works, it's so confusing, <laughs> and they all look at, all right, previously on Final Rec, and McGonagall it just seems shocked and awed. My God, here in the ca- I need to someone give me a glass. As a walk. <laughs> well, she's, like, she's having a meeting with Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny, and Hermione goes nuts and starts shooting spells off in bag. every direction. She's, it turns out she's going after the beetle that's flying around the room, but McGonagall wouldn't know that necessarily. Did they never tell any adult what Rita Skeeter did? They just did in here, but I'm not sure if they do in canon. Hermione needs to have some adult help. They all need therapy to find out. It just occurred to me that they just catch Rita Skeeter on their own, and Hermione is able to intimidate this grown woman into doing what she wants without any adult intervention at Well, she locks her bottle and cuts off her air supply. I'm like, oh my god, you're a murderer. No, hey, hey, she pokes holes in the top. Oh, 
cool. I'm sure it's fine. Well, and McGonagall lays into her in this one to the point where they don't have it in the narrative, but I think Ron's preparing to actually hit McGonagall to get her off her yeah, mind. I think he was like literally, Ron was literally two seconds away from going, bitch, better back up. I think he wants to go up against Professor McGonagall because he knows better than that. So I think he was on the verge of doing like a diplomatic solution. Like, you know, Professor, can we kind of tone it down in the scope? But McGonagall continues to impress me during the entire scene. Because, <laughs> hang on, I have the line. So. McGonagall's face went white. You, good lord, she was here. What on earth? For a moment, Harry was worried that McGonagall might just faint from the excitement. <laughs> like, McGonagall, like, during the scene where they catch Rita Skeeter and they're going over the list of everything and, and all that good stuff, I honestly thought that McGonagall was like a senior citizen who's found out they're getting a wee. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> so- Hold on a second. I just I just need to write that down for a minute. I guess it's before that, actually, before the meeting. She has her little um, shining moment of finding them all in the head boy's room, and she says, <laughs> "Naturally, I suspected the two of you were here, given that technically Mr. Weasley and Miss Granger are not supposed to be in the head boy's room without others present." Has yes. anyone seen Doubt yet? Wait, you haven't finished that line, Scott. Uh, oh yeah. She gave Ron and Hermione a significant look, and they both blushed. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing beats Ron giving Molly a significant glance back in Chapter 37. (laughs) And then we find out that Skeeter actually wasn't being uh, evil and was apparently bespelled by something or other, and we don't know what exactly. And then Neville comes up with the news that George is talking, which is yay. And Ginny calls him a hero. Ron meditates using Fox. I thought that was interesting. Wasn't there a scene where you had Hagrid skipping into the woods? Yeah, that's a little bit later, I think. Is that the, is that the later one? Come? Yeah, that's you're right. 46. Yeah, that's yeah, chapter 46. But yeah, he does start to have descriptive dreams. No, I'm sorry. What I'm thinking is Ron has the vision of Gryffindor's sword with Voldemort, and there's a small Gryffindor with the sword, and they realize that if a Gryffindor can pull the sword out of the hat, they need to both warn current and former Gryffindors, and former Gryffindors should be quite a bunch. As the resident Gryffindor, I can officially say that's yeah. <laughs> have a little moment with Tonks and her mother where she's all um, rolls her eyes at them not calling her a first name. Mm-hmm. Usually she trips over like an ottoman once a fic. She hasn't tripped yet, to my knowledge. I love it when people forget the character's one personality trait. They don't put it in the fic. I just find it, I just well, find it very interesting. Has. That's what I said. Well, the then, character's there's... one personality trait. I mean, who is Tonks if she's not tripping over things? Another thing in this chapter, Harry and Ginny have a big conversation about empathy and whether or not she should help Draco again because he shows up and is all pathetic and grasping. And The aftermath of that discussion is what Neville walks in on. says uh, he doesn't know if it's corny or not, but he likes that he can feel what she's feeling and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Does it say something about empaths going crazy? I have in my notes, it says Harry, Ginny, when empaths go mad. And that doesn't really make any sense, but then again, it's hard yeah, to Yeah, there's read. a moment where Ginny comments on the, it's what eventually does come true, that empaths eventually become so overwhelmed by their gifts and, uh, you know, their desire to help, they will eventually go insane. And it's something okay. that she fears will happen to her. And it's uh, with her emotional collapse later in the story, the story is actually something that does happen. So that was a neat bit of foreshadowing right there, I thought. Ginny doesn't know if she'll sleep and Harry's sure that he will. And that's the end of 45. Oh, we missed the that the, after Neville walks in on them, she takes him up to the south tower that 
There's this room that Fred and George showed her, and is sort of a special place for her, apparently. And it comes up again later. I remember about that scene. It carried with it the vibe that Harry and Ginny were doing in a cheap motel. (laughs) I don't know why. It was like I thought it was weird that like she would taint. I mean, I don't know if taint is right word. She would taint the special room of her and her brothers to have sex with Harry. <laughs> it reminded me of Rory Gilmore's sex hut in the back of her grandparents' house. I understand it has enormous significance for Ginny and she's sharing a part of herself with Harry, and I can understand the fact that number one privacy in the school isn't a big deal and there were candles everywhere and all that stuff. But essentially, like from the description of the line, they're in storage area six. No one ever comes up here and there's a layer of dust over everything. I'm like, oh. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you're never coming around. And it's for like eight seconds. Like, did you get the impression from wall to wall they were gone an hour tops? Yeah, got the impression that this was a short one. Literally, like, of that hour, 20, 25 minutes of that has to be commuting time. It was so, special because of the whole empath thing. Yeah, and they yeah. get to feel what each other are feeling while doing that. Like, multitasking. They both got over at the same time. So they were able to save time on the commute back. They then do it again and go slower and all that. It's a sort of a throwaway line at the end, but they do. That part always throws me off in stories such as this. They try it, and everything went fine, so then they try it three more times, and then they go back, and they're back in an hour. Yeah. I have to tell you, it don't work like that. That's a (laughs) six-hour shift right there. Well, magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Magic. 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 <laughs> and then you get to have the nice, aw, fluffy moment of falling asleep, dreaming about each other, etc. Which is, I think, the last such moment they have in this whole story. Every single thing is a cliffhanger after that. I don't know. I noticed that, too, this time, because it's the last moment Harry and Ginny have together, probably for the next five years. <laughs> and I was looking for it this time because I knew what was going to be happening with the abduction coming up, and all I could think of as I read it was, oh, so the random quickie they have the night before she gets kidnapped, that was probably thrown in there as like a last resort. The room was um, taken from an Arabella and somebody else, Vic, Jedi B. The storage room was inspired by a similar room in Rising from Ashes, it says. Harry goes to the room later in the story, too, does he not? Mm-hmm. When he's separated from Ginny and there's nothing about her and he's feeling like he ought to jump, he goes there and cries and doesn't light the candles because his mood is too dark. And This chapter was called The Calm Before the Storm. It's the last calm that before everything happened. Well, it was interesting that it was their first time and it was crammed in the night before. Like, when you read it in that way, it's not, you know, they've been active for very long time and it's just one night amongst many. The fact that it was the first time and it was hours before her abduction did play into the fact where I think Lavender Brown was pacing the story. She's like, all right, it's time for Ginny to get... Oh, crap, I forgot how to do it. Um, is it the 10.30 the night before? So it did have a little bit of that feeling to it. Scene chains into Ron and Hermione, just so they can sort of keep the same vibe going for a little bit, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that means resume the sex, so at least you know they're not the only ones in the school doing it. Although, I just want to comment, because I do love the moment where Harry comes to breakfast the next morning giggling. <laughs> and Ron's, like, looking over. No. Uh-huh. No. No. <laughs> My favorite part of it is when Hermione figures it out, and she's so thrilled. She's like, I am so happy for you. We are 
just we are thrilled. Ron, aren't we thrilled for them? And Ron's like, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Snape. Like, I think we should send them a potted plant in the mail. <laughs> like, what do you say to that? Aren't you thrilled? Um, yes, I, 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 there's no card for that at Hallmark. No, I think they'd have a little bit of trouble selling those ones. Did they learn CPR again? They learned CPR in 46. No, I thought they did it before. Or did they do, is there some other fic where they learn CPR? No, they talk about it before, then they learn it, then they Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. They talked about it in one class, I think it was potions or something, now oh, they're yeah, learning I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's all crystal clear. This is the one where um, Ron has a vision of fires in the forest and goes back to the castle and Rita says, it's not what you think, and then he sees the person pulling something out of the hat, and they figure out they tried to do it using Wormtail as a Gryffindor, and it didn't work. The thing with Wormtail is he's under the Imperius curse, and he's feeling pretty low, and he's like, okay, the only thing I can do for Voldemort, I'm a Gryffindor, and this all doesn't work. But it's also in this one that he realizes it's a Jenny that Voldemort's after. The prefects and the head boy and the head girl literally run the damn school. They're the security detail, they're organizing the student schedules. When they need to step up security after an attack, McGonagall doesn't call the auras together, she calls the prefix together. Wasn't well, it on the way to the prefix meeting that Ron has the vision and finds out that the girl is actually Ginny, who is being forced to take the sword out of the hat? Yeah, he has a few different visions in this chapter, and they sort of it gets a little bit clearer with each one kind of thing. And on a completely unrelated note, Ron also has the line, Hermione, never ever talk about our teachers when you're naked. I was just reading that. <laughs> well, no, the funnier line is the one that comes right before it. He makes a comment about, you know, it's a good thing McGonagall doesn't see us in here having sex or whatever, and she's like, Ron, McGonagall knows. Yeah. Those were sitting together, Ron said, sliding out of bed, picking up her knickers off the floor. She just chooses to look the other way. As long as we're discreet, it's not a problem. They do it on the roof. I just want to say, if they have airspace... And people fly over. You know, that's what you want to see. They're doing it on the roof, and then all of a sudden, next year's Quidditch team is doing, like, a pass shot over the roof. I think oh, this is what I do. <laughs> Can we just back up a second? Because we skipped a scene, and I kind of really want to talk about it. We so- did mention that Ron and Hermione were being together at the beginning of the chapter, but we didn't go into it, I guess. This is the scene where Hermione finally tells Ron that she's really afraid for him to become an Auror. She has earlier, I think, but it comes up again. Right at the end, Ron goes, I'll always fight like hell to get back to you. And I wrote in my notes, fans self. I want someone to say that to me. I love you. Aww. A lot of times the best character moments are just when they have like the simplest lines of dialogue that just say everything. Yeah, especially that particular line just foreshadows later chapters really well, where he does, in fact, pretty much literally come back from the dead to get back to her. And I just, yeah. I just love that. Because he can't that. promise that he won't be hurt or be otherwise in danger of being an aura, but he'll always fight to get back to her. will fight like hell. I know. You never want to lie to people. Whenever you see on TV, if someone's sick or someone's dying, someone else will say, I promise you they're going to make it. I always get really weird with moments like that. You can't do that. I'm always a big believer in never say something you can't deliver on. He can't promise her that he will be fine. He can't promise her that, that she'll be fine. But the way he said it, it's something he can do. That was a very pleasing way for me. And I feel like in a lot of other stories, you might have seen him promise her that they'll make it. 
which I think this is a much more interesting way. This is also the chapter where both Harry and Ron get accepted into the Aura program, having applied three chapters earlier or whenever it was. But a little bit before that, this is in my notes. So, Ferenz is going to what is likely his death. Ginny's been attacked by Death Eaters. I'm sure they'll get her back, but damn, maybe now we'll find out who the imposter is. Yeah, not so much with that last part. In about ten chapters. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Then Wormtail showed up. That was surprising. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what well, you know something's expected. up, because it's his fifth escape that day. He escaped, what is he? escapes from Voldemort, then he escapes from the Ministry, then he's back to Voldemort, but they're gone, and they lost him again. You're like, they lost him, then he escapes from St. Mungo's. It's like, good God. Put a bell on. <laughs> <laughs> from this chapter alone, obviously, Wormtail had a plan, which was revealed to us in the next chapter, but I remember reading the scene and going, what the hell is he coming here for? Like, mm-hmm. doesn't he know that everybody in the school wants to kill him on the spot? That's really dumb. That's me after the end, because didn't he run to Hogwarts there, too? Yes, he did. He had nowhere else to go. Well, yeah. right, he ran to Hogwarts only to run into Sirius and uh, Remus. This is the fic of the destroyed wand, right at the point we're at now. Harry's wand has been smashed. And there is no Elder Wand fix at this time. Yeah. That sucks. It was a little bit confusing for me, actually, because I'm reading another fic at the same time in which Harry's wand also gets destroyed. Ron's shooting a cutting curse at something, attacking him, and hits his wand as well as the monster, whatever it was. See, what I don't understand is, why didn't he just get Fox to give another feather? I mean, he owns him now. That could probably happen. I'm like, would make your own wand, I mean, to make wool. I mean, is that a problem? <laughs> I don't know. Much on the me out here, owner of Ambles. Wait, wait, hang. Do they grow back? Like, is is Fox gonna be bald every time Harry needs a new wand? <laughs> well, I would I imagine that Fox has more than one tail feather. I think they He's do grow back. Right. If they He's don't, they might have right. new ones after he burns or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Ryan, you had to delete that. I forgot it was a phoenix. I thought it was just a... He was a parrot? Like, he was like a sheep. All right, Fox, you get another feather. Lay an egg while you're at it. Really funny. Ryan, did you just make Fox Mpreg? Oh, God. What did I do? You said Fox should lay an egg, but it's a boy. Lay an egg while you're at it. I did say that. Let's explain that to Lay an egg or something that Papa's got to eat. You cannot use Fox for your own personal needs. You know what? I actually, I just wrote about the phoenix, and I'm pretty sure in, like, traditional phoenix myth, there was something about an egg. It seems like in the burning, there's the egg, and then the egg hatches. Well, that doesn't mean that Fox laid an egg. Traditional phoenix thing, there's only one. There isn't, it's not like there's a race of phoenixes. There's just one. And it constantly goes through the cycle. So there isn't really a male-female thing with the phoenix. I think there's more than one phoenix in real, real, the real world, in, in right. the real canon, because okay. there's other phoenix wands besides the ones that were made from fox. Right. Uh, the rooster, we find tail feathers from him quite often, and when we had the white peacock, he lost tail feathers all the time, too. So it could be that you can find the tail feathers, that they shed them. I That's don't know. That's actually better than the image I had of, like, Ollivander coming up behind fox and ripping him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think Phoenixes would probably have to donate them voluntarily. I don't think it's like a unicorn or a, a dragon, you know? I'm sure Dumbledore's office on a 
warm summer's day, and you pan across the office, all of a sudden, from the open window, you see Ollivander climbing up the side of the castle, crawling in the window, stealing the feather. Is it say in canon that the unicorn donated tail feather? Are you? No, because uh, it says in canon that Ollivander, remember when they did the weighing of the wands, and Cedric's wand is made of unicorn hair? Oh, yeah, I remember. And I guess the dragon has to be dead. Yeah. Does anyone remember why we're talking about this? Because Uh, Fox is in this fic. That's right. And because we were wondering why Harry didn't why, just why get Harry a new didn't make another because, one because Fox is like a sheep. Right, and because and they also said the fox is gonna time. lay in. Like why do we hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Harry's laying on the ground and his wand has just been stepped on. Ginny is well outside of Hogwarts airspace. Harry is supposed to go and build himself a new wand. Yeah. He doesn't know how. Yeah, I mean it's he doesn't know how they don't there's there's no wood, there's no olivander. <laughs> there's no wood. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem they have. They have a lack of usable lumber. Uh, Hagrid could go find him a good wand stick, I'm sure. I'll apparate over and get it. He'll I'll be right back. Okay, can I, just, can I just say for the record that you were talking about that Fox was going to lay an egg, and then I was like, wait a second, I think there's something in the actual Phoenix mythology about an egg, and then I had to go find it, so that's why we ended up I'm imagining, like, them eating scrambled eggs from, like, the eggs that Fox has laid. <laughs> I think those would probably be really delicious. What, would they glow or something? <laughs> yeah, if you eat them, like, you levitate. Well, it's a boy. I mean, Phoenix and Harry uses him for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a boy Phoenix. He doesn't like eggs. How well, do I we know if Phoenixes have gender? Um, they they're hate. boys. But it's always described as he. Well, there are no girl Phoenixes. Hmm. Well, Phoenix and yeah. is canon. It's not because they burn and then they. But where they do the rest come ashes. from? Like, where did they come from? Like, what came first? The it's the ashes. We don't know. J.K. Rowling has it in canon how she works with phoenixes. It makes sense that there would be more than one. As far as Earth mythology goes, there is only the phoenix. There isn't right. a whole bunch of them. I just have to point out that this journey into Nerdfighteria was brought to you by the fact that I wrote a 10-page paper about the phoenix as a symbol of resurrection and faith in Harry Potter and that I got an A-plus on it. So I was just Whoa. showing off a little bit. Something we actually didn't mention about this chapter, sort of in passing, that would probably make sense to tell people is that Ginny gets abducted. Great gopher holes, it slipped my mind. Oh yeah, Ginny. Ginny yeah, Ginny does in fact taken from the place they were at before, which was Hogwarts. <laughs> Ginny was taken from Hogwarts. Ginny is going off to meet Draco by the greenhouses to one last um, time. Right, one last fling of empathy. But Draco shows up and Ginny's nabbed by the imposter. Who also okay. looks like Draco at the time. In the process, Harry gets knocked down and I guess from behind, if I remember that right, and his wand gets smashed. Right. And Ron sees it kind of happening and runs out there, but by then he's just too late. For a while, he refuses to believe Draco actually had nothing to do with it. Then Harry wakes up and reveals there were actually two Dracos, which would be really confusing if it wasn't the imposter. Harry believes it's his fault again, because I guess it's his turn. It's his turn to take the blame? Yeah, everyone gets to feel guilty at least five times through the whole story. Yeah, if they have the blame stick right up there with the talking stick. Just pass it around, guys. And that's when Wormtail shows up. Red alert. Shields to maximum. Stand by all weapons. Professor McGonagall looks like she might faint again. uh... (laughs) McGonagall is so 
clueless in this fic. She's told different things, and then they completely shock her, and she is unable to function, which means the kids are in charge. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. that. Poor woman. She is very competent, generally. But I kind of miss McGonagall being competent. I kind of miss McGonagall being snarky. One of the reasons that I love yeah. Canon McGonagall so much is that she has, like, the best lines out of anyone. And Lavender Brown didn't really give her any good lines in this one. Yeah, she's kind of just toned down in general in this fic. She's kind of spread a little thin because she has to run half the ministry and be the headmistress and teach Transfiguration and whatever else she's doing. So Dumbledore could do it. No, Dumbledore didn't teach. Well, he did everything else. Yeah. Teaching takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. McGonagall might be surprised by how being headmistress is because even though she's been deputy headmistress for a while, there's probably a lot that you wouldn't necessarily think of before having to do it. Dumbledore's been doing it for 80 years by the time we first get to see him doing it. More like 50, but sorry. Well, yeah. And it's it's not like a situation where it's like McGonagall's job is to be a filter to make sure that the crap never gets on Dumbledore's desk. So, you know, it's like a huge step up in responsibility for her. I can see that she was spread thin, but I just don't like that they just kind of made her not very Gryffindorish in this fic. She was a little wussy. She needs a vacation. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. needs Gryffindor group therapy. Mm-hmm. They, all, they, all, well, they are having... They, okay, they can have their Gryffindor group therapy on a tropical island. Oh, yeah. that sounds That's good. They have, they have the sunscreen on their noses. Mm-hmm. Hawaiian robes. I like that idea. Has anyone read I, After I, the I, End? They have Cortona robes. Someone goes off to a tropical place and has robes from the tropical place. Mm-hmm. I've read, but not that far. Ugh, God, read more. <laughs> read more and report it so I can read it. Read it to me. <laughs> oh, Kismet's done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has audio fix for the first, like, 24-ish chapters. How very Yeah, something like that. 27, yeah. 25, somewhere in there. Yeah. I do have the prologue, but that's as far as I got. Okay, I need to stop talking about After the End, because it may be my favorite fan fiction ever in the world, but we are not podcasting on it tonight. So shall we go ahead and, and move on to Ginny in the clutches of Voldemort? Voldemort's POV, which is a little odd. That kind of threw me that we were suddenly in Voldemort's perspective. I guess it had to be because you can't communicate the story any other way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes having it in a strange, random perspective helps you advance the plot along. And it does work a little bit because we've seen things sort of where Voldemort is before anyway, with Harry doing his connection thing. You could even argue that Voldemort gets some screen time here because of Harry's connection. You know, it's like subconsciously Harry knows what Voldemort is thinking, so he's able to give us a Voldemort POV chapter. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the Riddle House thing. It would have been in italics, though, wouldn't it? It's not literally what I just said, Julia. It's more... Uh, okay. It's more... Subtle. Arguing a meta thing. That could be why it works, kind of. Got it. But yeah, I guess we stay with Voldemort for a while. Oh yeah, it is a hairy dream thing because Ginny gets hit with Crucio and Harry screams and sits up in bed. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like the first chapter of Goblet of Fire or the first chapter of Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. Where it's like a dream. Wait, that's not a dream. It's not a dream, but Harry's dreaming about him lost. Does anyone else find it slightly dis... Like, my note was like, hmm, Voldemort seems frail. Which is probably not so good for him, but I bet he can still run an evil empire. Yeah, well, he Mm -hmm. is frail because he's been having to drink the blood. He's being slowly poisoned this whole time. Right. Right, the blood poisoning. But it doesn't seem to have affected his ability to be evil. No. Which is kind of scary. It's like Emperor Palpatine sort of thing. He's an old man who sits in a chair all the time, but he still runs everything. They seem to like to do that with villains. They like making them look really 
old or wrinkled or odd, but they aren't necessarily. Canon Voldemort's not like that. Canon Voldemort still runs around and is an action. He's not an action hero. He's an action villain. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Ryan? Cartwheels every now and then. I totally Voldemort doing cartwheels. <laughs> Somebody please make the video. Contact Mark from the Ministry of Magic. Get him to do that one. But they'd be yeah. evil cartwheels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would be. After the tango. After they do the Death Eater tango. Who is it on the forum that has the, the signature where it's Voldemort saying, you know, take care of the hula horcrux Snape and Snape's doing the hula hoop. I can see the hula hoop thing going on there too. The Death Eaters, they have an evil hula hoop. They have evil cartwheels. And they have, they probably have an evil slinky. Yeah. <laughs> Evil puppies. Evil everything. It's a sharpened yeah. slinky. It's got um, razor points on the ends. <laughs> oh my god, okay, I'm sorry. This conversation is just taking a turn. A little weird. Oh yeah. So let's move on. Not trying to force himself on Ginny. I was very surprised that he didn't die for that. I, I was waiting for that. And maybe I missed it when I re-skimmed over the notes and made my notes, but I didn't see that. It seems to me that Voldemort is more aware of his connection with Ginny than he technically should be, because it was the diary that had a, had a connection with Ginny, and he doesn't have any memory or knowledge of that, really, beyond the basic stuff that Lucius told him, which would basically be, oh, the diary possessed this girl. So it seems like he knows her too well. Like, it seems like she forgot that didn't actually happen to Voldemort. Mm -hmm. He does mention that at some point. There's a line where he says, really, I have no memories of it, but my faithful Lucius has told me such and such. I can't remember what line that is. There's, like, some sort of subconscious thing going on with Voldemort that he like doesn't remember but sort of like subconsciously realizes parts of Ginny's personality or her weaknesses Possibly. and things. When he puts her under the Imperius, he does legitimize her, or however you would say that, and gets her memories of that from her, and she sort of tries to resist and can't. Some of that he pulls out that way. I can't remember exactly where in the chapter that is, somewhere around there. He makes her heal him, and she collapses afterwards, and then he does the legilimens and has the memories of the little girl of five and writing in the diary, killing the chickens, being dragged into the chamber one last time. She screams and shut her eyes, but just before the connection was broken, another memory flew into Voldemort's mind. That of a beautiful 16-year-old girl wearing a white dress, descending a spiral staircase. Then that's when um, he breaks the connection, and he backs away, breathing hard, his head pounding. She was stronger than he thought. Her connection with Potter was stronger than he thought. He knew at once he could not break her in the way that he initially planned. And that's when mm-hmm. he orders the Dementors. Because he can't handle the happy. I thought the Dementors were like a brilliantly evil way to do exactly what he wanted. If I were Voldemort, that's what I would have done. See, this is good, not good evil Voldemort, that's an oxymoron, but this is good evil Voldemort. This is not, you have one hour. One hour. This is smart evil Voldemort is what it is. Yes, smart, yes, smart evil Voldemort. And then we move on to Harry and waking up in the hospital with Peter. Before we move on to there, can we just point out the fact that you have one hour. That's all I just heard from across the room. You knew that would draw you back. In this story, it's more of a finish it. Finish it. He doesn't really have, like, you know, the ultimatum line. It's, I kill you. He's, well, I did love the part where he's like, I'm not going in the love room. And every, the 12 people behind him with the banishing charms are like, we think you are. Right, you just totally jumped, like, five chapters ahead. Back us off. 
This is a voicemail for episode 72 of the Lavender Brown series on Potterfic Weekly. I couldn't be there to record the podcast, but Rinna and Ryan were very much interested in my take on things. Now, following the whole Ron oozing hormone banana saga in which Gen 2, Melinda and I were... Um, a bit giggly, we had another episode wherein P.S. had been won over to their side regarding Susan. Now, I did not feel Susan was all that bad, and Ryan suspected I might flip-flop, and I have to say he's right, because the fact remains, people, that although Susan is okay in the first book, and I don't have a huge problem with it, and I don't have a huge problem with her dumping Harry. I mean, you know, bad things happen, and he's still alive, and it's all well and good. I kind of do have a problem with her going straight out with another guy and kind of like rubbing it in Harry's face when they go to the um, the trial courtroom thing that they were doing. So I am completely on Melinda Leo's boat now. We do not like Susan at all. She is just not good enough for Harry. So I have flip-flopped, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I um, giggled like a little girl when Terry Boot splinched his willy, um, because, you know, he's the one going out with evil Susan, so I found that all very, very amusing. However, I do think that Harry may have a little too much of the oozing hormone thing going on, because, well... He just likes anything in a skirt in the beginning of this fic. Daphne and Pavati and Ginny and he's just a real perv. Like anything in a skirt and he, like, even Hermione at one stage, he is like, oh, look, Hermione's got boobs. I'm just like, this is just so wrong. So I was kind of glad when he got with Ginny because I thought... Well, you know, I'm a Harry Ginny shipper, so, so that's a good thing. But it's more than just that, you know. It's about time the guy settled down. Stop chasing every piece of skirt that he sees. I did think that he did the right thing with Pavati, um, yet leaving her naked in an abandoned building, not so much the good thing, but I like how he didn't just, you know, shag anything in a skirt. I, I feel like he can be redeemed at this point. I thought it was very amusing that when Harry doesn't shag Pavati, that um, Ron didn't really get it until Harry set out with stuff up Quidditch. <laughs> Found that quite amusing. I don't really know how much I buy the can't touch me because I'm an empath thing. I was going, oh, this is a bit after the end for me. I'd like how they get over it pretty quickly without too many dramas and they, you know, get to the to kissing sort of part. I like how... The things that, that Harry gets left is a whole bunch of papers and not like mountains of gold because I can't stand when Harry has a lot of mountains of gold. I really enjoyed the moment in Chapter 32 where Hermione gives Ron a significant look. <laughs> um, I do have an issue with the cricket. I've done a few sums. My maths is very bad, but I've had it checked by Kismet and um, a British guy. And basically, you can't sit down after dinner in England on Christmas Day and watch the Boxing Day Test match in Melbourne, Australia. Um, the time zone doesn't work. The Boxing Day test match doesn't really get going until almost midnight on Christmas Day because, you know, we're from the future. The likelihood of them wearing sweater vests on said Boxing Day test match, very, very slim. 
um, December is quite hot. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it could happen, but I just think that's a bit of a risk to be writing about that. They're not going to be eating pumpkin pie on Christmas for dinner, and they're not going to sit down and watch the Boxing Day Test match after dinner because it wouldn't have started yet. So I found that um, very poor research on the part of the author, and I had to bring it up because I'm from the future and I know how it works. Uh, apparently people keep giving me tissues at this point. Um, so far I haven't found anything to be sad about. Garden Gnome died, but that doesn't really cut me. I, I didn't really cry when Dumbledore died. I'm a bit cold about that. So um, maybe I'm already supposed to have used the tissues. I don't know. Maybe I'm just made of stone. <laughs> I'll come back and tell you all about... Uh, the point at which I needed to use tissues because I'm very much interested in finding out what point that might be because I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to die. These are my predictions. Some, someone's obviously going to die. I feel like it might be Ron or Hermione, which doesn't thrill me at all. I keep wishing it was Draco, but something inside me is telling me that, you know, the little slime bucket's going to live. And uh, Hagrid might buy it, which will also be sad. So... I'm still waiting to... I've got the tissues that everyone keeps tossing at me because um, I feel like something bad is obviously going to happen. But the one thing I do have to say is um, I'm really glad Harry is confused by the blood potion thingy because it makes me feel less alone. This is a bit like the Book of Morgan Le Fay, the, the, the main plot thing in the first story of this series. whole plot hinges on it, and Keza didn't get it. Well, <laughs> I don't get the blood potion thing either. So, I'm with Harry. I don't get it. I'm kind of hoping that someone can explain it to me. And if not, I guess I'll just get Ryan to try and explain it to me and then pretend like I know what he's talking about. I'll catch you all next week. Bye. And with Voldemort, which is a wonderful place to open, of course. Yes. Yeah. And Ginny. And, and I don't know how I really felt about Ginny in this chapter. You know, I don't, I don't know. Something just... I see what you mean. She kind of came off as being a bit off. Like, yeah. do you think too weak almost? Yes, I really do. I think that, I mean, and and it could just be, you know, we've talked about this before, the curse of fan fiction where, you know, so many people put a certain element into all their fan fiction. So pretty much you, you start to believe it's true. Like the whole thing about, was it socks? Ginny stealing socks? I am a sock. That's one of them that people just kind of assume now that that's what she does is steal people's socks because so many people have put that into fan fiction for whatever bizarre reason. But it just it, it, it seems to me like with her being a dynamic character and her being able to stand up to Voldemort, you know, it, it, she wouldn't be that susceptible to the Imperius curse. That's an artifact of being an empath, it seems. They mention yeah, that in the chapter itself. But I, I don't know. It... it yeah, there there was a the well, and, and I think actually I think the thing that bothers me is that there's a specific line where they say her eyes were full of hatred, but she was powerful to escape the curse, and that that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. When you're under the curse, you don't retain anything. If she was able to retain that feeling that she's angry, that hatred, she should have been able to throw the curse off. I yeah, think I we've seen in canon some, um, when people are just starting to be, like, just on this side of being able to throw it off, but they can't, you do see a bit of defiance in their eyes or something like that. I can't, I honestly can't remember. It, 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 that part seemed right to me. Well, that, that, that being the case, then the second time that he cast it, why did she whimper? 
Yeah. I thought it had something to do with the empath thing. Like, because she's an empath, and her empath abilities is something like being under the Imperious Curse anyway, because she gets so much of somebody's strong emotions that she's kind of inclined to do what they want her to do. It might, another, like, casting the Imperious Curse on her might hurt. But it, it even goes on to say, right after that, that he's not... He says forcing her to use his power, use her powers, plus using legitimacy is not going to be enough. He's not strong enough to break her, which right. means that, you know, it's kind of like this. I don't know. It's, it's this part just kind of sat wrong with me because it's that kind of dichotomy. She's either so receptive and so weak to this curse that it's going to break her quickly, or she's so strong that it's not going to affect her as much. So which, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that's too really much weird. going back and forth. There's too much. Where yes. You, but see, with me, with Imperius, I always thought it's like you snap your fingers. You know, whoever's getting the Imperius cast on them, all of a sudden it's, I'm in my happy place. I don't care. I'm going to listen to the little voice in my head. That's what I always imagine the Imperius being. This fighting the curse the way she does from the from the get-go, it's either you are able to throw it off or you're not able to throw it off. There's no waffling in between. Right. You know, and this, it's, and especially if you're, apparently if you're an empath, you're supposed to be highly susceptible to it. So there would be no waffling at all. So that kind of, it, it really threw me off. So. It did take Carrie, for example, a while to throw it off. Yeah, in like, the first I think I was, so I didn't get to the book in time, in but I in the process think... of throwing it off, but haven't got there yet. There's still time between when you begin to resist the curse and when you manage to throw it off. It usually lasts that long. I read that scene um, in the canon just the other day, and, you know, Moody Karch put the curse on him four times before he could really throw it off. And the first time there were, like, two conflicting voices in his head. You know, he was like... You know, Moody's voice going, jump onto the desk, and Harry's little voice going, no, that sounds really stupid. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like a moment where it's like, he says jump, and he like kind of twitches a bit, like he's about to jump, but he doesn't. So it's like, I think you can be in between being able to throw it off and not being able to throw it off. Joe described it as saying that it was that he had tried to, both tried to jump and stop himself from jumping at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, he go on. ended up whacking his head on the desk or something. His right. knees. He his hit his knees. Yeah. But I mean, I I don't know that that scene. It just I guess it was the back and forth that it seemed like okay, is she the super strong character? Or is she way too susceptible? You know, where is it? And I guess that's kind of why it fell off to me. Well, I'll just say this for what it's worth. I think. The Ginny in this fic has been throughout not, um, I don't want to say not strong, but she hasn't been strong Ginny, if you know what I mean. I mean, there's, there's two Ginnies. We've talked about this many times. Most authors seem to either go with, like, really strong, like, kick-ass Ginny or, like, nurturing Ginny. And this is kind of more to the, like, to the nurturing Ginny side of the spectrum, if that makes any sense. Probably because she's an empath, but... Yeah, Yeah. well, through this whole fic, she's been sort of struggling with her empath powers, being stronger and learning how to use them and deal with this whole thing going on in her head, which, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Voldemort realized that. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because, I mean, if she's so susceptible to the Imperius curse, she should be able to break her right away. But yes. at the same time, maybe he re- maybe he realized that it would be, maybe he thought it would be more effective, or maybe he thought it would hurt her more if she if he went through Harry to get to her. But that's not what he says. 
it's the connection with Harry that seems to sort of shove him out of her mind in the first place. Her right. remembering being happy with Harry um, right. breaks so, his legitimacy. So um, maybe while he's, I mean, maybe if, I don't know, maybe the, the Harry thing only gets in the way of the legitimacy and not of the imperious? Question or, mark? Maybe, or maybe he's the reason, you know, her connection with Harry is the reason that she's able to struggle against the Imperius. Yeah, that, that could be. It does directly go into it turning out to have been a dream, or not really a dream, but it turns out that Harry has been seeing this and that Ginny is able to communicate a few thoughts to him through their, their super soulmate powers. Yes. <laughs> this is yes. your first sort of connection like that. <laughs> and it's, oh my god, guys, Ginny gets a scar on her forehead in this chapter. They really do, they really are super soulmates. Yes, <laughs> they, are. they are, aren't they? Yeah. They're going to be able to stop time and do all the other stuff. Yeah. Move the island. Move the island and get Ginny pregnant in one go with, like, yeah. super baby. Oh, yeah. The baby to end all babies. Yeah. But, um, so after we have this little thing, we see, um, I kind of want to talk about Wormtail at this point. Uh, because, you know, we have all of our whole super soulmate powers. Wonder Twin powers activate shape of an eagle! Form of water! Going on, and I kind of like during this little interlude where uh, Madame Pomfrey's fi- finally just like, you know what, do whatever you want, but it's not my fault if you die. <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're constantly certain- resisting treatment. They never exactly. like you to- know. And there's a certain point where you're just like, you know what, I ain't doing this anymore. It's on your own head. You know, whatever. But um, so we we have this interaction with Wormtail, and he's been poisoned. Hmm. His and, rat poison in underneath his dark mark. Yes. That's nice. And t- in case Wormtail ever flip-flopped. And Which, that's very interesting because there was a fail-safe in canon, too. Because when he hesitated, it was the hand. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, um, but it was the, the poison because, and, and honestly, I'm not really surprised that it was like this, you know, like an in canon because Wormtail is a very weak character. And in this case, it wasn't necessarily being weak that caused him to say these things. But, I mean, he'd already flip-flopped once. You know, he already changed sides once. And so Voldemort was hedging his bets that he was probably going to do it again. Maybe not for the reason that he ended up doing it. Because, I mean, obviously he came in and said the stuff about the the love room to help. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he... And I don't think necessarily that Voldemort would think that he would jump ship because he was trying to redeem himself in any way. But more like if at some point Voldemort or Pettigrew was captured, he would do whatever it took to get his name cleared, even if it meant pointing the finger at, at the Death Eaters and, and divulge plans mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I'm really not surprised. Peter has that some similarities with Karkaroff, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Only, um, yeah. I mean, he really does. That's that's a really good point. I never thought about it that way. But but yeah, and um, you know, we're actually going to talk about the love room in this story, which a lot of people said stuff about it, but I don't think we've ever gotten this specific. You know, it was never go to the love room. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was, and I just haven't been reading the right stories. How many people? Well, I've never seen it either. Yeah. How many people knew it was the love room as soon as it was mentioned? I mean, earlier, way earlier in the story. You knew this is where they were going to end up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's the only place they haven't been. Yeah, she wasn't exactly subtle about it, but no. that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I missed that bit, but oh well. I think I missed it too. Well, um, Wormtails just died being poisoned, having given up both the clues to the love room and um, Ginny's former location. The only thing I wrote in my notes for that was, huh, Wormtail finally did something useful, and then died. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was what I wrote. Mm. What's next, yo's? The forest being on fire, and everyone's evacuating, and Draco wasn't Draco when Jenny got attacked and all these various things. And Ron figures out that they're probably having an attack on the Ministry. Right. I will pull yeah, something here from our database of Ryan here and say, Ron should be more broken up. He was beside himself with Fred and George. Jenny's missing and he goes off to clean the forest. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Ryan. Oh. <laughs> He has tried. He tried to um, find her several times, and it's not working. And he's sort of realized that if he just does that constantly, he ends up being out of commission for a week, and all, all sorts of bad things happen. So That's true. Let's see. Harry's a little more um, frantic about it as well. He's going, but wait, no, they can't go off, clean the forest. They have to find Ginny. And um, then they mention that, yeah, he has tried, and it's not working, and they'll be of more help. Uh, now that he knows she's at the Black House, uh, McGonagall will go tell Madame Bones about that, and, which Ryan brought up last time. Ryan describes McGonagall as a cartoon character. Oh. cartoon character here, screaming Thank for you, Umbridge. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, dear. McGonagall would not wow. be with that comparison. Oh, God. McGonagall would come over here and beat the crap out of us for that one. God, I'm so glad she's Sorry, fictional. Minerva. She would own us. Hey, let's call her Mick Umbridge. Mick Umbridge could easily be a cartoon character here, screaming for order. <laughs> that was terrible. She's not. She lived under Voldemort once, and she must support her students who refuse to do so themselves. Yeah, I really liked that McGonagall finally just stopped trying. She finally just realized, you know what, it's the only way. It's literally the only way, and so I might as well just let them do it. Right. I like mm-hmm. that. Even though she wasn't really pleased with the idea, I, th- I thought that was a very Gryffindor thing to do. Well, that's kind nice. of... I, I've, I was reading another story somewhere that had a similar... I don't even remember where it was or what it was... Anyway, but the, the underlying point was at some point they had to let the kiddos grow up and go off to war and and i think it was uh, you didn't see a whole lot of fix that it was so obvious what was going on that they say basically okay we're gonna let you go off to war and fight our battles for us most of it was kind of like a well we're gonna let you join the club and we're gonna let you participate and then you know when it was time for the action to happen you know harry ended up taking care of it for everybody but it wasn't ever all right whatever you go do your thing have fun storming the castle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bye-bye. Think it'll work? It'll take a, it'll take a miracle. <laughs> Hopkirk turns out to have a whole bunch of maps of ways into the ministry, which is really handy. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was sitting there going, plot device. Plot device. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. You know what it made me think of? It really made me think of... Um, 
uh, Dan Brown. <laughs> if, if you've ever read Dan Brown books, I think like the first oh, one yeah. I read, it was Angels um, and Demons. In Angels and Demons, when she was a yoga master. Mm-hmm. And and then at the end of the book, she gets tied up, and and somehow she manages to get out of it. And she says, "Houdini knew yoga." And I'm thinking, "Wow, that was really convenient that she knew yoga. Wow, that's really <laughs> funny." And I was like, "Wait a minute, this is such a cop out." <laughs> it was some stupid, innocuous little thing that at the end it turned out that that was the key to absolutely everything in the story. And so it was kind of like, "Wait a minute, she has maps of the entire ministry." She knows every secret passage. Are you freaking kidding me? I thought it was funny that she even got the ones before the horrors were obliviated. (laughs) It was like, oh, right. Let's just, you know, do you also know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried by any chance? I thought it was really cool. (laughs) All these entrances into the ministry. I thought that was an awesome idea. Yeah, I liked that too. Oh, oh yeah, the idea that there were so many entrances. I liked that. It was just the fact that this this one person who's actually a demon and who may or may not have had nefarious intentions at any point in time is the person that knows every single secret passageway. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. That just it was established. Me. She was James and Lily's friends before, so right. No, you sort just, of get she, it from there. Right. She was friends with Lily, and it just so happens that Lily happened to break like fifteen thousand wizarding laws. Was just to, to get her this information and thank God. You know, God only knows what would have happened if she didn't. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tonks would have told him some of them. She showed up later, but maybe. Yeah. But there wouldn't have been maps. Probably right. not. Guess who who joins the fun little team here at the end? That would be our favorite Slytherin. It would. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I have been quoted on a number of occasions of saying that I don't really particularly like fix where Draco turns out to be good. But I really I really like Draco in this story because he is really nuts. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I like that. I liked that he was nuts, but I didn't like him. I, I, well, I liked... I think that this portrayal of Draco is probably more true to what my image of Draco from the books has always been. That he's a weak character, that he's kind of pathetic, that he's only in power because of who his father is, and that he covets something so much. I mean, the way he is around Ginny is just up and down creepy. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, especially, I don't know, is it in the outtake that you see? Yes. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Uh But, I mean, I really think that that, you know, and, and then with Pansy's death, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and he just comes unhinged about it. Oh, yeah, he's he's, he's gone around the twist. I mean, just... Yeah, yeah. but I really I really like that because, I mean, I, I, like, obviously, I'm, I'm not a Draco fan, per se. And so I do not like stories where they're just like, you know what, he's going to redeem himself at the end. Because underneath that cold and mean veneer, he's just really full of, you know, hugs and kisses and kittens. And we just need to reach in there and grab it out of him. And he's going to be this perfect gentleman. No. Right. No, he's not. (laughs) Once a sniveling little bastard, always a sniveling little bastard. Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. That's just the way it's going to be. And so I do agree that it's it's good that he participates in this. But 
but it's it's not because he's this you know grand gesture of oh I want to redeem myself and I really think that you've been fighting for the light all this time and blah 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 and it you find out it, it's I mean it's not this is completely selfish he he wants to do it because Voldemort killed his mom and his girlfriend mm-hmm. yeah, and that's right. it yeah he wants and, to and, get back at Lucius and Voldemort right yeah. and Possibly that is what, what and if he can ride somebody else's coattails to go into the battle to do just there that, you go he'll do it. <laughs> Yes. Slytherin, exactly. Slytherin. <laughs> yes. He is a Slytherin. But they do force him to promise that he will um, look out for right. Harry's best interests before his own agenda. Right, and I liked that. I, I liked that because I think we've all pr- we, he's proven time and again that we cannot actually trust him. So it's it's good that they made him promise. Yes, I agree. I very much agree. I do like, however, that one of these se- these secret underground entrances to the ministry is in the Bakerloo line. <laughs> that just is something particularly up. funny about the Bakerloo line, other than yeah. Name? <laughs> it's just, I mean, the the fact that it's it's an underground like an underground stop is isn't a secret entrance to the ministry. I mean, that to me it just seems like it's a very poor planning on someone's part. <laughs> well, actually, no. If you think about it, it's he never a, says the ministry was efficient. Yeah, well, true. that and, and it, they what they were doing is they were being um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were taking advantage of this tunnel being blocked up. Right. Oh, that's true. They were being opportunistic. Thank you. That was the word I was yeah. looking for. And you know, so yeah, sure, okay, we've had this landslide and or, or this cave in. Let's use this to our advantage. You know, it's an open area. You can get people that'll, that you can apparate into this area and then enter the ministry that way. The muggles can't see it, it because yeah. it's been shut off. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's an antechamber. It's what it basically is. It, it was, I think they were being opportunistic when they found this, when they put this entrance in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I also I just, like I, that I, it has I, collapsed more. Um, yes, even though the wizards took over, they couldn't just fix everything immediately. Right, be fine. right. You know. They couldn't. Just yeah, put you can't on it. That would make yeah. it look to Muggles like it was still collapsed, but really, sure. it's not. They they had to just leave it in its decrepit, decaying state just for the purposes of this plot. Well, also, right. it's not been used by the wizards in a while, so they they let it collapse. You know, what I mean, it could have collapsed even it. more in the yeah, intervening that makes years. Sense too. You know, oh, I think they did try and improve it, and maybe it worked for a while. But it, eventually, they couldn't hold it up. So, right. well, and if you go, if you don't go back in and refresh the charms, too, they'll they'll fade. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. especially if you have people that set it, have set the charms, and then those people die. You know, look at that. We've seen that in canon where a spell has broken an, upon the death of somebody. You know, the uh, body bind that Dumbledore put on Harry on the astronomy tower. You know, you, you see things like that. So it, maybe that's why there's no charms on that tunnel anymore. Nobody alive except, you know, Hopkirk knows about them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, I think it's also partially funny because back when um, when I was in London back in September, you know, you, you ride through the underground. Um, if you've ever been on the underground, they do all of their work, like construction on the underground stations on the weekends because of the uh, volume is a lot less of people trying to use the underground. And so you'll just drive through these underground stations that are completely closed off. And there's like blue tarps over everything. And it's just big signs that say, 
we're terribly sorry for the inconvenience, but this station stop is under construction. And so I just got this this image in my head of this, like, the blue plastic tape or the blue tarps everywhere under there while they're crawling around in here with the big, you know, and somewhere the broken recording is still saying, mind the gap, and, you know. (laughs) I just had this image in my head of what this scene was like, and it just always cracked me up to think about it because I was picturing, you know, all this different stuff about it, and, you know, they have the adverts on the wall, and so I'm picturing, like, an advert for a movie, like, this this would have been set in, like, what, 98, 97, so something like Titanic. There's like an advert for Titanic like flopped over. <laughs> and in order to get through it, you had to like slip through Titanic. Yeah, you had to cut up, you had to like use a severing charm to, you know, cut between Leo and Kate and just step right through. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. I, just, yeah, I, I guess I'm just a little overly imaginative. And so then we yes. have our children's army that shows up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a few teachers them. and Snape. Okay. Okay. Can, can I ask something? This I, I wrote this in my notes and I was a little bit um, confused. So this is supposed to be a big secret. Nobody's yeah. supposed to know what's happening. Big, 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 big secret. Big secret. All of a sudden, yeah, really like school, 30 people show up going like, we heard the secret. We want in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first book, you know. I know. It's it's but, a huge secret. Naturally, the whole school knows. <laughs> I mean, I can. I mean, I like. I understand the theory, but this is not like okay, something big happened in the basement. This is like we're going yeah. to do something horrifically important. How the hell did twenty, thirty people find out about this? This you know? final buildup. I mean, the the buildup to this final battle seemed very, very sudden. Like, all of a sudden, okay, it's time for the final battle. We'll gather whoever happens to be standing around and go and get Voldemort. Whereas, Mm -hmm. it seems like in most other interpretations of the final battle, including canon, there's a little more, more preparation. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. They do insist on waiting a day for this one, but well, yeah. Why did they wait a day? day? So it's gonna have to remind me. So it's becoming. So they are coming in at night. Oh right. Ah, because they consulted their horoscopes and it said that uh, any nefarious plans would go badly. So they decided <laughs> to delay. <laughs> Trelawney fainted across the threshold. And was- <laughs> No, so Annie threatened to go with them, but she couldn't fight oh, no. the next day because her horoscope said that getting in a battle with the forces of evil would not be fruitful for her the next day. And they're like, you know what? We're going to have to delay it till tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. Oh, her with really Professor Sprout and Peeves to protect the school. I love that, though. I mean, it's perfect. I love that Peeves was like, yeah, dude, I don't fuck with my school. That was Did fantastic. You? It gets to destroy the school. Well, it's the whole idea, you know, we see this a lot being from Arkansas. You know, some people from Arkansas tend to get really upset if you talk bad about Bill Clinton because, you know, he's a lion cheating scumbag, but he's our lion cheating scumbag. (laughs) We're the only ones who are allowed to talk about him that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of like Peeves' you know, take on the whole thing. It's like, you know what? I might be, you know, wrecking everything, but hey, I'm the only one that's allowed to do this. You better step up. Mm -hmm. This is also the chapter, um, I think I mentioned it last time, where Draco says, what, are you seeing now, Weasley? Hopkirk says, moving on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did anybody think that 
he'd figured it out and was making a dig at Ron, like kind of indicating that he figured it out, or did people kind of just think it was coincidence? I think he figured it out right after that, because then, because Hopkirk was so abrupt with him, he's sort of like staring at Ron in disbelief, because he's figured actually maybe it was true. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. And then, you know, they have to delay everything because uh, they're making the communicare charms on a watch or bracelet or whatever. And they're like, well, it takes a long time. And everybody's like, I just thought that was funny. You know, I would figure they would sit there and be like, okay, let's line everything up. Ready? Go. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. And Ron gets to use his chess skills or at least has a vision relating his chess skills. I thought that was great when Ron suddenly saw it all as chess. I think that was just put so wonderfully to combine Ron's skills and strategy with this battle because that's something that it wasn't carried out in canon to as what I was expecting or would have liked. Oh, oh, that was the thing that I absolutely love about this chapter is that Filch is staying behind. To help protect the castle. And it's like, what? Is he going to throw his cat at somebody? <laughs> his mop. He'll like, throw his he'll leave, mop at somebody. He'll leave buckets of uh, soapy water out in the. Magical mess remover. You know, I mean, what the hell is he going to do? Come on. Oh, I don't know. He's got enough stuff that he's, you know, like confiscated oh, over these yeah. He's all there. Yeah, so I, I, I expect him to be... Knock dung bombs. <laughs> yeah, to have the twin stuff. That'd be yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He just opens up his big cabinet and lets Peeves at it. <laughs> yeah, here's the swamp and here's the dung. You know, it's... Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great Death Eater diversion. Oh, my God. If they, like, turn the entrance hall into a swamp, the Death Eaters wouldn't be able to get through. Except that they would, but they'd have to, like, wait and that would take some time. That's cool. Now they're, they're organizing everybody for this battle. I just happened to scroll past this, and they split up Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, but it, it makes sense. It makes sense because mm-hmm. because they know she knows Hopkirk knows how hot headed Ron is, mm-hmm. and she knows that Harry's not going to be able to do this without Ron. That Hermione might not necessarily need to be there, and that if something happens to Hermione, Ron's going to go batshit crazy. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. You know? I actually have that in my notes. It says angst yet sense. Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, you know that if something happened to Hermione, Ron's just not going to be able to be there and focus. And so that needs to be. And I love how the group five, it's it's Harry and Ron and Draco and Neville. Yeah, what the hell is Draco (laughs) doing in that group? I was like, like, what the hell is Neville doing in that group? (laughs) (laughs) He's there to sit on Draco. I don't know. You have to remember, Neville in this universe pones. Neville's a bam. I like it when fix include Neville in, for lack of a better term, the power block group, because I really do think that Neville was a very powerful character and that he developed into somebody who would stand up on his own. Mm-hmm. And, Neville and had I, one of the biggest journeys in the whole canon, really. Yes. And you see that, you know, he he makes such a big transformation from where he starts to where he finishes at the end of the series. And I think that that in itself speaks volumes about the kind of the kind of person that he is, but that he also is a very powerful person. So. Yeah, well, he starts out, you know, at near squib status and ends up killing Nagini. I mean, come on. Yeah. He's a late bloomer. I was yeah. also amused by, there were a couple of little Snape exchanges in this chapter, which <laughs> often amused me. And, um, oh, that's was it here. Well, earlier they're all shocked that... Um, he has showed up in this group that's going to do the whole thing, 
And Ron just says, what are you doing here? And he says, tactful as ever, Weasley. Mm-hmm. Then the other bit is yeah. uh, he was being snide over something or other. And it says, <laughs> Ron was saved from launching himself at Snape by virtue of preventing Harry from doing the same. Yeah. I like the, why hadn't the damn potion master stayed in a coma? Mm. Yeah. Ron, Ron thinks it, and then Harry says it himself within <laughs> paragraphs of each other. Great. So now we're actually going to go and uh, we're going to go kick some ass here. Of course, yes. you know, we have to have the night bus. And I, I think it's really funny that, you know, I guess you don't really realize it. I, I mean, I guess I started looking for it at some point, but Stan Shunpike becomes a fairly dynamic character in dynamic in the sense that he's never the same from one story to the next. Because, you know, some people are like, he's an evil Death Eater, and he's this and that. And some people are like, no, he's not a Death Eater, he's just an idiot. And some people are like, you know, no, he was this and this and this. And I I mean, I I think it's really funny when people bring him in, because he was just some weird static character that they just kind of tossed in there. And and people just ran with it in 30 different directions. Yeah, I always look at Stan like, you know, he's like Goober at the general store kind of guy. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes, that is what I thought too. So. I just thought it was funny that they took the night bus. I mean, it's like they're going to the like battle of their lives, but we have to ride the night bus and we have to talk to Stan Shunpike before we get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is something that doesn't come up often in fix, though. People just sort of use the night bus as a regular bus, but when it first appears, it says it's emergency transport for the stranded winter wizard, so yeah. they're using it for emergencies. I think it's emergency transport if you don't know how to apparate, if you can't apparate, uh, if yeah, you don't that's... feel like apparating, <laughs> if you're out of flu powder, you know. It's not so much the um, SWAT team in their tank or anything, but... It just seems like it, 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 it's like it reminds me of, like, a company of Marines taking a school bus to Iraq. Or something. Yes. <laughs> that is a very good analogy. <laughs> or the SWAT team using public transportation to get downtown, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. They put all their guns and everything. Wait a minute, I got change in my pocket here, you know. <laughs> okay. It's just, it's, it was just, it was very, um... Uh, funny. It was very, it was very amusing, <laughs> to say the least. Yes, yes, it was definitely very amusing. But um, there, they go walking through the tunnel. Now I know nothing about um subway maintenance after it's out of use. But why would the third rail still be electrified if the tunnel's not in use? A good question. Yeah, I don't they know. don't think it is, but they're just being careful in case. But it, it was electrified because the guy died. I mean, they found the body of a homeless person. Mm, that was a while ago, though. Well, apparently, yeah, we don't know how long ago they found that body. Okay, or, well, maybe then I'm wrong. <laughs> or it was it was put there to yeah, make people stay away from it. And I love how they're, they're pondering this, and Snape is just like, um, y'all, we've got more pressing matters and to deal handy. with. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like... It's fascinating as a lecture on <laughs> Electro, whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we go inside, and everybody's disillusioned, which, I mean, really, I think that would be kind of confusing, because... People would be bumping so, into each other. Yeah. Yes, that, that's kind of my take on it, that it would be like, I don't know, stepping on each other's toes? Yeah, I mean, you like, just... Literally? I think it would just be too too um, disorienting to really be able to, to make it work. 
Oh, so now we finally we get to the ministry, and so everybody's all you know skulking, 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 and 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 giant then, werewolf attack. Yes, it's like werewolf attack, go! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> shit, it feels like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or something, and somebody's just rolling the dice, and they're it's just a like, LARP. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> werewolves. Okay, that's done. Okay, creep some more. Vampires. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think and it's funny that they did. They went through all the trouble to use the disillusion charm, and then and they then get it into doesn't the work, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I get it. I really do. It's a good it's moment like, though that it, not all their plans go the way they'd want them to. Yes. Right. And I, I love how Hopkirk is all like vampires. <laughs> got vampires and we've got werewolves and we've got lions and tigers and bears oh my and we're and, the giant yeah exactly <laughs> and, they're, they're and harry this. gets hit in an artery yes. and we're off to see the love room the wonderful love room of england so <laughs> and so now we've got Ginny is in the death room and everybody else is you know mm-hmm. kind of and terry has everything. to see her getting or tries not to see her getting tortured because voldemort's trying to do that thing Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Draco's looking like him like he's nuts because um, he likes to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then Harry gets sliced across an artery and has to take Ron's potions because he dropped his somewhere. Right. Yes, uh, and that's another, I like, okay, like, seriously, when I read that, I'm sitting here going, okay, that was so a plot point. That was so a plot point. Something <laughs> you think? bad's about to happen to Ron. Yes. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Mm. like... Oh, God. Ron's going to die. And lo and behold, we get to the end of the chapter, and Ron's like, I have to go first. I have to go first. Let me go back in there and face the peril. No, it's too perilous. My duty as a knight stops as much peril as I can. No, we've got to find the holy grail. Come on. Oh, let me have just a little bit of peril. No. Doesn't help it. Yeah. Sliced by the magic sword. Yeah, oh my god. Flying magic sword. Am I stupid, or did anybody else think that wonder if Ron was actually dead? Oh, I did. I I thought for a minute he was dead. I mean, he got sliced by Gryffindor's sword, and they were talking about sacrifices. He's like, you know, had to sacrifice, you know, you shouldn't have to sacrifice yourself. And then he goes, no, it wasn't enough. I'm like, what do you mean it wasn't enough? Ron can't die? No, I didn't think he was dead because he didn't say what he saw himself saying in his dream. Which was what? Finish it, Harry. Right, 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 right. Well, because we haven't gotten to that point yet. Right, but... I was so you caught were, up in being scared that I didn't notice that. He did. Mm-hmm. You don't realize he does. Is he? You know, he sliced across. You know, between the top and the bottom here. And okay, mm-hmm. now what? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, he does. He plays into that because there's a whole series of conversation where he keeps trying to say the things like tell Ginny it wasn't her fault and all the various little things that he would say if he was actually dying. And Harry is being frantic and feeding him potions instead. And just a flesh wound. All that sort of thing. It's like, okay, you're completely cl- killing my buzz here. You need to just shut up and live and stop trying to make your final amends with everyone under the sun and just shut up so I can feed you potions, big dumb idiot. <laughs> he, it, he kind of reminds me of what I usually say when people tell me that they're going to die. Or it's, it's like, oh my god, this is so bad. I think I might die. And I'm just like, mm, I'm a little busy this week. You think you could put it off for oh, just okay, like an honestly. hour or two? The way, that you like phrased, the way that you phrased that right there at the first, I, th- I was about to be like, okay, Julia, how many people that d- do you know that are terminal? Come on. Right. Yeah. Tons. <laughs> you meant, no. like, usually yeah, all I thought you people. meant, like, dying in your arms, like, because, like, during all yeah. the battles you've been in. 
<laughs> hey, you guys would be shocked at how many battles I've been in. You have like a ninja ninja skills that we don't know. <laughs> I do actually. I own a ninja suit. Mad ninja <laughs> skills with a Z. Yep. Ninja skills. Yep. No, usually what happens is that like I'll be on the phone with Itai, and Itai will tell me that he's old and he's going to die, and I'm just have to be like, maybe mm, next week. I don't really have time to, you know, take you to the hospital, fly across the country this week. Next week, oh, bye. it's okay. I suddenly saw the title, Julia has ninja skills. <laughs> yeah. I do have ninja oh. skills. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, good God. Oh, good God. I love you guys. <laughs> okay, well, um, Ron doesn't die. And Ginny wakes up, still under the Imperius, and is going to walk through the veil. And Harry has to talk her down from that, basically. Yeah, well, she's still under the Imperius curse. This here is is, is exactly, you know, I mean, I understand this is the big climactic, you know, dramatic dramatic moment of the story. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, now we've already established that is she strong enough? Is she not strong enough? I mean, all of a sudden, now she's strong enough to throw it off, even though, you know, she wasn't strong enough. It's because Harry is closer. It's It's their uh, super connection thingy. Yeah. uh, And he has to touch her to activate the uh, superpowers, you see. Right. And he has to say, I love you. Otherwise, they're just not super soulmate powers. Right. Yeah. They don't. God, I just, I hate that as a plot point. There are some things in the story, I know I mentioned this um, in the very first episode when we covered this story, that that there are so many things where you can really kind of tell that this is an American writing a a story and trying to sound British. Just the, the, and Ryan asked me to give him a specific example of something, and I really couldn't, but it's just kind of the way sentences flow, I think, and the way certain characters interact, and, and, and even the word choice in some things, you can really kind of tell that it's an American, and, and I, I don't know. The fact that Harry faces Voldemort and says, let's do this. Why isn't this an awkward moment? Yes, yeah. that would be one. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I cannot imagine a, a, a British Harry Potter saying, let's do this, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, just, it doesn't work. <laughs> it sounds so, like, like brisk, like, let's do this, like, let's... I mean, he might as well have said, hasta la vista, baby. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it makes a good movie. I think I that's some some of what she's going for in these because she does have um, a number of big descriptive pa- passages yeah. like that where um, oh things are glowing and blowing around and all sorts of really neat stuff is happening in cinematic. Okay. So now we're getting into the 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 final reckoning. You know, ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. That's where she got the title. Harry sends all his friends out of the room and they're having they have their wand battle and then both lose their wands and the sword is way off on the other side of the room and they stare at each other and think really hard and yes I know that I mean it's just like honestly I thought of Carrie at the prom I really did I half expected (laughs) someone to throw a bucket of pig's blood I mean (laughs) oh god you know, come on. That's that's just what I thought about. I thought about it, and and you know, we kind of know from all of this that he's weak. That Voldemort is weakened through all of this, and and I don't know that I necessarily like the way that 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 we that she went in that direction where Voldemort is all of a sudden weakened by you know blah 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 blah, and it's I don't know. It's he's just, being poisoned all this time. 
Well, yes, that's been true. the plot through the whole thing. But, but that's the point. My point is, I don't know that I necessarily like that as a plot device because it kind of—I don't want to say it's like a cop out, but it's like, oh well. By the way, he's been poisoned all this time, so Harry really all you have to do is knock him over with a feather, and he'll—he's <laughs> toast, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know. It diminishes Harry's accomplishment a little. There you go. Rock on. Well, I will say one thing about the the final confrontation is that I really liked. I really liked Voldemort in it. Like, I really liked the presentation of Voldemort as help me find a way to put this that doesn't make it sound like Voldemort is nice. Still a human being? Yeah. I mean, I like it. I like... Trapped by his own humanity? <laughs> What's left yes. of us? Yes. And I've seen... I think I just finished reading a story not too long ago where something similar, you know, it gets to the end of the final battle and, and all of a sudden Voldemort is just an old man again. And without the Horcruxes and without the power that he's stolen from people, you know, he is physically changed. And now he is just a sad old man who is weak and deluded and, and crazy, and he becomes a character that you pity, not that you feel an inherent hatred for. Or at least that's kind of what it did for me in that particular story. And, and like I said, I, I cannot remember what, what story exactly it was. I, uh, I have this thing now where apparently my, my office blocks every website under the sun, but it doesn't block any kind of fan fiction website. So I can read fanfic at work. <laughs> and so and it's gotten to the point now where I've read so much from so many different authors that I'll just be like, oh, well, let's try something new and, and see if I can stomach it. And so it's from, I don't even remember what side it was from, but but anyway. Anyway, the point is that he, he turns into a character that is to be pitied, not necessarily one that is to be feared. And and. I, I kind of like the way they did that, because under it all, Voldemort is just a sad, scared old man. Kind of like underneath it all, Draco was just a, a sad, scared little boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it gets yeah, down sort to... Of, they start that in this this penultimate battle where they're doing their legitimacy thing, and Harry brings up that he didn't really want to kill Lily. He felt pity for her, and um, Voldemort can't handle that, and sort of keeps yelling no and shoves him out of his mind and they keep sort of going back and forth that way while um while Voldemort's trying to shove him into the veil yeah and then meanwhile we also have um <clears throat> because of the way she's written this all along we also get to see Ron's thing where he goes and has to um save Hermione with a giant gut wound yeah yeah it's like really, really. Yeah. Well, you know, I always thought that if if you were you know sliced open between top and bottom, you weren't going anywhere. Yeah. You know? See, yeah. see, I think that is that all comes back to Ron and Hermione. I mean, he said he'd always come back to her. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, but it's just this having Ron do this though reminds me of. You know, watching a television show where the hero gets shot in the abdomen and then, you know, scales the tall buildings. You know, it's like you will not be moving if you have a gunshot wound in your stomach. I'm sorry. Yes. You know, it just. (laughs) They do have strengthening potions and Neville with the healing charms and that sort of thing. I know, but some of it. And then the other part, once he dives through the door, he ends up collapsed on the floor for 25 minutes. Right. Has to fight not from collapsed on the floor, but 
<laughs> yeah. But... Not as being evil as usual. Nothing for you. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I I just finished not too long ago a story. Which one was it? Oh, it was the denial by Little Beloved, and not figures pretty prominently in that story. And he's not evil. He's kind of a douche, but not in an evil way. <laughs> just kind of in a general douchey way. He's just a general dirtbag, not a, not a specific one. <laughs> well, it's more like if you have evil intent to be a dirtbag, then you're being a dirtbag because you want to be evil. But if you're just kind of a general dirtbag, you might not necessarily be meaning to be that way. That's just kind of how you are. Okay. I guess is the way I'm kind of going with it. And, and I don't know. I guess for a second I was kind of like, wait a minute, is not evil? Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. Okay, go. <laughs> This one is being sinister deliberately because also right. we need to prod Ron into um, uh, having enough to summon his wand back. Right. Yeah. So this is See a Hermione get fondled by smirking guys in front of him kind of does it. Right. Knott's the new Malfoy. Yes. I've, I've seen like, a, in a lot of stories. That's yeah, kind whenever of Malfoy turns good, it's like it's like Knott gets promoted to Malfoy. And it's like, I guess, like, Crab gets promoted to Goyle, and Goyle gets promoted to Knott. But it's interesting. It, it does seem to come up in fix. There needs to be a character who's the uh, Slytherin brat, basically. And if Draco isn't it, then they run into another one. I, I think know. it just makes for a more compelling story when you have a Slytherin brat. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Slytherins. You have the... Um, Voldemort is usually the major antagonist who's sort of off elsewhere, and then you have the minor annoying antagonist who's at Hogwarts. And right. Yes. Yes. And who's actually and, and, the more the more direct threat, I think, for the most part. Yes. I, I like that analogy because I never really saw like Draco. I never saw Draco as the antagonist. He's just kind of an obnoxious. He's, he's a fly tool. on the wall. Yes. Yeah. He's a tool. But he was never the big, big baddie, you know? I've actually, I can't remember where either, but I've read somewhere that that was actually brought up. And Harry actually says to him something along the lines of, you're not my... Um, nemesis. nemesis. You're not my foil. <laughs> my you're not my character foil, Malfoy. Yeah, he, he gets to be um, Dr. Horrible. He's like, you're not my, you're not the nemesis. That would be the one who, you know, is killing my parents and 50,000 other people. Right. You doesn't, don't quite measure up. Yes. <laughs> Drake is like, I want to be a nemesis. He's <laughs> <laughs> in nemesis training school. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, that was so funny. <laughs> I want to be a nemesis. <laughs> like, somebody, I, one story that I read, uh, they weren't the death eaters, they were the death nibblers. Not as the new Malfoy. Okay. And then he gets hit by his own Avada Kedavra. Yeah, yes. thank God. I mean, there are a few people who I wish that on, but oh, that was not cool. That was yeah. not cool. I was a little bit happy that he died. Yeah, yeah and it bounced around the room, and it was like... <laughs> boing, 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 boing. That was another one of those uh, cinematic moments, because it has like five different jets of green light, and they're all ducking and weaving, and then you sort of look over, and there's not on the floor. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it reminded very, me of the very vision, very easy to picture in your head. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I will say that I have been more than a little disturbed on, on different occasions of of the uh, interjections of the the birth scene because 
I mean, I understand what the point was when they brought it in, and it's supposed to be an inspiration, but it's just like, it kind of pulls me out of the battle mode. Oh, oh yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, battle, battle, ah, ah, Clash of the Titans, you know, the marches are playing, and it's blah, 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 and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, I'm having a baby! You know, it's, it's, <laughs> Does lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> she threatens to castrate him. He um, yes. faints at the sight of a placenta, and yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And they ha- they start bickering in the midst of having just had a baby, and the uh, yeah, doctor or nurse or whoever has to go be like, um, "Did either of you want to hold it?" So, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, we just really had funny. a freaking baby. <laughs> um, but. It- you know, despite the fact that it is a little annoying and that it does kind of pull you out of the battle, like, I written in my notes, I was like, oh, good. Like, you know, I it was just, it served as a little reminder of exactly what they were fighting for and why they were there. And I commented yeah. that, you know what, I hope it gives, I hope it gives Ron the strength he needs to, to not die and to make it out. I liked Ryan's comment, Protego, it's the new Expelleramas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's he going to do? Just walk up the word Protego in? <laughs> <laughs> Protego is the new familiar. That's really funny. Uh, Everything moves up in this fic. Yeah. <laughs> now, boy, Protego's new expelling armis. That's yeah. the really supercharged funny. Protego. It blocks killing curses. Right. Ooh. Ooh. Even the banishing charm gets a bit of an upgrade in this fic, because, like, two scenes later, yeah. Voldemort he doesn't want to go into the love room, and they all banish him at once, and you're like, wait, I'm not what? going in there. You can't make me. Poof. <laughs> you're in there. <laughs> banishing charms. I'm like, what? It's complete non sequitur, but you know what frustrates me to no end? That the banishing what? charm is one of the few, like, common slash useful spells that we don't get the incantation for incantation. That's true. And I have been tempted, sorely tempted, to make it back you. <laughs> I just wanted to take a second to go into English major mode here okay. and say that I really, really loved the Lavender Brown is using this technique of there being two different battles going on simultaneously and that we're going back and forth and back and forth and never getting too much of one at the same time. I thought that was a really, really great technique to just, like, draw out the tension for as long as possible and just, like, you sort of get, like, you know, this, like, crescendo of tension and it's just building and building and building and building and building and building and building. And so finally when it when it explodes, it's, like, super tension powers go. Well, sort of because I think it kind of had to be that way because if you had tried to done it to where you went through one and then went through the other, you know, if you started with the the not hairy battle and and went through that one first, everybody would be like, oh, I don't give a shit about this. Where's Harry? What's going on? What's going on? But right. then if you did it the other way and you started with the battle with Harry and Voldemort and then you finished with the whole thing afterwards, you'd be like, well, I don't give a shit about this. It's already over. Come on. What's going on? What's going on? You know, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't really care about what else was happening. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, that's I just realized, Harry man, defeated Voldemort. Oh, and by the way, a wall fell on Ron a few hours ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Beautiful death scene here. Where we get back, I mean, it's down to the end. It is the absolute end. And Voldemort is a shadow of himself. He is an anguished old man. And Harry has to sit there. And it's no longer killing someone in the heat of battle. Mm -hmm. This is walking up to someone who is defeated and plunging a sword into his heart. And that, I think, is one of the most powerful ending, endgame, final hoorah 
death scenes that we've ever seen in fandom because it's not you know somebody throwing a curse it's not it's not you know this big you know fireballs and and everyone is standing around and saying incantations and priori incantatum has something to do with it and yada 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 this is just the hero and the villain and at this point the villain is utterly broken and and harry still has to kill him yeah Yeah. i loved that that whole scene was like the most intense thing i might have ever read well, I'm exaggerating, but it was still, like, it was, I was, like, edge of my seat, like, it was, yeah, it was very intense. This, and this I, is definitely my favorite killing Voldemort in a fic. Mm-hmm. I, hesi- mm-hmm. I, I hesitated before saying in a fic, because I think it is on par with canon, in my mind. Like, I can't really decide which one I like better. Wow, that's saying something. And, um... Just because it's so poignant, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, this just... is when I think Harry has finally accepted, he, he, he fought his destiny for a long time and he still i think even during the battle he keeps saying i have to be the one to do this but i don't think he ever thought it would come down to that right. and and it, and it was at that moment when he picks up the sword and he plunges it into voldemort's chest that is the moment where he picked up his destiny and said this i am the chosen one this is what i have to do i'm ending this now well, and, and then, even during the last battle scene itself when he finally gets the power from the blood and throws yes. off the Cruciatus mm-hmm. curse and all that, which I also liked, minor tangent, that just going into the room wasn't enough, and Harry was kind of expecting that, and he's like, wait, what? why isn't he um, bursting into flame or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's still... Yeah, but- I loved that, by the way. I loved that even though it was such like a, it's, it showed such like depth in Voldemort that even though he's like physically weak, the room itself is making him weak, everything about him is weak, but he could still take Harry. You know, I, I love that, that it didn't just come down to that, that it had to be, it had to be a mental thing. You know, you had to break him from the inside. I just, I loved that. It's so different from what we usually see. Yes. But well, even when he finally gets to the actual um, part where he's got the power and it's working, he kind of expects that seeing Voldemort get hit with the blood and that's making him blister and all that, he expects that to kill him. Just sort of, it's almost a long distance thing, even though they're in the same room. He's kind of throwing blood at him and um, figuring that will work. And then it turns out that they're both sort of lying on the floor panting, and Voldemort's defeated, but he's not going to die unless Harry takes the next step. Right. Yeah. And I think I I looked at, you know, Harry going over and and killing him as, you know, this is, I'm being merciful to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You are dying. You are already dead. Yeah. Do you want to stretch it out? Yeah. (laughs) He 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 probably would though. I don't think Voldemort looked at it that way. Well, he does in the end, doesn't he? He starts crying. Yeah. Yeah. There's parallels with um, Half Blood Prince actually, because yeah. Voldemort was... says please, and Harry has to kill him. It's like Dumbledore and Snape on the tower top. Like how after this battle has taken place, and Harry finally comes out of the room and he says it's gone. He's gone. It's done. I did it. And they don't cheer. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because it, that underscores just the enormous gravity of the situation. This is not a celebration. This is this is acknowledging that it's over, but now it's time to mourn because it's not just about the people who died. It's about this entire generation of kids who lost their childhood, who lost their innocence because of this war. They're not yeah. just mourning for the people who actually died. They're mourning for themselves. They're mourning for everything that they lost. They're mourning for, yes, the people who died as well, but, but it, it's bigger than that. It's bigger and it's, it's, 
scarier and it's it's more depressing than just the people who are physically dead. Well, yeah, and you see that you see that in stories too. Where I, there was one that I just finished reading, I think that um, they were having a celebration or a memorial or something, and Harry's like, "I don't want to go to this. I don't want to do this. Nobody else gets." why I don't want to celebrate the anniversary of my parents' death. Yes. This is not yeah. fun for me. You know, don't make me do this. So, yeah, yeah I, I can understand that. I, I, I understand what that point is. Because it's not a celebration. This is a, this is what we had to do, and it's done, and now we need to pick up the pieces and move on. Yes. Yeah. So. And so then, just because the story is nothing without the gut-wrenching drama, <laughs> we, uh, we find out that Ron ain't doing so hot. Mm-hmm. No, the and, fighting with a gut wound has finally got to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know I I don't know I I kind of ha- tend to be critical of scenes where there's there's a CPR, CPR. done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was a little whoa American Muggle writing in the Wizarding World. Well, and yeah. and and Scott and I talked about this when the peons podcasted a couple of, of episodes ago um they use needles i never mm-hmm. have known a wizard to use a needle to inject anything no never seen yes. that and mm-hmm. the other thing was just even in this one um when molly and um and arthur are told that Ginny has been kidnapped and molly freaks out and ron says or somebody says oh they sedated they her, her a sedative yeah. it was like what <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. Calming potion, I can understand, but sedative? No. Sedative? Yeah, it's like, what, did they slip her a lithium or a Valium? I mean, come on. I guess so. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just, it threw me out of the story. Yeah. It is, um, well, I'd mentioned how horrified they were with the idea of stitches in um, Half-Blood Prince, but I guess this was written before that, so we don't have that. Actually, I think yeah. it was, it was order, order because the... Augustus Pye tries stitches on Arthur and they don't work. Yeah, right? that's it. Right. Because also, because part of it, I think, is just like Muggle technology doesn't work so well at Hogwarts, or doesn't work at all because of the magic. I almost wonder if you tried to give Muggle drugs to a wizard if they wouldn't work because of the magic in their blood. Uh, I don't yeah, necessarily I, agree with that because I think that there are too many Muggle-born kids who oh, get right. aspirin and Tylenol and stuff like that growing up. But the that problem is, it, it would you know what potions? What are you giving to them as potions that's going to interfere or counteract with the Muggle drugs? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't mix them. I don't know. <laughs> it's like you know, drugs and alcohol. You're not supposed to mix the two together. Right. Yeah. But people, but people do all the time. <laughs> Well, I think I definitely, I have definitely seen that um, written that it doesn't, it either it doesn't work or it might even hurt you. But I guess I read that right about muggle-born kids, and that's what always stuck out in my head was that I think that if there really was a a correlation there, if if muggle medicine didn't work on magical people, that you wouldn't have as many muggle-borns going to Hogwarts because they'd be dead. Yeah, you know, I mean, they'd have died from like the chicken pox or something or measles or you know yeah, the flu true. pneumonia something like that i mean if, if medicines didn't work that way I, I i don't know that's just the way i kind of saw it mm-hmm. yeah. it is a very powerful scene though that it's ron and her that it's harry and hermione giving ron cpr it comes back to the trio again yeah and yeah they're the be, ones who be that as it may that it doesn't work or that it's unrealistic that was a really powerful scene yes I, i'm not disagreeing with the power behind it i just I see CPR in in any story, and I'm just like, what? 
you know? Yeah, it kind of pulls you out a little bit. Uh, At least they did bring it up a number of times before that. It's not like um, Harry just happens to know CPR and they bring it up in this chapter and that. Yeah. Because they have learned it in two of their classes. Yeah. I don't know. And so, and, and then Vox shows up and saves the day because that's just what happens. In these yes, everything's like, yay. Well, he was pretty well injured. He yeah. was, and if he hadn't, if Fox hadn't shown up, he probably would have died. So. Yeah, oh, that's true. I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. It's just. <laughs> Why did yeah. a stupid bird have to show up? <laughs> no. Bird, Oh, well, you know, the phoenix is a symbol of resurrection and faith, so it worked out. <laughs> is that so, Julia? Please do tell us really? more. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, you'd I almost think, think you'd written a paper on it. I know. You would think that, but I don't know. That's so by the way, it turns out I got an A-plus on that paper, by the way. I'm very excited. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. After, yeah. after the rewrite, after they said, you need to rewrite the whole thing, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. After it was like, you have to find articles that agree with you. And I'm like, wait, what? Articles about Harry Potter? Those don't exist in a scholarly sense. And so I had to email, no joke, I had to email this woman in the Department of Children's Literature at, in Kansas at cheese school mm-hmm. to like help me find some articles and she did and i used them both and i thanked her profusely. So, you need, so you need to if you can you need to post that okay i'm gonna try to um present it at LeakCon. i have to submit it but i can post it somewhere okay. for you that would be nice okay so yeah so, fox shows up and saves the day because that's what fox he does shows up and saves the day and and we have this whole thing they go to the hospital and there's you know they refer to ron throwing a clot and i'm just like really and somebody All else right. did too yeah <laughs> <laughs> It brings another opportunity for a little human moment in which Harry goes, why didn't I think to bring, like, a jar of Phoenix Tears? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget the giant of, stash you know, of potions, I mean. Every once in a while, I, I think that that's kind of good that, you know, it, it goes back to the whole thing in, in Philosopher's Stone where Hermione freaks out when they're at the Devil's Snare because they don't have any fire. fire. They don't have any matches, so they can't light a fire. And somebody's finally like, um, hello? Conjure it. And she's like, oh, duh. I, I mean, and I kind of like that, that you see these kids who are muggle-born, who grew up around muggle things, they don't automatically think to do the magical solution right, right yes. off the bat. And I like that, because, you know, in real life, you don't always have the right thing at the right time. And even if you do, you don't always realize you have the right thing at the right time. And it always, it, it always made me puzzled. It always puzzled me. <laughs> it always puzzled me to see Muggleborn, you have, and Harry, who was basically, you know, raised by Muggles, come into Hogwarts and immediately cotton on to everything, you know? Yes. It's like, did you forget that you have been in the Muggle world for the previous ten and a half years? Yes. I mean, exactly. <laughs> you know what bugs me about Hogwarts? Like, one of these deals where it's like, not necessarily like a problem I have with this story, but like, if it were real, I would lobby them to change, is that they don't give these kids any kind of cultural lessons. They just like unleash them in basically a foreign country. And expect yes. them to live their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Muggle studies is an elective in third year, and there's nothing at all like wizard studies. No. You'd right. think I, it might I, be in history of magic, but with Bins being the teacher, it just doesn't happen. And it, that's history. I mean, that's what happened. Like, you don't know what to do. I mean, you know, they don't learn. Right. You're not going to learn about Beetle the Bird in history class. You know? Yeah. I mean, all this no. stuff that Harry, like, learns progressively throughout the books. I mean, I know he learns progressively throughout the books because it's a plot point. But 
I mean, he's never heard, he hasn't, for example, the first time he's ever heard of Apparition is when Ron mentions it in Chamber of Secrets. And the first time he's ever heard of such and such is when Ron mentions it. So I think they need to do something about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but also, on the other hand, we don't know that there isn't something like that set up for the families and the Dursleys were just like, not oh, interested. Oh, you know, you know what could be is that it could be something that I always I always assumed that there was something that happened with Muggleborns, and since Harry is not Muggleborn, he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like I have to, Hagrid I have didn't to go assume the whole program that like I have to assume that there's Friday. somebody comes. I have to assume that Muggles yeah, don't get owls dropping letters on their door. Didn't McGonagall visit the Grangers, or was that yeah, in fanfic? That's 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 in fanfic, but it's not canon. You know, it has re- in canon. But Are I you have, sure? Yes. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it said, it's, I mean, I'm thinking like an interview or something. It says that there is some sort of, like, a teacher goes. She might have mentioned, like, casually, but it, it wasn't really yeah. dropped. Like, it wasn't like, in the books anyway. It could have No, I know it wasn't in the books. But I'm pretty, because I'm pretty know. sure it's mentioned that, that a teacher goes. I mean, that's what I assumed. Like, like the way they send Hagrid makes it seem like, oh, okay. Right, I mean, like Dumbledore gather round, went to gather round, draw. Yeah, Dumbledore went to get <coughs> went to Riddle. So like, gather round, gather round, draw, draw straws. Uh, you mm-hmm. got this one, Minerva. Okay, Phileas, you go next week. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it felt like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and it we, could uh, well be that Hagrid was supposed to do more of that, but he just wouldn't think of it because, yes. of course, Harry is the son of these two great wizards and is um, mm-hmm. would naturally know everything and. Right, yeah. right. What I what I was saying, what I meant was that I always envisioned um, for Muggleborns that they don't just get a letter that somebody that the, a teacher comes knocking on the door. Mm, yeah, yeah. Can can no. you imagine getting a letter like that for your child? Yeah, I, that's why I have to assume no postmark, no return address. After a, thou- I mean, after a thousand years, that they would have figured out you can't just send a letter. Yeah, they ha- they yeah. have to they, they have to go. Yeah, so. we await your owl by. Yeah, I, really like, I mean, it that? sounds like a joke. Like, it doesn't make oh, any sure. sense if you just yeah. read the letter. I mean, yeah, in this day and age, with all this anthrax <clears throat> business, if I got a letter with no postmark, I'd get rid of it immediately, not even open it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that is what fanfic is for, because people write those things. Yes. Indeed they do, and we're supposed to be talking about one that someone wrote. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Okay, so so they've so they've done CPR and Ron and <coughs> they poured every potion in the ministry down Ron's throat, mm-hmm. right? And okay. Snape shows up with a giant sack of them. Yeah, that's what I meant. Thank Snape God gives them all up, mm. which is very nice of him. Yeah, especially considering that, unbeknownst to us, he's pretty injured himself. Right, that we find mm-hmm. out later. Right. Oh, and by yes, the way, and here's guys, Augustus I... with the giant needle for the sedative. Right. Mm. Yes. Augustus yes. extracted a very frightening-looking syringe with a long needle at the end, from the end of his robes. Thank you. Just like what? Well, couldn't just magic it into her blood? Come on. Thank no, you. We'll see. This is Augustus. I mean, Augustus likes muggle things, so I think Augustus that is true. Born. I think Augustus is one of those kids who like grew up watching ER, decided he wanted to be a doctor, and then <laughs> like was actually a little bit disappointed when the Wizarding World came along and he found out he wouldn't get to use those cool heart shocker panel things. 
Do <laughs> like, you think he's muggle-born? I always assumed that he was pure blood and that it was like a novelty to him. Like he found out about this crazy thing. Like he doesn't, like he doesn't Weasley, seem to use it as if he was something that he already knew about and brought with him. So you're yeah. saying that muggle medicine is like a hobby? So well, not really. I mean, I mean it is like he adopted something that he he found out about as an adult, as opposed to using something that was his part of his heritage. Okay. Well, I, in in canon, I I would agree with you, but in this fic, it seems more like he was just like some muggle-born who's like, oh great, syringes. Let's this try these. I, yeah. No, like this this is something I know. It's like or I don't know. In this fic, yeah. I thought I thought it works. Yeah. Possibly. He even uses the "you'll just feel a pinch" line. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, well, and then, a- think about it. If you're a wizard and you very rarely use a syringe, well, how would you know how to find what a vein? Feel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just stick it in your arm, and it'll go in there somewhere. Totally. <laughs> well, they yeah. use their magic. Well, that's experts. kind of how I feel like. That, that is really kind of how I feel like when I do my um, ABGs at the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh God. Here's a prayer, you know. Please hit the vein. Yay. (laughs) Trust me, your patients are thanking you every time you hit their veins because, oof, God, I've definitely had had a couple of where they missed. Oh, no. I have have, have really hard to find veins. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a tangent for you. I had had to have uh, my esophagus stretched. Of all things, yeah. yeah, and um, they don't give you. They give you. You're a. It's a. It's a conscious sedative. Yeah. For your your you know <laughs> apparently you're awake but you don't care kind of thing. And um, they put you under the imperious curse. Go on. Yeah. Well, they put it in the back of. They put the IV in my hand, and then they put the medication in my hand. And you know, I'm sitting there talking to them. They're like, "How are you feeling?" And I'm like, "Fine." You know, the sky is blue, the grass is green. You know, I don't know what's going on. And they looked at the back of my hand, and they had missed the vein, and there was this huge lump on the back of my hand from where the medication was. So they had to pull the IV and put it in another vein, and like within a minute of administering the medication, I was out. Well, oh, the yeah. problem was that I had all this, so I had a double dose. So for two oh. days, I was like in loopy land. Wee, this is fun. <laughs> and no one <laughs> thought to record a podcast with you? What is wrong with the world? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't consciously sedated for two days, but I was like, this night, yeah, okay, I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> You know, like part of whenever we do, like when we have intakes on patients, um, in order to assess how well they're oxygenating their blood and getting rid of carbon dioxide, you have to take blood from an artery, not a vein. Mm -hmm. And so like when you get blood drawn, it's out of a vein. And that's what the blue things that you can see on your skin are veins. So you can Mm -hmm. visualize them before you stick. When you do an arterial draw, it's blind. So you have to... You feel for a pulse, and then you stick a needle in, and you just kind of hope that you're in the right place. <laughs> it's horrible. I hate it. I hate, I hate doing them. Hate them. They're well, the fiery the, passion of a thousand suns. Your, your patients aren't too thrilled about them either, trust me. <laughs> nice. Mm. So let's talk about, you know, the fic. Sorry. Yes. Just really- so, by the way, guys, just like so you know, I have written down in my notes at this point. By the way, where the hell is Ginny during this whole thing? She's uh, yes. passed out. She's somewhere else. But I just want you guys all to know that I was curious as to where she was because the fact that she right. wasn't there was like, hmm. It's like, wait a minute, like, where's what's going on? Something where's is Ginny? rotten in the state of Denmark. 
Yes. And so mm-hmm. then Harry realizes it, and then we find out, dun, 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 Ginny has been kidnapped by Pansy Parkinson. <laughs> See, now, okay. totally now, let me say this. out of left field. And let me say this. It kind of reminded me, like, I know I've seen some movies like this in the past where it's just like, you get to the end, and you're like, oh, hey, it's over. And then there's, like, another hour of movie. Yeah, I, just, I will like, tell you. I did not like this bit. It seemed really tacked on. Like she was yeah. like, "Hmm, like I don't know what I don't know what was going through her head like cuz it does it just doesn't make any sense to me why you'd do it." Yes. I didn't right. I, I I didn't exactly like the way that they did that either. And I don't know. I mean, I guess, I mean, I could see, after I found out about it, it was, I could see where it was going, like, how they led up to it. There were things feeding into that before, because there were people knowing things that they shouldn't have been able to know. There's even one line where um, they they figured out Ron was the seer, and they're like, the only people who have seen me have visions are uh, Draco, who you say it's not, and Pansy, who's dead. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think about this. Pansy, who's dead. Hmm. Mm, yeah, not so much as it turns out. Right? Not so much. Hi, this is Keza here, calling in to give my final thoughts as we wrap up the Final Reckoning series by Lavender Brown. And I brought along my tissues because everybody said I would need tissues. And I didn't use them. I think... I was supposed to cry at the point at which Ron nearly kicked the bucket, but I was reading it on Checkmated, which is a Ron Hermione archive, so I figured that he would make it. And I was just waiting for the miracle to occur. So I still have plenty of tissues that are going free, free to a good home, because I didn't use them. I thought that it was a bit of a cop-out at the end of the story to have Harry run away. I thought it was a bit cruel. I don't understand empathy things when people make empaths and they couldn't be together because I thought it was just annoying. And I don't like Ginny being an empath because I'm a Harry Ginny shipper and it always gets in the way of her being with Harry. And I thought that the epilogue was rubbish. There was no answers for me, like what happened to Harry while he was away, you know, in his little glamour-charmed little existence. Because I couldn't see how Harry and Ginny got back together, it was just sort of fake in the epilogue. It wasn't really real. Hopkirk still scares the crap out of me. She is one scary, scary person. I thought Neville was really cool in this fic, with all you know his healing and his all his stuff that he does. Um, I was a bit confused that Dean was on flames, yet apparently okay, and I didn't get the blood thing. You know, the whole point of the story didn't get it. But I thought it was pretty cool that Voldemort like just disintegrated, even if I don't really get how that happened. So overall, I enjoyed the story. I didn't find it heart-wrenching or sad. Oh, I did like that Pansy died. Well, again, because she died the first time and I enjoyed that and I enjoyed the fact that she died the second time. I thought it was a cop-out that Lucius got away. I thought they should have just, like, killed him, but I realised that she wants, you know, that leave it open for the sequel, which I don't believe she ever wrote. But, yeah, pretty pretty good story. A little bit out of character at times. Like, I don't think the Weasleys would have let Harry glamorise himself and look all funny and different and, and go off. I think that he needed Ron and Hermione and I didn't feel like Ron and Hermione being together would be cause for Harry to be shut out. I think that their relationship is, is a lot stronger than that. Overall, I enjoyed the fic. I disliked Pansy Parkinson with the intensity of a thousand fiery blazing suns. 
and I didn't need any tissues. That's pretty much it. I'm still not crying. So, yes, we're mostly near the beginning of Chapter 51. Harry has just defeated Voldemort and feels like crap and discovers that, well, he already knew Ron was injured and there have been complications with Ron. He asks, uh, I think it's he asks Remus how people are and um, Ginny appears to be fine. He saw he saw Draco and Ginny on their way. They were going to the hospital, etc. And Neville is taking care of Ron and at that point Neville bursts in and Ron has stopped breathing, basically. Right, and then they give him CPR. Do we want to say any more about Voldemort and his mother and that kind of that part and Harry's feelings about after he's killed Voldemort? By the time we got to that part last time, we were very schluffies. <laughs> you said schluffies. <laughs> and yes, I am saying Voldemort and schluffies. schluffies. I don't really know how I felt about Voldemort being a human, because he's supposed to be like a villain, a dude under the bed. Lavender Brown made him a human being with, you know, feelings and stuff. I've never seen it before. It's a sort of direction a lot of things are going these days, that to have the villains have a human side, and it, it does make sense. They all have to have real motivations. Like, most villains don't just sort of wake up in the morning and go, aha. Ah, I feel villainous today. I'm going to kill 20,000 people. Yes, they have their own reasonings, however twisted those might be. And right. Yeah. Like, I really like that Voldemort was made more... <laughs> Sorry. It's so funny to say that. That Voldemort <laughs> was made more human in this because I've always found the character of Tom interesting, and I've always liked to see how he turned into this this being that we all know as Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And so I, and thought, the, I really liked the it. Parallels to follow between him and um, Harry and all that sort of thing. I have a bad guilty pleasure spot for redeemed Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read many of those, I don't think. But sure, I have. I've I've read a few stories where Tom is involved, and it's sort of a little bit different there because he hasn't gone as far yet. Tom is better than Voldemort. I prefer him not as being like this thing with red eyes and no nose. But Mm -hmm. I was I was using the word to refer to them both. I just meant yeah. But um, I guess there's been a few, but um, I haven't actually read very many where Tom is actually redeemed as Tom, which is just that we get to see him at an earlier point in his life, and then things still do kind of fall out as they have. And it's... Right. Well, I... I I love those two. But yes, um, Harry faints from his injuries and exhaustion and such, and has this vision taken from his big Legilimens battle earlier, I guess, of Adriana Marvolo, who is Tom's mother in this, singing yeah. an Italian lullaby. And Okay, can we back up a second for the fact that her name was Adriana? Mm. I mean, like, I know that it was like was written before Deathly Hallows, but still, holy crap. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was a creepy similarity. And the red and then, hair too. Yeah, I liked it. Like it sort of added a whole new, whole new dimension. Because when you think about it, Ariana would have probably had red hair as well, because Albus did, and right. that would be a family thing. Oh my but. God! Voldemort's mother is Dumbledore's sister. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Dumbledore. That means is Voldemort's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite the fic. I call not it on writing that guy's just saying. First Grindelwald and then his nephew. Oh boy! Ouch! Poor dear. Mm. He doesn't really like Voldemort. I like that. Harry felt bad for him because I don't mm-hmm. like hate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not Voldemort or somebody really bad. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not good for you or let alone the person you're hating. It's sort of some of the same problems people had with um, the good side using Imperio and Cruci 
Goddess in Deathly Hallows and things like that. I always think it's interesting whenever I see the name of Voldemort's mother before Half-Blood Prince. It's always interesting who decided Marvola was the last name or the first name of her father, as it turned out to be. Because it seems like in half the fix I read, Marvola is the last name. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really say that. It does. Right, it he did says, say in Chamber of Secrets that um, it was Tom for his father and Marvola for his grandfather. So. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm saying it could be either way. It's, it makes sense. Right. I mean, before, it, before, it doesn't specify. Marvola is the last name in Two Worlds and in Between. Right. Okay. Oh, another detail is that Adriana is the mysterious redhead that Ron was having a vision about several chapters right. earlier that he thought that was, was really cool because I was I was thought I was afraid it was Ginny I was afraid there was going to be some silly cyclical thing where like Ginny has to like protect her and Harry's baby and I'm like okay there's three chapters left how is Ginny going to have a baby in three chapters so I'm glad it turned out to be magic yeah but I, yeah, I agree yeah so Harry has fainted and had this vision and he wakes up and he's in St. Mungo's and um, basically decides to pop out of his hospital bed and go wandering around the hospital. Because uh, that always ends out. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's Harry. He's not going to stay put if someone tells him to stay That's true. True. But right. yeah, he's he's going to find out what's happened to everybody, which is understandable yeah. because the entire hospital is busy and he ends up passing like six people who refuse to tell him anything because everyone is busy. Um, mm-hmm. Has one point where he thinks how ironic it is that usually he would like to have be able to walk around in a crowd and no one looks at him twice and now he's trying to get people's attention and it doesn't work. Yeah. I really felt I felt really bad for him, especially like when he scared the crap out of that poor woman at the admin desk by just being like showing his scar and like, I'm Harry freaking Potter. Tell me what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like that. Because that's how you know he was really, really desperate because he would ordinarily never, ever do that. But he was like freaked out. Especially upon discovering about Ginny. Yes. Meets Augustus Pye, who's his friendly information source. And Ron is apparently fine, even though he um, did throw a blood clot and a whole bunch of other things have gone wrong. And it's tough, but he's going to get better. And he says, what about Ginny? And Augustus has no idea what he's talking about because she never checked in. Right. Sets Harry off. What do you mean he didn't check in? Yada, yada, yada. And then what happens? He goes to find Draco, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He bursts into Draco's room and uh, they have a confrontation at one point, Yelling at each other and threatening each other, and fortunately, none of them actually shoot anything off, or the story would end a lot quicker. The end. And um, <laughs> apparently, they were attacked. And Pansy Parkinson has kidnapped Ginny. Pansy is not dead. Pansy is not There's dead. a zombie on the loose. Am I going to die? And it takes a bit for Harry to believe that. Right, because Ron saw her die. Right. Mm-hmm. So he thinks anyway, so he took a little while. I think it was I don't think he actually believed it until he saw her and then it was right he knew sort of by the swagger and just the way she held herself that it was her. Mm-hmm. He didn't think anyone could fake that. Right. Which is He leaves a note for Lupin and um, uh, apparates off Draco to somewhere he's never been. And... I would have thought he he knew Pansy that well to be able to tell that it was really her. Mm. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. She has come up a little bit more in these past 
couple of years, though. So that's true. I don't know. Maybe even even if you don't know someone that well, there's usually at least like one thing about them that you recognize and that you know is sort of very them. And I don't really have any trouble believing that Pansy just you know carried herself in such a way that really was distinctively her own, and that Harry would recognize that. I don't think that's too far fetched. Okay. I sort of had fun with they show up on Malfoy Manor and things are kind of falling to ruin because um, everything has been directed toward the war effort or whatever. I guess Harry's rather shocked because they come across the stables and Malfoy is all of course we have stables everyone has stables what are you talking about and Harry was like I don't have stables I don't know anybody has stables what's wrong with you oh culture clash for the win I also think it was kind of kind of awesome that they they went to the stables because that was where they used to shag yeah like uh, orders. just the place to go and hang out yeah seriously yeah. I'm sure the horses really ruin the mood mm. there are silencing charms and things yeah or it could just be like Equus where they didn't seem to mind there you go <laughs> oh sorry I had to go there I'm done now. I actually really liked that they were in the stables because it's a place with very sentimental value for Pansy and sort of a constant reminder of why she was doing this, of why Lucius managed to sort of hook her in in the first place. Just a constant reminder that she was doing this for Draco to try to get him back. And so by doing it in the place where, you know, they have very significant memories, it was sort of either sort of a very vigilant reminder or just some sort of sadistic torture. And she's got herself so incredibly prepared, not a hair out of place, everything is clean and shined and all that stuff except mm-hmm. that she happens to have Ginny all beat up at her feet sort of thing. Right. And Harry's in contact with Ginny this whole time to the mind meld thing going on. Your mind to my mind. Your thoughts to my thoughts. He's sending her messages. I'm coming. Just hold on. I'm, I'll be there in just a minute. I Just hold on. And then he kind of walks around and mm-hmm. sees her at Pansy's feet. They use their super soulmate powers again. Time to put our balls to the wall and help those kids. Wonder Twin Powers Activate! And this is then where we find out that basically Lucius has been behind everything all along. Oh, you little bitch troll from hell. When Pansy was going to meet Draco in Diagon Alley or something like that, he um, refused to come. And then Lucius was there to meet her instead. And that's when he came up with this idea of her faking her death. All the convoluted things around that. And yeah. Right. He's got Ugh, twisty, Lucy's twisty lovely. mind. Such a sick bastard. He is. Yeah, I just, I wanted to kill him so badly. Oh, yeah, this is I, definitely one of the, like, the one of the worst, like, more evil Lucius that I've seen. Mm-hmm. It seems like Lucius is either really evil or he's, like, following Voldemort for, like, something to do on the weekend. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But, like, in this one, really evil, and it's like he really could be the next threat after Voldemort's yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. Evil enough to kill his wife, Voldemort. Right. And, and almost have his son killed, except he tries to convince him that he really didn't mean that. I was actually having a bit of trouble trying to determine Lucius. Lucius's real motivation here. Was he doing all of these things because he wanted to serve Voldemort? Or was he doing all of these things for self-promotion and maybe he just thought that Voldemort was the way to do it? I don't know. I'm, I mean, Voldemort is dead now. Impression. But now he thinks he can step into his place. I kind of thought that the reason he was doing it was first he was trying to better serve Voldemort, but he later on, he realized, well, Voldemort's about to go. Because he realized that throughout most of the end of this, Voldemort's running out of gas. I mean, he has to be drinking this special potion to stay alive and stuff. So I figure, Lucius figures, he doesn't have much more left. So maybe Lucius can step in after he's gone. Mm -hmm. He has an opportunist side. He's really, he's mostly out in in it for himself. Except that he also, he believes the ideology of purebloods are best at everything and everyone else should die or be subjugated. So he was sort 
sort of following Voldemort as the best means to that end the whole time. Right. Just seemed kind of odd that he was willing to sacrifice his family, his pure blood family, for the destruction of, of Muggleborns. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That just seemed yeah. a little a little yeah. off to me. Yeah. In a lot then of again, other fics, the it's the Malfoy name above all for mm-hmm. Lucius and Draco, and it doesn't seem to do that quite so much with this one. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it why was sort of that was... he he feels that um that he's he's the only worthy Malfoy basically um because Draco is a terrible disappointment to him and isn't um right isn't right to be the Malfoy after this point so he didn't really mind um giving him up I guess I don't know yeah he's a disappointment to Lucius nothing for you because he's tried to do everything for him he's giving him everything he's taught him everything and Draco isn't like him Draco said to think I used to look up to you all I wanted was to be like you you could never be like me Lucius snapped and he took a few steps forward his eyes burning I am Malfoy and you you're nothing but a disappointment so she's really written him off there yeah yeah. and then I, co- I think it was a little bit later he says Potter is ten times the wizard you'll ever be was that him or yes. Pansy who said that no it was that Lucius was that was Lucius yeah. I just wrote in my notes ouch that one stung mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. his sort of the time when Draco basically breaks down why'd you run out on me because you're not quite evil enough you're quasi-evil you're semi-evil you're the margarine of evil you're the diet coke of evil just one calorie not evil enough this point because uh, all of this has been I don't know how it's hard to tell how much of it is what Lucius really thinks and how much of it he's using to break Draco down but he sort of uh, that's when Draco like bursts into tears and uh, Harry feels pity for him again which he doesn't want to do but he does and yeah Yeah. and and that's when the Dark Lord is gone do you know what that means it means that I'm my own master you're right for too long I followed the Dark Lord I believed in his cause oh yes it was the right path but now now it can be me so he's really thinking okay, I can just step in now and take over. Sort of get the impression that he's been doing that for a while. He's been sort of carrying more and more of the plans and basically um, trying to do as much as he can without Voldemort actually catching on and having him killed. And right, really orchestrating it in the background. Right, because didn't we recently discuss that one of the attacks, it, it seemed like something Lucius had planned instead of something that Voldemort had planned? Yeah, well, it really right. seemed that Voldemort didn't even know that it was happening. I mean, who knows how long he was running behind his back. The idea is sort of that Voldemort said, I need you Death Eaters to find Find me some sources of blood, oh, and distract the seer as much as possible while you're at it. Lucius just sort of took that and ran with it and attacked the Weasleys from six directions and all sorts of things. Harry's kind of trying to take the heat off of Draco a little bit, I guess. And on behalf of everyone, I'd just like to say my hand. And he figures out that Pansy's been brewing polyjuice, and that's what Ron's vision of her brewing things was. Oh, and she was actually the imposter Goyle all this time. That was really clever. Mm-hmm. That was really clever. She was a good mole. She did her job she well. She was. And she was like, if you're gonna have somebody be a mole, she was. She was a good choice. Like you know, she knows the school really well. And she did. She was a good mole. And she yeah. was dead, so no one expected her to be around. It comes up that they used polyjuice on a uh, homeless prostitute, actually, and um, yeah. that was who Ron got the vision of. Because um, as Ferenzi, had hello there, Ferenz, said earlier, when for most people they're really open to 
seers and that sort of thing when they're about to die because they're sort of uh, crying out for anything. So, that's so I why. guess Polyjuice works on a muggle? Apparently, Apparently. in this one anyway. <laughs> we don't really know, but I guess so. As far as in the main story, it comes up that the reason Pansy's so good at brewing Polyjuice is she's been using it to turn into Ginny for Draco. <laughs> I believe is the phrase we are all looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is when Harry starts feeling a little less sympathetic again. Yeah, <laughs> I should hope so. Ugh, I don't know how Lavender Bride comes up with these things, but that was I just, know. Yeah, that was just creepy. All right, so let's talk about something besides Polyjuice, Pansy, Draco, love. All of this has given Draco time to recover a little bit, I guess, and he starts basically stalling, and right. Harry figures this out by feeling things from Ginny and the way his hand clenches on his wand and things like that, and they whip out the old reliable Expelliarmus at um, Pansy and Lucius. Right, right, right. And it didn't work. Because Malfoy still got away. The bastard, yeah. Yes, well, the Aurors kind of messed things up for Draco, because, well, Tonks, understandably, up. didn't want him to be killing his own father, but she trips him when he's about to cast the AK on Lucius, and Lucius apparates away. Right. And then Pansy makes another dive for Ginny, and we have a hostage situation again. God, Draco so tries to him. talk her down again, and um, but it doesn't really work, because he was he just did the whole stalling thing and was obviously lying at that point, and mm-hmm. she says... Ginny made Pansy feel bad by sending bad emotions into her. Yeah, she's she amplifying re- everything. Yeah, right. Sort of reverse cool of what she do. usually does. Yeah, that was right. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she assaulted Pansy with Pansy's own misery magnified a hundred times. Brilliant! That's, yeah. Which is a lot. What unusual punishment, to say the least. God's nothing like wallowing in your own self-pity. And we run into the reason it's a good thing Avada Kedavra takes so long to say, because Pansy <laughs> sort of is already insane enough that she manages to work through it, and is about to kill Ginny and gets hit with a cutting curse from James Marchbanks, who got introduced 20 chapters ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Good old James Marchbanks. I'm not going to lie. I felt really, really bad for Draco. I mean, yeah, my I God, to have to too. watch someone die twice, someone you cared about or used to mm-hmm. care about. Ugh. Poor guy. Yeah. He, he's got a sick relationship with her, but he really does care for her in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, poor Draco. That's the end I ever thought I'd say, but there you have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we won't even blame it on the cold meds. No, no. I'm taking the kind of cold meds where, because see, here's the thing. The government assumes that if you're buying Sudafed, like regular Sudafed, not Sudafed mm-hmm. PE, they assume that you're using it to make crystal meth and right. not that you have a cold. So my dad went out to buy regular Sudafed today and had to like give his driver's license in order to get it. So that's what I'm on right now. Driver's license obtained Sudafed. Yeah, almost as good as Vicodin, but no. yeah. I don't remember what I did on Vicodin. We tried I don't to think podcast. I've ever actually like, had Vicodin. I'm not sure I have. I had it when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and they put me on oxycodone when I had kidney stones. They were both fits. But yes, the auras and Lupin have showed up because Harry left a note. Even though I think he said in the note, don't bring any auras, they brought some anyway. <laughs> Can I just say, I like that Harry had the good sense to leave a note this time. Normally he just like runs off and nobody has any clue where he is, thus causing undue amounts of stress and worry. But I like that this time he left a note. Yeah. They get back to the hospital. There's a are- conversation with Remus about how they'll all likely need counseling and Harry Harry's kind of resistant to that. Harry sort of realizes, even though it's his fault, he knows he shouldn't anyway. Good evening, everybody. Hey, Kelly. 
Meanwhile, Lupin catches up to Harry and takes him off on his own. And having already told him how incredibly stupid he was for coming out there in the first place, he admits that he probably would have done the same thing if, if it had been Tonks. It's your little side shipper note for the end of the story. Back at the hospital, where Ron is in a coma. And lots of people are very sick. Harry is being hugged to death by the Weasleys. Yes. All of them. All that of them. Were. Let's see. Ron is in a coma, and Hermione's still at the school. And Bill and Charlie are fine, and so is Percy. George is talking a bit more now. Yeah, that was nice. My favorite thing about this whole thing is that Arthur Weasley is standing there, and all he can say is just, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Which is just the perfect thing. Like, it expresses everything in two words, you know? It's like, yeah. he's, it's like I mean, like, what do you like? What do you say to someone after they just killed the evil overlord, plus saved your daughter from uh, abduction and certain death, plus managed to, you know, save all of your other family members at some point? Like, what do you say? Just thank you. It's perfect. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. You really can't say anything else. I mean, there's nothing left to say. Yeah. No, there isn't. Thank you just covers it perfectly. And yeah. then Harry says thank you to Augustus for taking care of the Weasleys and everybody else. Right. They all have such nice manners. They're all thanking each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the right thing to do. And he falls asleep thinking of Ginny so the shippers can go off. <laughs> Group sigh. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> He's so bad. Yeah, but we don't get to sigh for very long. That's the problem. So, yes, it was a short-lived so, sigh. The downside of super soulmate powers. He wakes up and he like immediately thinks somebody's attacking him, right? Hmm. Yeah, he's and got, I, he's got he's stress. Got, yeah, he's a little jumpy, which I thought was very sad, but very realistic. That's because you know, somebody felt, was there. Right, the little and, pretty and little Betty Witch. Right. And that's very much shell shock, as they used to call it, or you know, what do they call it now? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. It right, fits right. in with him. That's something they do a lot in this story. A lot of the sort of medical conditions and things are quite realistic. It runs into what we were talking about earlier of being a bit too muggle and some of the things, but still what there is is um, covered quite well. So. It's interesting that she doesn't, and I know that she was in the middle of a sequel to this when she left the fandom, so I wish that we could have seen more of this aftermath, because I think with such a drawn-out conclusion and a drawn-out final battle, you really do need to see more of the aftermath, I think, and we don't get that because it's in another fit. It's finished. It's never going to be finished. So. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't feel as though we didn't get enough. Like no, what, yeah, I mean, I think this it, was done. Like I feel, I felt complete. It, it does stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really long for for the unfinished fit. Right. Like I think she, I think she handled it well. I think she covered everything that she needed to cover. But I agree that it would have been very nice to get uh, all the stuff in between the last chapter and the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the sequel that was abandoned wouldn't have focused on them anyway. I mean, it was definitely for Draco. If you say so, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Well, hey, she's um, following in J.K.'s footsteps, though. She didn't know it at the time. Giant gap in the epilogue. epilogue. (laughs) Very, very true. But yes, he wakes up and he has his hospital food, and then he takes to wandering the hospital again. He seems to do that a lot. Does do that well. Feels that Ginny is in pain, I guess. So he has to go and find her. Except the problem is, the closer he gets, the worse she is. Oh... That's just heartbreaking. I hate that. I know. Yeah. Poor Harry and Ginny. It reminds yeah. me of After the End a little bit, which I think was probably right. He mm-hmm. doesn't really leave voluntarily. Mm-hmm. He is thrown out. Yeah. And that's when and he goes looking hot. Yeah. And he did look them both up on the register because they're on the same page being Weasley's. And yeah. finds himself mm-hmm. in Ron's room and Hermione's there just sort of staring at him. And they have right. a little bit of a moment. <sighs> yeah. He holds yeah, like, her as she cries. Right. Mm-hmm. I, lo- like, I, I really like it when Harry and Hermione have moments. Because like, mm-hmm. I am by no means a 
Harry and Hermione Shipper, but I, I do think that they have a very close relationship and that they're very like brother and sister. And so it's really nice when their friendship shines through and you can see them acting, you know, friendly towards each other. I, I cannot see Harry and Hermione's relationship being anything really but brother and sister. Yeah. I mean, it, that's just Same the here. way that I feel. Yeah. So. It doesn't... You've read yeah. too many fics where that's the case, I guess. No, yeah. actually, I, I feel that throughout the movies as well. Clovis, notwithstanding, there's just not really... There's no spark there for that. My opinion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree with your opinion. And I agree with your opinion. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I think your opinion makes a great deal of sense, but I can also be convinced that the other way works. So it depends on who's yeah. writing fic and how well they do. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with You're you. You're so open-minded. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but see, you started fandom reading POU, right? Um... Not quite. That was that was fairly close to the beginning, I guess. I, well, I started on um, the Warner Brothers boards and from there to fanfiction.net, and I just sort of found random things. So mm-hmm. I found both pairings and people doing all sorts of different things. So. My my introduction into fanfic for Potter was actually getting my arm twisted and finally uh, looking for Ron Hermione fic. So that's how I started into it. So I really had no desire to see pumpkin pie. <laughs> so Yeah, I don't Blame you. So I started with Three Mysterious. Like, three, like Scott just had random things on fanfiction.net. And then... oh, puppy love, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think my first my first fic, I believe, was an abandoned next-gen fic, where like Ron and Hermione had both died, but they had a kid who had gone to Hogwarts. It was abandoned, and I seem to recall finding this on the Lexicon fanfic forum that somebody somebody just pointed me there. But then I found Harry Jenny fanfic, and, you know, my life was complete. <laughs> <laughs> Your life was complete. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, no. And then after that, I found Smut, and then my life was really complete. <laughs> 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 Gotta have the SC-17 in there, don't you? Yep. Oh, hey, dear. I'm just saying, I'm not allowed to touch boys. I have to... <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Julia, remind me afterwards to share something with you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, Harry and Hermione do have a bit of a moment, and while they fall asleep by Ron's bed and then wake up there, having slept in the chair all night and um, that's in by the way mm-hmm. yeah. yeah sorry and she's being somewhat perceptive and realizes he's worried about Ginny but then in the next line sort of shows how much she's grown either through this fic or just from canon generally in that she asks if she wants to talk about it he says no and she says that's okay mm-hmm. which is not a immediate canon Hermione thing <laughs> yeah yeah I like that a lot it was you know she experiences character growth hooray just leave it yeah, yeah. And, she does. yeah. Mm-hmm. and and right before that, she when she gets up, she kind of whimpers and, and he's what's wrong and it's her leg. Because her leg got burnt, I think, in the fight with them um, when she was being kidnapped by Nott and his crew. So having spent the whole night, um, Harry finally says, "Oh, I should be back in my room because they wouldn't like me wandering around the hospital." <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine this? Let's go check on Harry Potter. Oh my god, he's not here. Where could he be? Hmm. <laughs> Wandering the halls again. Will <laughs> he ever learn? We're not in a muggle hospital. Duh. But at St. Mungo's, wouldn't you have a charm that would let somebody know if somebody's having problems breathing, if they need assistance, something? Right. If they got out of bed and wandered out of their room? <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. That would be sensible, but perhaps it's something she just didn't think about. I I guess the idea here is that because this is such a huge thing that's just happened, everyone is frantically busy.
crazy. So maybe some of the things like that sort of get neglected. I see, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Because if he has, okay, he's gone to sleep, okay, he's done all this stuff. If he has a time-release curse on him, he could strangle in his sleep. And they wouldn't know. Oh, let's check on him, you know, in 18 hours. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that would really suck for him. That would be quite the fic. You know, Voldemort's defeated, everything's great, and the next two hours they discover that Harry Potter strangled in his sleep. Oh, dear. Well, you know. So much for Boy Who Lived. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Basically. Pretty you know, much. That scratch that turned gangrene or something, you know, I, I don't know. And he escorts Hermione back to the main fireplace to get back to her parents, because they've connected to the blue now, and mm-hmm. um, he kind of has to, because her leg is worse than she'd like to let on. Yeah, why didn't she, like, get that taken care of? I think she did triage kind of thing on it, but then she wouldn't leave Ron. I'm not sure why it is the scarring, they were too late or something like that, but I'm not but sure. She did to fix it all the way, yeah. So then and he gets back into bed. And he has a yeah. dream. Proceeds to have a nightmare. It's actually quite well-written nightmare in that it's not really a vision, and it um, makes no sense, and scenes change randomly, and that's what happens in a lot of dreams. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the one in Philosopher's Stone, where he has a dream about wearing Whirl's turban and Malfoy's laughing at him and then he changes into Snape and the laugh is actually Voldemort's laugh. And mm-hmm. This is a lot more, it's a lot darker than that, but it's the same sort of absurd progression of images kind of thing. Kind of ends up with him on a ship moving away from Ginny. Adieu, adieu, parting is such sweet sorrow. He can't steer the ship back. He has no wand. He has no way to steer it. He doesn't know what to do. And she was kind of reaching out for him, but now isn't, and is just staring after him sadly. Ugh, yeah. These people are breaking my heart. My girlish heart. pulled under the water by a giant Voldemort snake and various people who have died in this whole thing. Right. And then he wakes up. Yes. And it's, it's have, Augustus Pye, who's the first one to actually mention post-traumatic stress. Okay, I have a question. Had we, did we have any idea who or what the Inferi were at this point? I don't oh, think so. They were in Haplet Prince. So this is kind of like inferior people that he knew who died. Yeah. <sighs> it's actually a common dream, though, because it's almost like the veil, too. You know, pulling him through the veil. It's nothing new. I mean, I seem to recall Shakespeare definitely having ghosts of people visit in dreams. I am the ghost of Christmas past, and I have come to remind you of the meaning of Christmas. Sure. Yeah. It's a common idea. Whether it was in dreams or not, it would be the ghosts of people who died in some horrid way or other that would be confronting you. And so Augustus wakes him up and explains to him that he's showing signs of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Harry has a minor moment of a teen boy again when he goes, I have a syndrome? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you have a syndrome. <laughs> it's called teenage. <laughs> it's called angst. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we have a winter storm warning issued for Hazelwood. They have told me this every two hours for the last day and a half. Three o'clock in the morning. Maybe they thought you'd forget. But I looked up and I thought on the TV it said, Woman gives birth to octuplets. And I thought it said, Woman gives birth to octopus. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's what it said, too. (laughs) Oh, dear. I love you guys. It's the giant squid. It is, in fact, Dumbledore. Oh, my God, that's so funny. The thing we'd heard about Jen before that came on. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) 
Wait, got Kelly, your, your phone rings at 3 in the morning for this? The text message. Oy. Weather Channel sent me a text message at 3 o'clock this morning. Hello? And then another one at 5. Hello? It was like, okay. Last week, one of my rabbis, his wife had a baby at 4 or 7 a.m. And I know this because he texted everyone at 4.26 a.m. to tell them. Mazel tov. I'm thrilled for you, but this couldn't have waited like two hours. Yeah. Kelly, well, we're still up at 3. Yeah. It, it didn't matter. I was still up at 3. And then the thing is, if I leave it alone, it mm-hmm. beeps every 30 seconds at me to tell yeah. me that I have a message. Beep. Ron wakes up and is mostly fine. Except for his eye. Fine. Mm-hmm. Which means he can't be an aura or play Quidditch because his depth perception and uh, night vision is shot. Yeah, right. that sucked. Yeah. Nothing but like having your hopes and dreams dashed from under you in some heroic gesture. Dashed that's from under you? Time. You're crossing, yeah. you're mixing your metaphors there. <laughs> dashed away or mixed up from under you. <laughs> Yeah. Hermione asking that she be told when Ron wakes up, she doesn't show for some yeah. time. Right. And, and Ron starts to really worry. Right. And I love that Harry was pissed. Oh, yeah. He too. was. He was furious. Like how could he like how could she possibly do this to him? At a time when she when he needs her most and he's and she's not there, uh uh-uh. uh. Unacceptable. Friends don't do that to each other. And I love that he was just so furious. He was like already to run over there and punch her in the face. He but, does eventually uh, storm off and basically break down her door. Yes, mm-hmm. which I think was much better than punching her in the face. I think we can all agree. Yes. True. Yes. He mm. was really angry that, you know, how dare they admit him to be trained as an or when he wore glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I wear no. these. And, and, and Moody's got one leg and, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of those magical eyes. Ooh, there's an idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Plot device. Plot device. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does he have the magic staff of, uh, uh, what is it? <laughs> the magic chopping <laughs> stick. <laughs> Not yet, but it's on order. <laughs> oh, the magic something stick. Oh, yeah. You're dead. You're dead. I just, I, I order the Phoenix on for the umpteen thousand times weekend, and I put it on for background, and it makes me laugh every time. You just wham. It's like, okay, yeah, the magic thumping stick. <laughs> Oh, brother. And the Durmstrang guys, they have yeah. the Edgar sticks, too. Yeah. That part is so weird and dumb. Supposed to show the whole, when wizards get together, they have to outdo each other thing, but they sort mm-hmm. of skip mm-hmm. the World Cup. I'm trying to imagine if Hogwarts went to one of the other... Yeah, what would they do? They'd sing Hoggy Hoggy Hogwarts. There you go. Ron has told Harry the vision that he had. And baby. He's yeah. the first one to know. And then Harry goes and tells Hermione a little bit later, which I thought was yeah. nice. When, when he gets there, she's locked up in a room and doesn't want to talk to anybody and he kind of just breaks in and just so incensed because she's not there and she's I can't go see him you know he just can't understand why she finally lets him know that she's ashamed of the way her leg looks and she's also ashamed of being glad that Ron's eye stops him from being an horror because yes. she's been terrified of that for chapters now and she doesn't want him to get the new eye because it means he won't be an horror and Harry sort of talks her around and convinces her that this is something Something that Ron really wants, which he's just sort of realized himself. It's the first thing that Ron has known on his own that he's really, really good at and he wants to do. This is where he tells her about vision. Right. Mm-hmm. Did a, a lot to really reassure her that things really were going to be okay. And I just, I have for this whole scene, all I have, I have written in my notes, Hermione's reaction was so heartbreaking and real. I feel really, really bad for her, but I'm glad that she comes around and she's not going to stand in Ron's way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I and think it turns out that she puts up the money for Ron's new eye. He'd 
already refused it from Harry. Yeah, her little yeah. show of solidarity. And it just breaks my heart. Here's Harry watching these two make up. Yeah. And that's not something he can do. And he ends up shutting himself into a bathroom cubicle and crying. Why? 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 Why would they do this? Breaks my little girlish heart. <laughs> <laughs> these poor things. It's the next two that really got me, though. Going on to the next one. Oh, Ron's telling Hermione, trying to explain to her that he knows that he cannot be an auror because of his eye. And she says, no, stop. You should can. <laughs> right. Yeah, here's mm-hmm. why. And he thinks at first that it's Harry that's given the money because they'd already talked about that. And right. then she says, no, it was her money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, say you'll take the money, said Hermione, and use it to have the life you want. Aww. I wouldn't have any life without you, he said. You'll always have me, she said. Yeah. <laughs> and then their parents uh, burst Interrupt in on them. them. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote in my notes. Wow, getting walked in on by Molly and Arthur. Awkward city. Erotic city, come alive. <laughs> it's okay. I was just leaving. Yeah. It's a nice reversal because isn't it usually the kids who walk in on the parents? Yeah, well, and I love walk in on each other all over the story. So, yeah, I loved uh, Mr. Weasley. Are you sure we don't mind, Arthur? Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious. Covers his head. Yeah. They also explained to him he's now remembering everything that he was seeing and now realizing what everything meant. The the girl he saw got raped was not Pansy. Uh, why she'd been brewing polyjuice potion and and things like. This. Right. And and uh, Arthur tells tells him about what happened. Mm-hmm. So yay, Pansy's dead. Woo! And that Ginny has basically been her empath channels have been burnt out by this whole thing, and anything sort of sets them off again, especially from Harry because of the whole thing. But right. she basically has to be sequestered now and can't see anyone except Mrs. Tonks. I would hate that. I have written in my notes. I find myself wishing we could see a bit of Ginny's perspective and find out what she's up to and how she's doing. I mean, I would go a little bit stir-crazy if the only person I could see was Mrs. Tonks. But at the same time, yeah. I feel like she's probably not going stir-crazy because she's had, shall we say, a bit of a day. A bit. He Ron reveals to them so. that yeah. um, he is getting a new eye, and they're somewhat shocked because he's been terribly stubborn about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And That was nice. I like that I like that Ron allowed Hermione to take care of him for once. That was nice. Yeah. And then we have George. <laughs> Guys, I'm not going to lie. I seem to recall that when I was reading this fic, I only cried twice. But when George walked in and was like, hey, Mom, that was one of the times. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm so glad he's okay. Yeah. Yay, Neville. Yay, Neville. And they start to exchange the, oh, yeah, I'm fine sort of thing. And George <laughs> asks Ron how he is. And Ron says, oh, yeah, he's he's doing well. And he's, he's okay. And uh, George says, oh, that's good because you look like crap. <laughs> <laughs> Borrow oh. the phrase from West Wing, you look like death on a trisket. Yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> All is exciting. Yes. And we go from the happy reunion to Harry in the storage room. Right. His new home. Everything dark and dusty and, yeah. And I'm sure there are violins probably. We have soulful, dramatic music playing in the background, yes. 
Apparently, Ferenzi is alive. Hello there, Ferenzi. Which is uncertain for a while. Yes. All the teachers and such. I'm trying to remember how many times I have seen stories where Harry defeats Voldemort and then, okay, I'm done. I might as well throw myself off the roof kind of thing. It's that whole roller coaster. Yeah, but in this thing, I don't think it's so much, okay, I've done my job, now I have to die, so much as it is, I want Ginny and I can't have her. You know, I don't think Usually when that's coming up, it's because he's really gotten into the whole, my purpose is to kill Voldemort thing, and now he has no direction. Right. Which, by the way, is what makes After the End such a good fic. Okay, sorry, moving on. Um, did we, it's like, I don't want to spoil P.S., so I don't want to talk about it too much. Yeah. But did we already get to the part where Harry, like, decides that he doesn't want to be an Auror? Um, uh, he's, this is like a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't have, it's been a little while since I read this, and I don't have the chapter open in front of me. I just have my notes. Uh, so yeah, it's right here, basically. Yeah, go through all the, the teachers being alive, and yeah, Snape's in the hospital wing, and Neville has a mild concussion, and things like that, and they go through a bit of a list. And then he starts listing the ones who died and being depressed. God, I'm sorry, does Colin Creevy always have to die in, like, every <laughs> fake? Is it just a slot in life? Apparently. Yeah. Poor dear. <laughs> if not him, then Dennis. Right. Yeah. Neville, or uh, Nigel, who should have been Dennis, sorry. Yes. Yes. Boots, wow. who's had nothing but bad luck, you know, who seems fine, but... Actually, through a blood clot, yeah. 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 <laughs> Which like, almost wow. happened to Ron. Mm. Yeah. It had to claim somebody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, and this is when Harry sort of starts thinking about the Aura program and all his stacks of applications to things that had been left on his desk, and it just seems really weird to be applying for a job at all at this point when so much has gone on. And he's like, what's the use of this? Can, I don't blame him. There's no motivation. He just he's, he feels empty. He capitalizes life after Voldemort's death. I'm not going to lie, guys. I kind of love that he didn't want to be an Auror. Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, after all that, it was just like, you know what? I can't. I'm done. Like, yeah. This can't you be can about. really see that happening. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Especially with a Harry like this who has been stressed and has traumatic stress syndrome and all of that. That would not be the place for him. He's like Moody already and he hasn't spent the 20 years in the program. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm glad he realizes that now as opposed to, you know, after 20 years in the program. Oh, I just, I loved getting to see that whole thought process of him just being like, there are so many more important things. I just, I can't let this be my life. It's already caused me so much pain and so much heartache. I just can't do it anymore. I love that. Such like deconstruction of his whole life. Just, ugh, I, I loved it. Even but, though all this is going on, he thinks about suicide, but he still can't bring himself to do it anyway. It isn't something that's really in him to do that. So the next day, the students come back to Hogwarts. They're really just trying to move on, and he discovers that he can't. He's stuck. Mm-hmm. He can't say I blame him. I don't blame him either. Well, it's like, yeah. like as, we were, as we were just saying, you know, his entire mm-hmm. life's purpose has been to defeat Voldemort, and that's no easy task. Like, I'm surprised he hasn't thrown himself off the astronomy tower yet. You know, yeah, like, sure. It's a tough job. And he's going through and he's sort of making himself work through day to day and laugh at Ron's jokes and things like that. And, but it's, it's but at the same time, cool. it's that whole empty chairs and empty tables kind of thing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's mm-hmm. lurking. Right. And he keeps finding himself back in the storeroom. Sure. And this time he gives himself the candles and tries to imagine that um, it's back the first night they went there. Right. Yeah. I can pretend that he sees her. And he's actually glad that Snape is nastier than normal because it mm-hmm. um, lets him pretend that things are normal. Okay, guys, I need you to help me out. I have in my notes, I have, hmm, Harry's dreaming about Ginny in a nice future, and maybe Ginny's dreaming about that too. I hope she is, and I hope it helps.
And then the next thing I have in my notes is they have to be. And I have no idea what that refers to. I'm thinking that Harry probably, you know, thought that they would be all right in the end. Did that happen? I think that Ron starts getting reports about Ginny and, and starts. Right, right, right. No, I hear, here it is. Here it is. Oh. Hermione pursed her lips. Do you think they're going to be okay? She said at last. Harry and Ginny, I mean, not just individually, but together. Mm-hmm. They have to be, said Ron fervently. Yes. Hermione looked at him for a moment and then nodded. Yes, she said. They have to be. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. I love that. And then the next yeah. scene we have is Harry. That was right like, after the owls and newts and um, yeah, such. Right. Harry is leaving. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's worried that he's being a coward because he's running away without telling anyone. But he leaves everyone personal letters about um, how he's leaving and not to look for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And he leaves uh, leaves Hedwig and he leaves Fox and, and takes his things and, and goes. Yeah. Leaves the Marauder's mm-hmm. Map with Ron. Mm-hmm. And he's been looking over this address that Mrs. Tonks gave to him of the woman in Geneva and he basically has it memorized. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Harry takes his journey and he he flies the firebolt to Hogsmeade and then he runs into Professor Hopkirk who we haven't seen for several chapters now. Mm-hmm. I mean after she went vampires I need a mommy. He's about to cast a glamour charm on himself because he figures obviously he can't go wandering about looking like he does and not be recognized and she's right behind him and says hi and he jumps six feet in the air. She sort of agrees not to give him away to everyone else because they're obviously going to be looking for him. And yeah. I think it's interesting this is where we discover that what happened to Snape. To Snape. Right. That, yeah. That the reason <laughs> Snape has this, this limp is that he's lost his leg and the reason yes. he did that was because he gave his push to Ron. All of his potions were used out to save Ron. Apart yeah. from the giant sedative needle, but you know. <laughs> well, you know. But we're not supposed to know about so the hard. giant sedative needle anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, Augustus, get back! Sorry. <laughs> One of the things that we kind of skipped over was Ron and Hermione the first time back together with her being really subconscious about her leg and the, just them getting past that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because they have several times where they're together and she insists on the lights being out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she moves away from him and, and things. And he actually thinks for a while that it still hurts or still bothers her that way. I thought it was sweet in like mm-hmm. a weird sort of way that Ron was just like, you know what, I don't care. I love you anyway. Hermione's always been like that. She has a thing for perfection. Mm-hmm. She wants mm-hmm. to be the best in the class. She's um, she's used to being the best in the class. And when she isn't, it's really hard for her and all the various other things that go with that. Right. Which is why I think she, she just really, really needed to hear that, you know, Ron still thought she was beautiful and Ron didn't care. I think think it probably made him love her more. That was nice. I thought it was really appropriate to Hopkirk that even in this very last scene, you don't quite know which way she's going to go. For mm-hmm. a second, Harry thinks she's going to give him away because she says, oh, yes, I just saw him some minutes ago. And he's like, what? Didn't you just say you weren't going to? And mm-hmm. then she misdirects Snape completely and sends him off somewhere else. She doesn't send him off. She says, I saw him and he's somewhere on the continent. He didn't tell me where. And then Snape says, don't lie. To me. Oh, good. I can go home and take a bath or something. Oh, my oh, God. He's going to go home and wash the hair. <laughs> we all use the shower to wash ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just couldn't resist that one, could you? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> now that I've alienated all of the Snape fans out there, sorry. Yeah, well. Oh, well, you know, had to be done. It's the potion fumes, you know. So mm-hmm. then we have more angst because here's Harry watching all of the people with normal lives going on with their lives, and maybe someday this will be him, and then he disapparates. Poor Harry. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see Ron, who has a note, just a note, and he's gone, and he didn't even say goodbye. Yes. So he's out mm-hmm. for a run in the and forest. And he goes a little frantic. Yeah. Yeah, he goes a little nuts. Pretty goes looking for him. Yeah. I think we can blame this one on post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. I think, like, normally I can see Ron being really not pleased about it, but at least understanding of Harry's need to just go off on his own for however long. So he is yeah. often the one that sort of held Hermione back from being smothering and such. I like how um, they have five people who get notes and they all say that he doesn't want to be found. Well, of course he wants to be found. I think it's interesting, and, and this is this is so Ron again, but, you know, he's gone out and he's looked for Harry and he can't find him and he's not going to find him and he feels useless. And it's like, Ron, honey, come on. Yeah. You are Ron Weasley. You are not Harry Potter's stupid best friend, okay? You're your own person. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know? He has one last talk with Ferenzi. Hello there, Ferenz. Who really has helped straighten him out a lot through this whole year. Can't heal his hurts because you do not understand them. I love that line. Which is very sad because that was always Ron's role, you know? Yes. Fix Harry. Be there for right. him. And now suddenly he can't and he's like, I don't understand. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And he brings up, well, both of them sort of bring up how really having an empathic bond like Harry and Ginny isn't that great. Why would anyone want to have that necessarily? Because yeah. uh, for him it sounds terrible because of all the things that they're going through from that. This is definitely a con. Yeah, with all things. I'm glad that's there. That's what saves it from being the um, super soulmate powers thing, is that there are downsides to having everything. Right. But, uh, it's not just wonderful and lovely. And, and you know what? I would be willing to bet, like, I don't remember if we ever heard anything about this, or maybe I'm just forgetting, but when they finally are back together in the end, I would be willing to bet that that empathetic bond probably had a lot to do with it. I don't know how or why, but, I mean, once you bond with a person like that, it's not something you can just forget. It probably has some sort of influence on you for the remainder of your natural life. The bond definitely had a lot to do with their reconciliation. Ron has his minor 17-year-old moment again of, oh, hey, I guess I'm homeless. (laughs) Then Ferenzi says, Hello there, Ferenz. Sometimes home isn't a place, and there's Hermione standing right behind him. Okay, everybody. One, two, three. Aww. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, groups, groups. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. So he shows her the vision that he's had mm-hmm. that she already knows about. <laughs> she already knows about because Harry told her. <laughs> But still, it's a, it's a big step for him to be showing that to her. Oh, sure. So. Oh, sure. And, and it's different for her to be experiencing it that way than just hearing Harry say it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, it's like somebody telling you that, oh, yeah, so-and-so loves you, but not hearing it from them. It's a big difference. <laughs> she refuses to be engaged to him because he hasn't proposed properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, she's such a girl. I love it. And you know something? You get down on one knee. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know something? If I were Hermione, I too would insist on a proper do it correctly, or it's just not going to happen. Yeah, this whole with, yeah, you're going to marry me, right? Okay. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. 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 Not, not good enough. No. You have to get a ring, and you have to at least ask. My God. Yeah. Yeah, none of this assumption stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just not how we roll. No. 
they go to the leaving feast. Right, and everybody cries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ron is actually getting into his whole prefect duties thing, or head boy duties, I guess, mm-hmm. which is a change for him. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm sorry. Tangent, I looked over and the dog lay down and rolled over in his bag and looked at me like, my feet are in the air, Mom. What do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Sulky yoga labs do it all the time. What are they going to do? Their last roll? Did they find a broom closet or... No, no. I have written in my notes, Hermione, the astronomy tower, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally all I wrote. <laughs> just like, oh, come on. How cliche can you be, Hermione, of all the places for your last night at Hogwarts, the place where everybody and their mom goes to do it. Good job. Oh, that's a fanon thing, though. And of I course, where they that even showed up. I guess there were some couples caught kissing or something. And- On Fiction Alley, they have the astronomy tower, and that's the place where all this should be fixed. They got that from somewhere. I yeah, don't know where it was. Think exactly. about it. It's romantic. Uh, incoming. Although they aren't, actually. They're in the classroom. And, uh, <laughs> she's, she's set up cushions and uh, big couch right, and right. things. So, so they can charm the ceiling to look like stars. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like the Great Hall. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Different pick. <laughs> yes. And this is where Ron finally actually gets to see her leg as being burnt and tells her that... Sometimes you have to show a little skin. This reminds guys of being naked. And then they think of sex. Every inch of her is beautiful. Aww. They wish Take on a, a star. Wish. They refuse to tell you, and then they realize that they both know anyway. And he says, me too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. They're both thinking about mm-hmm. Harry. Mm-hmm. Harry was rumored to be somewhere in South America, living in the jungle amongst pygmies. I didn't know pygmies lived in South America. Um, And without magic. Ginny had joined a religious order of celibate witches, and Draco Malfoy <laughs> had gone to Siberia to track down his father. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and mm-hmm. Luna's on her way to Sweden because they've actually found the giant purple horn snorkax yes <laughs> the snorkax are real you just blew my mind <laughs> he knew his little was right about something omg <laughs> <laughs> OMG. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Hermione just has to sputter. Yeah. yeah. I think oh, and then we have Hagrid who's going to flood everybody away with, oh, everybody grow up and love. And Ron has to go, air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, usually it's Harry that's having to say that. Now it's Ron. Right. <laughs> and then Hagrid's mom's pregnant. Hey, you nit! How oh, nice. <laughs> More giants. Woo. <laughs> it was cute. I don't think I've ever seen Hagrid make a joke before. That was funny. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't you scare me like that, you bastard. That wasn't funny. He did. he did make a joke. He jokes about, not the snork hacks, the... Um, no, the scroots. The scroots. He says he jokes that there are more scroots. Right, right, right. Oh, yes. All his jokes seem to revolve around monsters. I'm shocked. Oh. To quote Julia, OMG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OMG. Blaise is actually the other horror trainee from their year at Hogwarts. Yeah. Right. I like that. That was cool mm-hmm. that they're going to have to work together now. Ron's going to have to get over the Slytherin thing, which he's done yeah, pretty and, with. Yeah. yeah, He's not so bad for Slytherin? No, for a person. So yeah. I enjoyed that. He's finally yeah. Ron he's has character growth. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Scott, you stole my line, but that's okay. I'm letting you have it. Oh, I figured you used it a couple times. I got to use it this one. I filled my quota. We're getting ready to go, and Ron has a new trick. He checks out what color underwear Hermione's wearing every day with his new eye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. It was like, ooh, Superman vision. X-ray vision. 
one of many superpowers you have in the game, not in real life. Pink lace, good choice. Everybody's like, shut up. <laughs> Superman vision for the 18-year-old boy with a girlfriend. Mm. Yeah, this is the spot of the story where I started to cry and it stopped till the end. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I was just about to say, remember when I said I cried twice? This was the second time. This whole thing just, oh, it just got to me. He doesn't actually mean to say, I wish Harry were here, but then he does. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and lo and behold, he is. Oh, God, I love that so much. And once mm-hmm. again, he gets a letter. And this one makes him much happier than the last one did. Yeah, and it was Blaze who found it on the seat, apparently. God, Reasley, you think you've just seen a ghost. He's like, yeah, something like that. Oh, that was mm-hmm. cute. When you think about it, actually, that's somewhat of an odd saying for wizards, because they do. I didn't think of that until just now, so here's Harry's nice newsy letter. Apparently he went to Egypt. It reminded him of the Weasleys, and yet didn't. They're going to Paris. That's where the this, this train is going, or um, their overseas portion of the aura thing, I guess. And he's got Hedwig with him. Hedwig hooted again. It wasn't a joyous sound, so much as a warm, bittersweet one. A sound of heartache and yearning and hopefulness and happiness all at once. She fluttered her wings softly as Pigwidgeon nuzzled in closer to her. I know how you feel, girl, Ron whispered. I know exactly how you feel. Epilogue, five years later. A little bit less than 19, but... Yeah. yeah. I'm so and glad Harry was the teacher. And I get the impression that Harry is, like, the shit. He's such a good professor. I would probably want to take his class. And they're all grumbling about how he's nuts and assigning them too much homework. And, and the other thing I wrote in my notes, ah, uh, Snape. Nice to know that some things are eternal. <laughs> And Harry gets great fun calling him Severus all the time. Yeah, you just know he does that just, just so bad. That was funny. I loved that. And Harry's being told to take over some potions classes. Snape has no idea what to do about this. They caught Lucius Malfoy. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Ginny's back. Playing for a Quidditch team, I think. Yeah, Draco's marrying Susan Bones. That was sort an of interesting... Came out left field, but... An interesting pair. It's like, where did that come from? Social event of the season, because she's the minister's niece. Right, and he He's, you know, a reformed Death Eater. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and Harry thinks there's a moronic burglar in his apartment. Yeah, yeah that was really funny. He's like, no, I'm just jitty. The closet? Yeah. They're hiding in the closet? <laughs> yeah, I was like, my God, how cliche can you get? Oh, I could have hexed you. Yeah, you really couldn't have. You don't really. seem happy to see me, she said. Of course I'm happy to... Wait a minute, what are you doing here? Yeah, she's something of a minx in this chapter. And he even calls her that. It's all right, she's elusive. It's part of the draw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, a little bit later, Ron and Hermione totally do it in the pantry. <laughs> yes! Yes! Ah! Oh! Oh, yes! 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 Oh! Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Oh, God! Oh! And, and Harry's like silencing Harry's, charm. Yeah, Harry's like, guys, the silencing charm didn't work. You might want to fix that. <laughs> and Hermione's like mortified, and Harry's just like, oh come on, like I don't know, you guys do it. Mm-hmm. And Ron oh, says, eh, we're married. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> this is the day before Ron and Hermione's wedding, which we don't sort of find out until halfway through. The, she's thinking of retiring from the team, and she's going to um, get hired on to replace Madame Hooch. So they'll yeah. both be working at Hogwarts. Same Another same. one of the lovely ending lines which she likes to do a lot of the time. And because this time they get to wish on a shooting star, she says, make a wish. And he just sort of looks down at her and says, it already came true. Yeah. <sighs> the end. K.
Okay, we'll be back next week with chapters 1 through 15 of Backward with Purpose, and we'll see you all there. Good night. Good night, everybody. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.